discussing it. All right, let's open it up. While Ian comes in, I'll kick it off. There you go. The drop started 10 minutes ago. This one's about Matt Taibbi again. The Twitter files, how Twitter let the intelligence community in. And I'm glad we have, where are you? Um, uh, well, glad, glad we have Kyle here. Um, I think, Kyle, you'll be able to bring a lot of context to this. So I'm glad you're here. And let me, I'm going to co-host you, Kyle, so you can bring people in and stuff while I wait for Ian uh, to join. So I think he sent you through a course invite because I think you'll play a pretty key role in this. So if you can accept it, that'll be great. And we've got Jim as well in the house. All right. Let's read it, guys. You know the drill. Jim, good to have you. Make sure the audio is good, everyone. Uh, put your hand up whenever you want to speak um, or just jump in or interrupt. We're pretty chill uh, as long as it doesn't get too crowded. All right. Let's kick it off. Number one, in August 2017, when Facebook decided to suspend 300 accounts with, quote, suspected Russian origin, end quote, Twitter wasn't worried. Its leaders were sure they they did not have a Russian problem. Quote, we did not see a big correlation. Another quote, no large patterns. Facebook may may take action on hundreds of accounts, and we may take action on 25. And you can see the screenshots there. So now we're starting to talk about uh, Facebook's suspension of 300 accounts back to the whole Russian origin story and then we go to number number four quote keep the focus on Facebook Twitter was so sure they had no Russia problem executives agreed the best PR strategy was to say nothing on record and quietly hurl reporters at Facebook um Kyle, do you want to comment on what we've read so far before I continue reading Well, that's through? kind of what you'd expect. I mean, that's what I would expect from a private company not trying to get involved. You, you, I mean, nobody wants the feds in their business. That's the standard line. So the idea that somebody got themselves in the crosshairs, in this case Facebook, um, and Twitter doesn't want to weigh in, that makes perfect sense. That's what I would expect someone to do. Uh, like I said, my experience has been that the, like proactive cooperation is not the standard when it comes to most companies. And we, we saw that in the early days of Twitter. I'm not sure who just unmuted, but let you jump in right after. We saw that in the early days of Twitter. I think they were resisting cooperation with uh, with the FBI and I think the CIA. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. And then over time, that was that started changing, and, and they're starting uh, to, to 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 better cooperate. Are you on the same page? There, yeah, Kyle? that's what it looked like. So, and and it seemed like you know the the intelligence community was making some concerted efforts to to bring them into the fold whether it was offering clearances or giving them specialized portals. I mean, it's the way you do any kind of recruitment is that you give them uh, a reason to join you. You, uh, you play to the motivations of the individuals involved. You, uh, you know, make people feel special for whatever reason that may be, or you, you go to whatever their needs or their wants are. So these are, I mean, basic, whether it, do, it doesn't matter whether you're doing, uh, selling a Xerox machine or you're, you're out there trying to recruit a source, you're, you're using the same sort of techniques. You're doing a needs analysis. You're looking at the person, you find out what motivates them and then you get them on board. So, that's what we saw. Like I said, original resistance, um, the stuff that Taibi had done earlier or some of the other drops that showed that they kind of just, you know, moved them along um, in that recruitment process. And then they sort of became what he called like another wing of the government, which I'm not 100 percent sure is accurate, but they definitely were, were playing along in a way that we wouldn't expect. Jim? Yeah, and I might add to that, you know, keep in mind the narrative at this time in September of 2017 was strongly Russian in, interference and Facebook, you know, was in the crosshairs at that time too. I mean, the whole narrative in social media platforms was this, the so-called problem of uh, Russian interference. And uh, this, you know, the fact that they were pushing back a little is interesting while publicly saying something different. Uh, we'll go to number six in September, 2017, after a cursory review, to, I think we're up to number six or five. Um, so five, number five, Twitter. Yeah, tw- Twitter is not the folk. Twitter is not the focus of inquiry into Russian election meddling right now. The spotlight is on Facebook. 
wrote public policy VP Colin Corwell. And then there's the email there by Colin Corwell. Who was that email to? Does anyone know? Carl, do you know? I don't recognize any of those names, so I'm not sure. Uh, we'll go to number six. In September 2017, after a cursory review, Twitter informed the Senate it suspended 22 possible Russian accounts and 175, uh, 179 others with, quote, possible links to those accounts amid a larger set of roughly 2,700 suspects manually examined. Receiving these meager results, a furious Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, ranking Democrat on the intelligence community, held an immediate press conference to denounce Twitter report as frankly inadequate on every level. So what we're seeing now is, is pressure from the Senate, and we're talking about Senator Mark Warner here, um, to do more in, in response to quote-unquote Russian meddling. But what Twitter is saying, and I, 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 I think other social platforms will echo the same, the same message, is that they did not share that concern. Uh, Jim? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, keep keep in mind, uh, as Mark Warner's doing this, you've got Ro Khanna over in the House. Yeah, I used to work for Thomas Massey's his chief of staff. They're good friends. But Ro Khanna, again, he was pushing back against uh, that narrative and concerns about free speech as well. Yet, yet you have you know, people like Warner doing what he's doing here, just as perspective. Well, let me just bring Tara up. Tara, I've just sent you through an invite. Uh, should work before I continue yeah, reading. Mario, All right, let's go to number seven. Yeah, go ahead, man. If you look at the uh, the number of um, you know rough suspects that they said they manual examined twenty seven hundred, and then they only ended up suspending what like one percent with some possible links on another close to you know less than ten percent. So that that probably is the scope of the real problem. I think they probably did a decent job back then. It makes sense. So it's just interesting that that wasn't enough for them that they wanted more overt action, and that that kind of lines up with pushing a narrative versus looking at facts. It's just kind of a dangerous way to operate. Well, and and they didn't say that uh, all those 179 were for sure. They were just possible. That's that's significant as well, less than one. Well, a lot of times there's not a smoking gun on anything when you're, especially if they're doing this kind of examination. They're going to have to hit X number of metrics that's going to move them into that. So suspending one percent, yeah, that sounds about right. And then a couple of people that are on your flag list that you watch for later. Sure, that's I mean that's the way a lot of investigations go. You get a huge funnel of of reports, and then you get a small number of actual like credible subjects that you can move forward with. Okay, and do these numbers surprise you, the small percentage? Not necessarily. I mean, this was, you know, there was there was a big outcry about something. And if people think that, uh, I, I don't know, I just have a hard time believing that in 2015, 2016, as that election was going on, that so many so many opinions were changed by by Facebook or by anybody else, honestly. Like, I, like our country was already pretty divided the way that it is today. Um, we just didn't have as, as strong evidence of it and... and I don't know. I don't, I don't know how many people like we had some we had the October surprise of, of uh, the Hillary Clinton emails, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And the Jim Comey speech. And people always said that that moved the needle one way or another. But I, I think it just cut people right down to the side that they were going to be on. It moved them stronger to the places that they already believed. You know, it, it pushed people into the camps that they were on. So I, I don't know. It, it seems reasonable. that. So like it's, it's over over time before Ed jumps in. So essentially, Kyle, over time, censorship became more and more politicized. Well, right. I just don't think that we saw – yeah, I mean what you're looking at right there is a pretty reasonable look. It's like they, they identified 22 targets that, that they suspended, so be it. Um, if that's the number they saw, like we don't have access to their data, so we have to assume that there was, there was minimal meddling at that point. And if they had suggested some other things, you know, as we see the warmer relationship with the intelligence community, then you start getting this sort of uh, push by other people. And, and that's when you start having uh, other you know, hands on the button. I, I don't know. It's just – it's. It doesn't look surprising to see that there are only a couple of like fully functional, you know, Russian accounts uh, on Twitter at that point. He, but by the way, I might throw in here, and Kyle, you may have some insight. 
um, you know, this whole narrative of Russian Russia collusion into the 2016 election, which was still really hot at this time, um, you know, it it always felt to me, and I don't have any inside in terms of the intelligence community, but it always felt to me that that was just merely a narrative. You know, go back and harken back to the meeting that we now know happened in the Obama White House days before the inauguration in 2017 where they were literally planners, John Brennan, Obama, and um, uh, Biden was in there, and Susan Rice was in there. They were all in there apparently conspiring to cause problems for uh, the Trump administration, or so that seems and feels. I I just think, do you know of any talk in the intelligence community that this Russian meddling thing was any more than just a few bots that were doing this or that? Well, I think that the uh, the thing that we've always found is that the uh, the skills or the uh, techniques that are being used to undermine anything, whether it be public sentiment or elections or anything else, they're always uh, in advance, and the tech the techniques to detect them are always going to be a little bit in arrears. So we should be pretty fair. You know, the Russians have no problem trying to mess around with our elections. That's the nature of being a free society that we are, the free speech that we have. So people are always going to try to to screw around with the things and manipulate opinions that are favorable to themselves. So. You know, the Russians have been playing that game forever. And I think the Chinese do their own version of it. And I think that other countries do as well. So that that's not I don't think that's a like a real question in the intelligence community, whether or not there is a uh, an attempt to manipulate things to their favor. The question is, is how much of, a, of an impact did it make? And I don't remember hearing that people were, were that concerned. And I sat on the same floor where they did the Russia investigations like I, I the floor I sat on had China and Russia counterintelligence. But it doesn't mean that. It wasn't yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. I, I don't think I don't think it had much of an impact. I think people were already in their boxes. They already knew who they were voting for. And I don't think listening to somebody on Twitter who you don't know claim something or say something or push you in one direction is really going to affect you too much. Maybe a handful of people, but I don't think enough to ch- actually change the vote. Well, and, and I, I connect in in all my political work on, you know, I connect in a lot with the whole pro-Trump side. And, and you get some of these irrational discussions related to voters stuff in 2020 and, you know, different things. And it gets kind of crazy. There is some of that. But, you know, I think most Americans, they they rec- roughly recognize a bot. They may not at first, but then they start hearing it and it starts to sound strange and they change their mind. That's always been my experience. I, I mean, I don't even, again, there are always psyops. We do psyops, of, of course. So uh, going the other way. But um, I think, uh, you know, when you when you look at that, that, that's why I think this is really important in context, because I think it, it, it's they, the intelligence community has always known that these things take place. There are attempts like this. But now they're utilizing previous knowledge, real knowledge, and potentially turning it into something far bigger than it really was. I mean, you might let companies know there are certain things happening, but to get down this deep and to do this much work to try to shut it down in this manner, uh, you know, to me is, I think, a big red flag. All right, I'm going to get back to the um, to, to number nine now. So keep producing material. After meeting with congressional leaders, Crowell wrote, Warner has political incentive to keep this issue at top of the news, maintain pressure on us and rest of the industry to keep producing material for them. So we're seeing an, there's an email there from Colin Cornwall to Jack Dorsey uh, echoing that concern. And I won't read it all. We're up to number nine. So you can click on the on the thread above and go through it. 
I'm just having a quick look through it if it's worth reading. But I think the tweet summarizes it pretty well. So we're seeing, again, an increasing pressure and, and, and uh, the topic and the censorship getting more and more politicized as we discussed earlier. Number 10, taking the cues from Hillary Clinton. That's in quotes. Crowell added, Dems were taking cues from Hillary Clinton, who that week said, quote, it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels and live up to the fact that its platform is being used as a tool for cyber warfare. So, so Kyle and other panelists, like, do you think, and I, I'm just trying to ask as objectively as possible, do you think they were in, the, the, you know, the, the Democrats in this case, because this is obviously the Democrats putting pressure on Twitter in this case, um, and in most cases, really, as we've discussed in the early days of the Twitter files, are they legitimately worried about misinformation and, and meddling um, from Russia in the elections? Or is that just an effort to, to, to advance their agenda? I mean, I, I think it was legitimate, but I don't think it really changed much. I think they were concerned that Russia might be meddling and you want all the help you can get. And if the other side's getting help from Russians, you're going to want to stop that as much as possible, no matter what country it is, if it's China, if it's Russia, if it's Saudi Arabia, you're going to want to get as much advantage but as you possibly we, can. Well, we, we, we'll be curious to see what facts they have, because Twitter is telling them in this case that, hey, guys, you know, there isn't that, you know, we don't have that concern. The latter, I mean, it's really going to affect you too much, maybe a handful of people, but I don't think enough to actually change the vote. Well, and, and I, I connect in in all my political work on, you know, I connect in a lot with the whole pro-Trump side. And, and you get some of these irrational discussions related to voters stuff in 2020 and, you know, different things. And it gets kind of crazy. There is some of that. But, you know, I think most Americans, they, they rec- roughly recognize a bot. They may not at first, but then they start hearing it and it starts to sound strange and they change your mind. That's always been my experience. I, I mean, I don't even, again, there are always psyops. We do psyops, of, of course. So uh, going the other way. But um, I think, uh, you know, when you when you look at that, that, that's why I think this is really important in context, because I think it, it, it's they, the intelligence community has always known that these things take place. There are attempts like this. But now they're utilizing previous knowledge, real knowledge, and potentially turning it into something far bigger than it really was. I mean, you might let companies know there are certain things happening, but to get down this deep and to do this much work to try to shut it down in this manner, uh, you know, to me is, I think, a big red flag. All right, I'm going to get back to the um, to, to number nine now. So keep producing material. After meeting with congressional leaders, Crowell wrote, Warner has political incentive to keep this issue at top of the news, maintain pressure on us and rest of the industry to keep producing material for them. So we're seeing an, there's an email there from Colin Cornwall to Jack Dorsey uh, echoing that concern. And I won't read it all. We're up to number nine. So you can click on the on the thread above and go through it. I'm just having a quick look through it if it's worth reading. But I think the tweet summarizes it pretty well. So we're seeing, again, an increasing pressure and, and, and uh, the topic and the censorship getting more and more politicized, as we discussed earlier. Number 10, taking the cues from Hillary Clinton. That's in quotes. Crowell added, Dems were taking cues from Hillary Clinton, who that week said, quote, it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels and live up to the fact that its platform is being used as a tool for cyber warfare. So, so Kyle and other panelists, like, do you think... And I'm just trying to ask as objectively as possible. 
do you think that we're in the, the, you know the the Democrats in this case because this is obviously the Democrats putting pressure on Twitter in this case um and in most cases really as we've discussed in the early days of the Twitter files are they legitimately worried about misinformation and, and meddling um from Russia in the elections or is that just an effort to 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 advance their agenda I mean, I, I think it was legitimate, but I don't think it really changed much. I think they were concerned that Russia might be meddling and you want all the help you can get. And if the other side's getting help from Russians, you're going to want to stop that as much as possible, no matter what country it is. If it's China, if it's Russia, if it's Saudi Arabia, you're going to want to get as much advantage well, as we you possibly we, can. Well, we, 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 we'll be curious to see what facts they have, because Twitter is telling them in this case that, hey, guys, you know, there isn't that, you know, we don't have that concern. We don't share that concern. They shared that same view with the FBI. Um, yet they keep facing that pressure. We'll be curious to see if there's any evidence to back those claims. Uh, we'll go to Nelson, then Stephen. Mario, the latter. I mean, it's it's quite obvious now what the Democratic agenda is, right? We, we We've seen it. Right. We've seen it with the, the, the earlier Twitter files when it came to the 2020 election with the Hunter Biden situation. I mean, guys, tw- Twitter banned 20 something accounts. I mean, <laughs> we just read it in the Twitter files. Are you telling me 20 something accounts are going to impact an, an election? <laughs> Come on, man. It's <laughs> Ed, you know, I when love you, brother. But... Yes. No, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think it was what it impacted the election, but I think. I don't think Democrats knew how many accounts there were, and Twitter obviously found 20. Were there more? Probably. Did Twitter miss some? Probably. Uh, were there as many as the FBI said? Probably not. I think that's fair. I think you got to look down the line that there is, in fact, a cyber warfare campaign. That's a real thing. Um, it's it's often referred to as 5GW or fifth generation warfare, which is all psyop information. And we've been doing it since forever. I mean, that's just a it's sowing misinformation and sowing a discord in your enemy is what you always want to do. So people do that against us. We do it against them. That's normal. Uh, is Twitter probably a tool for that? Yes, it's a free and open platform. It's available to a lot of Americans. So all those things, they all line up. But as Ed just said, I think the uh, the impact of it is probably, at least at this point, it's pretty minimal. And when you're thinking about how stratified the, uh, the, the you know the political parties and, and people's leans were in uh, in 2015 and 2016. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to remember far that far back because we've gotten even more tight on those lines, I think. But uh, it, it was clearly that people were in pretty strong camps. I saw Stephen had his hand. Uh, yeah, before I go to Stephen, I just want to kind of echo another concern that we you know we've all agreed on both sides of the political spectrum. We've agreed that. Uh, too much centralization of power in those social platforms is a concern. And then once you see influence from the FBI, the CIA, and and, and now um, senators, it, it just shows that the power that these social media platforms are having is now being shifted to governmental institutions. So for me, that's the major concern: is that is the ability for those uh, for those governmental bodies or private companies. To, to advance their agenda through the, 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 the influence they have by censoring their users, Stephen? Uh, well, first, I think, firstly, seeing on the revelation that top Democrats freaked out about Twitter at the time not being full of enough Russian hysteria is, is a hilarious dynamic. And it's easy to forget when we look back at 2017, the narrative still very much uh, from the Democratic Party was um, that Russian interference and collu- Russian interference and its collusion with the Trump administration is the sole reason why he won. 
by their own standards, they would be considered election deniers. So I think that's also notable. And lastly, um, what this Twitter files drop has already showed us is that despite the meager results, Mark Warner specifically doubled down and said, hey, we've got to make we've still got to make a mountain out of a molehill here just to, to stay on narrative. Uh, before I continue, just fidget or Aaron, I'll, I'll give you the mic right after I read the next couple. Barbara, feel free to jump in anytime. Put your hand up. Suffer, suffer, no fool as well, Sam. Um, yes, first time on your panel. Feel free to jump in or put your hand up as well. Um, we'll go to number ten. Uh, actually, that, that's the, the taking the accused from Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know that kind of echoes a lot of the concerns that conservatives have had over the years. Number eleven, in growing anxiety over its PR problem, Twitter formed a Russian task force to proactively self-investigate. And I'll read the email that Carlos sent to, um, I'm guessing, Twitter employees. Thanks for being drafted to the Russia task force. That's being sent by Carlos from um, the Twitter executive team to, I'm guessing, another Twitter employee. For the next month, this team will be focused on, one, conducting a more fulsome retro of the 2016 election. Number two, preparing for open congressional hearings at the end of the month. Number three, telling Twitter's story publicly, including robust outreach to outside researchers, reporters, and members of Congress. Number four, evaluating evaluating whether policy changes are needed. So we're seeing Twitter take action based on that pressure. And they, you know, from a PR perspective, they've got big concerns, especially considering Twitter's employees are vast majorities left-leaning. I will reach out to the to teams to set up initial scoping meetings in the next couple of days. In the meantime, I'm sharing access to a working folder that includes some of the big questions we are trying to answer, as well as a full team roster. Um, before I continue reading, would love your thoughts on this email. Uh, Fidgetal and Aaron, you want to jump in first? Yeah, so what my concern is, is the lead-up. This looks like it's the lead-up to you know what is to come. And, and so my question is, why weren't these portals open up prior? to this by the FBI and the, you know, the collusion with Twitter. Uh, Fidget, I'll let you go before I bring in Ian and Tom. Go ahead, uh, Fidget. Thanks. I was going to start by saying thank you for letting me speak before Ian comes in so I could actually finish the sentence. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> um, so I think one of the most interesting parts of all of this is uh, it's kind of like the, the, the Bill Barr situation. We're getting fed this information for a reason, right? So everybody understands that we are being spoon fed information, albeit, uh, holy, uh, uh, hellfire. Like none of this should, should have happened. It's, it's, it's horrific. Um, but I'm really, really, really excited to see the full spectrum of, of information. Uh, we all know that, that politics is, is, is political warfare, right? So. We have to assume that everybody is trying to do everything at any point, and if you're not, you're behind, right? So I'm really interested to see what the right, uh, the middle, the left, the purple, the yellow, the whatever the fuck you call it. I want to see the whole spectrum of, of attempts to influence information. And at the core, we're just talking about marketing, right? And we're talking about the effectiveness of marketing. Um, it looks like the liberals, the, the left, uh, my people, um, <laughs> we're, we're able to effectively uh, impact uh, uh, social media and, and, and conversation. I'm super interested in the entire spectrum, spectrum of information. Um, because the fact is there's no goddamn chance that the Republicans, the right, the libertarians, everybody. And for anybody, I'll end with this. For anybody who thinks there wasn't Russian misinformation, disinformation, you're kidding yourself. There absolutely was. The question is what swayed or didn't sway or what are the impacts and what is the mud underneath? Ian, good to have hey, you, man. How's it going? 
Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to sleep. We're up to number 11. 11, eh? Okay, I shall read it. Yeah. Have you have you read them? Have you I read up to date or not yet? I sort of skimmed it. I saw that uh, Russia was mentioned quite a bit. Yeah, I let, I let Kyle. Kyle has been doing a good job in, in covering it with me. Kyle, do you want to give a quick overview for Ian and the audience, anyone that just joined, and what we've covered so far before Ian takes it over from number 11? Yeah, sure. So um, the premise is that this is going to show how Twitter allowed the intelligence community to begin their manipulation inside of Twitter. Um, we started off, we're back in time now, 2016, 2017, they're doing, uh, you know, some analysis and, uh, essentially we're trying to make sure that when Facebook got targeted in the news media as being potentially victims of Russian interference and Russian misinformation and so on, that, uh, you know, the first plan was stay out of this and let, uh, Facebook take all the lumps, which is a smart move. They kind of believe that the problem was much smaller on Twitter. Um, that turned out to be something that, when they did their evaluation in uh, September of 2017, they only found a small number of accounts. We've talked about 22 that were suspended and maybe another close to 200 that were possible, but not confirmed. Uh, this was upsetting to people like Mark Warner, and they talked about taking cues from uh, Hillary Clinton's sort of take. Uh, and then we've sort of gotten to the point where we're now moving into them creating a task force to get proactive. And for me, the reason they have this proactive task force, if you look at this email from Carlos, uh, number two, preparing for open congressional hearings. So the threat of congressional hearings is never a real good thing to be facing down as a, as a company. It's scrutiny that these platforms, I think, wanted to stay away from under. They wanted to maintain Section 230 and, and not be held accountable for any kind of conversations that were happening on there. So that's kind of what we're looking at. And that's where we've ended up. Okay. So like so far, what I've read, and I'll, I'll read 11 shortly. It, it feels like uh, the Democrats in particular were uh, intent on producing a narrative to back up Hillary Clinton's claims that uh, Trump was, you know, essentially manipulated into becoming the president, right? I mean, by, 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 uh, by the Russians, right? Like that, that is the narrative that they wanted to promote. And, in, you know, like they, they kind of did the Soviet thing where they, they, you know, you find me the man, I'll find you the crime. Like, you know, that, that is what they were doing. They were just trying to turn the Russians into a boogeyman in this case. You know, that's not to say that, you know, any state organization, I'm sure, like, you know, there's like a million of them are, you know, constantly trying to manipulate everybody else, for sure. But in, in this case, it's it feels like they manufactured the Russians as the bad guys here, right, in order to produce, to, to sort of collaborate with that narrative that, you know, the Democrat narrative that Trump was, uh, was in, in, you know, is like a Russian asset. And before you continue reading them, Ian, a question I asked the, the panelists earlier is, do you think that was intentional to advance their agenda or did they have legitimate concerns or a mix of both? I think it was intentional to advance their agenda. I don't think there were any legitimate concerns. I think that, you know, maybe some uh, congressmen were duped by this, you know, for sure, because, you know, to be a member of Congress, you, you don't have to be really smart. You look at look at look at the people in charge right now. They're dumb. So. No, I think the intelligence community, especially the ones who were, you know, who I would argue are um, on the same page as Hillary Clinton. They wanted her to win. They didn't like Trump being in charge because it means that they didn't get to do what they wanted. Um, I think that they definitely, you know, manipulated the whole situation to produce this, to get Congress to act on a boogeyman. I think that's what they did. All right, man. I'll let you continue okay. uh, from number 11. Right. So in... Uh... 
In growing anxiety over its PR problems, Twitter formed a Russia task force to proactively self-investigate. And I'll read the email. This is by... We did that. So that one, I, I read that, that email. One? Yes, we're up to number 12. Okay, yeah, my bad. 12. Up to 12. Right, so, uh, the Russia task force uh, started uh, mainly with data shared from counterparts at Facebook, centered around accounts supposedly tied to Russia's internet research agency. Now, if you're not familiar with the IRA, it's a supposedly uh, something that's run by a... Russian uh, businessman, uh, 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 God, I can't remember his name. Like it's such a PR, and he's like the guy who owns Wagner. Uh, that's the claim, right? I, I don't know if there's any like actual evidence for that. Uh, I just understand what I've read. Um, it says here, but the search for Russian perfidy was a dud, and this is the email, or rather the the memo that was sent on Wednesday, uh, October 11, 2017. So the TLDR, and thankfully they even put a TLDR here. It says. We have initial, uh, we have initial lists of suspicious advertising content. A lot of it is benign content. Need to further investigate before we can draw a conclusion. So that's the TLDR. They, they don't really have any evidence that, you know, the Russians are manipulating anything. Um, the executive status updates says, and this is an ads investigation, so they're investigating advertisements. The TLDR, another TLDR here is models uh, built that produce lists of tweets around, uh, found 8,000 around election content and a further 700 accounts with potential lists of accounts with Russian links. Deeper analysis required before determining if connection between lists and Russia. A group will do manual reviews with legal and comms around next phase to align on approach and narrow down lists to confirm connections and quantify. So like a preliminary assessment didn't really turn up anything. It was just more like they maybe suspected that some people were, you know, possibly Russian or whatever. And then number 13, October 13, 2017, uh, no evidence of a coordinated approach. All of the accounts uh, uh, found seem to be lone wolf type activity, different timing, spend, targeting, less than $10,000 in ad spend. So it didn't look like it came from any sort of state agency. This is literally individuals who may or may not have been Russian in origin, but no ties to like actual state activity, right? So no uh, actual evidence that they were participating in some sort of disinformation campaign. For all they know, it's just a shit poster or just a, like a legitimate business. We don't know. So here's the team. TLDR on Friday, October the 13th on 2017. TLDR says, we found suspicious accounts which demonstrate our investigation strategy is working. However, we see no evidence uh, of a coordinated approach. All of the accounts found seem to be lone wolf type activity, different timing, spend targeting, less than $10,000 in ad spend. The executive status updates for the ads investigation reads, manual review has begun with six accounts identified with some signal to Russia, uh, mostly login driven, and have been identified with election activity. Two out of six RT accounts already identified Deeper analysis required, but at first pass, it would suggest that these uh, are low-spend and isolated actors rather than anything significant. Please do not share beyond the group and link to top-level summary. There's no actual link here. This is the screenshot. Number 14. Uh, October 18, 2017, first round of RU investigations, Russia. Uh, 15 high-risk accounts, three of which have connections with Russia, and two are RT. RT is Russia Today. And this is uh, Wednesday, October 18th. There's no TLDR update, uh, but the executive status updates on the ads investigation shows. First round of RU investigation shared with legal comms and PP yesterday. Uh, the results suggest 15 high-risk accounts, three of which have connections to Russia, and although two are RT. Feedback was positive on methodology and approach. Key next steps are to document and detail the methodology, along with agreeing on the specific data points to share with legal and outside counsel. Outside counsel, okay. October uh, 5th, uh, October 20, 2017. This is number 15. 
Oh, there's another email here. Um, built new version of the model that is lower precision, but higher uh, recall, which allows to catch more items. We aren't seeing substantially more suspicious accounts. We expect to find around 20 with a small amount to spend. And this is the status updates, literally just um, what I just read. So he just like copied and pasted that. Number 16, uh, October 23, 2017. This is just uh, 10 days after the initial thing. Uh, the quote is, finished uh, with investigation, 2,500 full manual account reviews. So they investigated 2,500 accounts. And we think this is exhaustive, right? 32 suspicious accounts with only 17 of those are connected with Russia. And only two of those 17 are those that have significant spend, one of which is Russia Today. So that's literally RT underscore uh, um, .com, right? Like uh, that's literally their own account. <laughs> so, so it's like being quite direct there. Uh, remaining uh, uh, spent less than $10,000. And so this is the, the memo. Monday, October 23rd, day 14. So this is day, uh, day 14 of the investigation. The TLDR is finished with investigation. We have draft of two plans, which we'll review at 11 a.m. to uh, make a decision about a path forward. Uh, working to finalize blog posts or a plan B approach. The optimal launch window would be between Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday. Not really sure what plan B is. They, I don't think they've gone through that yet. Executive status updates on the ads investigation says exactly what I said before, but I'll read it anyway. Completed 2,500 full manual account reviews. We think this is exhaustive analysis. Out of this, we have identified 32 suspicious accounts and only 17 of those are connected with Russia, meaning that they have like Russian IP addresses. And only two of those accounts have significant spend, one of which is Russia today. And the remaining are less than $10,000 in spend. So barely anything. Number 17. Twitter search, finding only two significant accounts, one of which is RT, uh, was based on the same data that later inspired panic in headlines like Russian influence reached 126 million through Facebook alone. That's literally RT's account. It's going to have a lot of followers, a lot of people in, uh, you know, either North America, Europe, Asia, India, you know, they read RT. It's a like a legitimate publication. I've published in it, by the way, full disclosure. So number 18. The failure of the Russia task force to produce material, and this is in quotes, worsened the company's PR crisis. In the weeks after Warner's presser, um, a torrent of stories sourced to the Intel uh, Committee poured into the news. An example being Politico's October 13. Um, Twitter deleted data potentially crucial to Russia probes. That was a headline that Politico reported. Number 20, uh, quote, were Twitter a contractor for the FSB, they could not have built a more effective disinformation platform, end quote, said Johns Hopkins professor and Intel committee expert. You know, it's another expert, Thomas Ridd, told Plisico. So they kind of got the, uh, you know, they got, they, they, they handpicked a, a guy who would basically feed them a narrative, right? This is what they did. That's what Plisico did. Good, shitty publication. Number 21, as Congress threatened costly legislation and Twitter began uh, to subject to more uh, bad press fueled by the committees, the company changed its tune about the smallness of its Russia problem. Oh, interesting. So a Russian task force was put in place. Uh, wait, that's not that's somebody else replying to him. Number 22, quote, Hi, guys. Just passing along for awareness to the write-up here from the Washington Post today on a potential legislation on new FEC regulations that may or may not uh, affect our political advertising, wrote Kroll. And uh, it's just by Colin Kroll. He did an FYI email to a bunch of people at Twitter, including Sean Edgett and Carlos Monge and about seven more people. So you can't really see their names. 
He said, hi guys, just passing along for awareness, a write-up from the Washington Post today on a potential legislation or new FEC regulations that may affect our political advertising. So they were, you know, they were talking here about the bottom line. Essentially, they were worried that Congress, you know, or rather the Democrats and the Republicans, would stop spending money on Twitter if it had this reputation of being a platform for, uh, you know, Russian disinformation or whatever, right? So they had to do something. They had to manufacture an enemy to show that they were taking action against it. This is where the money comes in, right? They're literally pushed to doing it because if they didn't, they would lose all of their advertising. Kind of a big deal for them. So he continues, he says, the echoes, uh, this echoes the comments in our Senate Intel prep Q&A doc. So they were preparing for it uh, to talk to the Senate. And our uh, need to show a willingness to make some moves here ourselves. We will engage as necessary on this in Washington, D.C. as proposals are developed. And any new FEC regulations or legislation will likely take some time to effectuate, but I wanted you guys to have the context on of how Facebook's recent announcements are uh, uh, ginning things up here in town. And uh, this is a quote from the article. This is a screenshot that he attached to the uh, email. And after this, I, I think we should talk about all the stuff I've read so far. Uh, this is the uh, the article. It says, Facebook, Google, and Twitter face proposed bill targeting shadowy political ads. So... It's clearly a political hit here. And the article, the excerpt reads, Democratic lawmakers are pushing for new legislation that would require greater disclosure of political ads that run on internet platforms, despite a pledge by Facebook chief Mark Zuckerberg that the company would voluntarily pull back the curtain on political advertising on the social network. Okay, so uh, we're between two so far. So before I uh, read more, what do you guys think of all of this? Well, hey, here's the thing, Ian. Like, this is always the way the government affects whatever it's trying to accomplish. It doesn't matter what side of the political aisle it is. Uh, if you look at things, basically, it's it's a, a you know saber rattling threat of of legislation that's going to create some sort of uh, difficult to handle regulation, and so it it moves industries to self regulate. And I, I even remember when I was a kid, like they always talk about the way that uh, the Motion Picture Association went out and created a rating system for all the pictures that you could see, and they defined what rated R was and PG thirteen, and obviously that's all changed. They regulate themselves, and that's preferable in many ways because at least they still have their hand on the on the lever. But this is what these guys are doing. They're, they're out here. They're pushing, like you say, a narrative for action, the action we can debate whether it's good or bad. But they're looking for some action. And then the industry of big tech is responding by, by taking those actions internally, creating these sort of, you know, preparatory and um, investigatory teams inside. Yeah, makes sense. Right, guys? I mean, like, so I'll go first and whoever else can weigh in if you want to. But, yeah, it feels like they were creating a boogeyman. I mean, they literally openly talk about creating a, a task force to to effectuate this narrative, right? Because without, if they don't have a Russian boogeyman, someone they can go after and take action against, because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, RT was just serving as any other um, advertiser would, right? Which is to broadcast its platform, its news, and so on. That was all it was doing, it was buying ads. And and there's that's not disinformation. It literally tells you it's Russia Today and it's funded by the Russian government, right? So they went after that and they went after anyone connected to it so that they could, you know, effectuate that narrative to show Congress that hey, look, we're doing something. Please don't 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 regulate us. We're going to self-regulate. We're we're good at this, right? So that is my take on it. What the do you guys interesting, think? the interesting thing, Ian, is do you remember the uh, missile that hit Poland? Um, and was it was blamed on Russia immediately. Um, I would say that was Ukrainian disinformation at this point because it was their missile. It was a Ukraine missile, come to find out. But immediately it was being spread around and and uh, 
treated like some, like Russia had done it. So it's pretty interesting now that we're allowed to actually, you know, speak out loud about these things, how it sort of plays in favor of one side, but then when it's the other side doing it, it's kind of like, ah, no, hush, hush, hush. It's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. Very interesting. Oh, yeah. I find the difficulty here is because I definitely think there are instances where, I mean, and I, and I think it's more than a thought, it's provable, is that Russia does uh, try to spread, uh, you know, d- disinformation and things like that. They have bought farms. So that sort of thing happens. So th- there's a sense of like, okay, countries have our so sort of America. Sure, sure. But like, but (laughs) no, but, but let me just finish that thought. It's like, okay, so on the one hand, a country should be sort of allowed to, to defend itself from that in a way, because if it's just specifically disinformation, uh, and propaganda, it's, it's a type of, uh, you know, psychological warfare. But at the same time, you know, being able to discern that from something that's just somebody's opinion or information, that becomes really muddy. And so then how do we know that what's being, you know, censored or controlled in the narrative is actually, you know, disinformation versus uh, and that's and, and specifically propaganda from another country versus an opinion, you know, and that's where it becomes very, very difficult and, and to, to deal with. I, I think it's also important to try and figure out what a connection to Russia entails. What is Twitter actually looking for? Because most likely these, if you if you are Russian, if you have these accounts on Twitter, you're using a proxy or anonymous proxy, a VPN, and other ways to hide where you're actually coming from. So by connection, is it just like followers that are linked to Russia? Like, I, I'd like that's to know... Question. How they did, how they came up Maybe with they what they memes. said was a connection to Russia. Right. It, it's like, it's so nebulous, right? I mean, anyone can look at like a pro-Russian account. Like there's, you know, like for instance, Russians attitude. It's to my knowledge, they're not even based in Russia. I think they're based in Germany and they happen to be Russian people who are pro-Russia. They're, you know, I would say somewhat critical to Putin, although they're mostly pro-Putin, but they're very critical compared to what, you know, you expect from Russians, I suppose. But. You know, like they're promoting what some would say is anti-Ukrainian disinformation, but really they're just talking about the war, right? They're talking about the conflict, the special military operation, whatever you want to call it, wherever you stand on this issue. They're just talking about it. And yet they were like, you know, very recently when the when the conflict began earlier last year, uh, they were briefly suspended for like a month, right? Because they happen to be pro-Russia. And I mean... <laughs> Don't they have a right to be? I mean, they're Russians, right? So, and doesn't anybody, for that matter? I mean, they were suspending people. Left well, and right. I, I just had a, a whole debate about this with pro-Ukrainians, even though I'm I'm pro-Ukraine, yeah. you know. But specifically, they we were talking about it. They were discussing even imprisoning people, which there are some laws in Germany where if you support, you know, uh, you know, say you display a Z on your car or something like that, you, you should be imprisoned. Uh, now, like, I personally don't believe that, even though I, I you know, I, I have a different point of view than maybe some people in the room uh, on this particular war. But, you know, the idea that your speech, that your opinion gets you into prison is, is a very, very dangerous one. And this is where this kind of stuff can lead to. And that that that's concerning. It is. Yeah. And, and more on the Russia, you know, you mentioned bot farms. Here's the thing. 
they didn't find evidence of bot farms, of Russian bot farms, or even of like large scale Russian disinformation. The only uh, Russian account. Didn't they have like uh, people like literally confess in those videos? Like I, I've not seen on Twitter at least. Of... I don't know. I don't know about Facebook because I, I know that you know there yeah. there are like articles about there being like some Russian bot farm that was affecting uh, Facebook. I'm not sure if they're even Russian because I know like. Wait, so Ian, Ian, there wasn't Russian disinformation. Like that, that, that would be, that would be, uh, negligence by a country to not try to influence the outcome of global yeah, I was gonna, politics. I was gonna, I was gonna say like, it, I was gonna ask the same question. The it doesn't have to be disinformation. Yeah, they could just be but I think pro, they could be pro whatever cause, right? I mean, for instance, Russia, as we know, I mean, if you look at them now and you look at what Information they're putting out. There. Oh, Ian, I, 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 asked you a, I asked you a direct question. What, what, what do you mean? I'm just asking a question. What's the, what's the question? Isn't it, isn't it the responsibility of any country to promote its best interests, both financially and socially, and therefore do everything it can to promote its interests, whether it be through social media? Like, like, let's just be honest. Everybody keeps is it, on is saying it, it, we okay, do it. I mean, every, no, it's not. every country does it. Including lying and, and saying I'm not. Every so country. Let's just say you're armed with the truth, right? Let's say you're America. And, and I'm not talking about America today, which is like super woke and stupid. But like, say, Ronald Reagan's America. And you're promoting democracy worldwide. What is your best ad for yourself? It's not going to be how communism is evil. It's going to be how liberalism is good. It's about how freedom is good. It's about how being American is fucking awesome and you have random and everybody is freedom, everybody is fucking Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's, right? That is the best ad that America has, right, in the 1980s. That, w- that was the best ad that America had. That's the reason why so many South American countries rejected communism. Asia rejected communism because they were like, hey, why don't we embrace uh, capitalism? It's fucking amazing, right? And that's what they did, and, and it worked. They sold America by being honest about what America is. And and And... As somebody whose family is from the USSR and who was born there, uh, I will vouch for that because, uh, you know, the, the, the propaganda, you know, whatever you want to call it, propaganda, whatever was coming from the US and the radio that, you know, teenagers in Russia were in, in the USSR were, were listening to. Uh, they loved the music, the, you know, the pop music that was coming from the US. They liked the freedom, the movies. That's what was kind of appealing. That's what made them curious about the West. Yep. It was not this like anti-russia kind of sentiment exactly hey by the by the way don't forget in the middle of the iraq war is when al jazeera came over to the united states and and we were able to endure this sort of thing like like russia today you know you listen to a lot of their uh reporting in the time that they had any kind of a following around here a lot of it was just you know neutral news gathering and every once in a while it was was pro-russia but um you know it it didn't i mean you could tell what it was and you could judge uh by it but i mean al jazeera gave information uh from what was going on in the middle east and everyone there were people on the right there were an uproar about it i mean we could withstand those kinds of things because people aren't dumb i mean this idea that no one can look through all that and wonder what's really happening and what people's motivations are is just absurd your audio just say just before they continue your audio is um is is just really bad jim uh, i know you're outside walking um ian i've just sent you a course invite just fyi yeah. um and yeah before i go to tom just go i want to ask you that question again ian like do you <laughs> like I, I wouldn't be surprised if if almost every government um, leverages misinformation as as a as a as a as a cyber weapon. 
and and that includes Russia, among others. Like you can obviously you can use the truth as a I weapon, think, I think Russia but misinformation could be a more powerful versus China. You know, if you actually look at the modus operandi. Look at what RT puts out, right? Like, you can go to RT.com. If you have, you know, if you're not in Europe, you can actually still see it. If you're in America, you can see it, I think. You know, unless you're on, like, certain ISPs, which literally block it, which is funny that they block it. Um, and also, I mean, I'll, I'll get back to that point. But, like, talking about RT, I mean, you go there and you look at the news and, and look at the sourcing. You know, a lot of it is sourced to, like, Reuters or AP or they have, like, actual reporters on the ground that are reporting the same stuff that, that you know, that anyone who's reporting on the truth is, is reporting on, right? There's, like, it's, it's very hard for you to actually find something that's, like, a lie on RT. Like, I've never, personally, I mean, I read it and, I like, I don't see anything that's just, like, straight up bullshit or even, like, even partially bullshit. There's Aren't they government funded? They are, yeah, but so is Radio Free Europe. And Radio Free Europe, like, again, in my experience as a journalist, they tell the truth. That's what makes RFE, or RFERL, that's what it's called, right? Radio Free Europe, it's basically a CIA-funded operation, by the way. The reason they're so, like, believable is because they tell the truth. Compare them to, like, a propagandist operation, like, uh, I don't know, the fucking Independent, for instance, which is owned by, like, billionaire oligarchs, uh, like, Middle Eastern billionaire oligarchs. You can't trust the independent. They lie, right? You can't trust Politico. They lie because they have a democrat agenda, for instance. You can't trust... Um... Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they have... Like, like, RT they obviously work has for the an Russian agenda government. as well. Like, of course RT is an agenda. You can't They have an they agenda, like... yeah, and yet, and sure. yet, <laughs> by telling the truth, by telling the truth, I mean, they, they get out that information anyway. So, like, they don't need to lie about it. Like, that's... But they, they still have a slant. I don't they actually got a slant, but they got a they got a bias. Yeah, for sure. Like there's no yeah. Every, based on what, but Russia does. Sorry, just based on what you're saying yeah. from the from the Twitter files, Ian, I'm just curious: was there? Would you say a Russian bot farm like they claimed, no, not, or no? Is that That's, non-existent? He, he okay, so because I'm finding articles that people... Okay, because people are sending me articles about massive anti-Russia yep. bot farms that Plenty actually were those. discovered. Plenty of those. There's there's, right. there's pro-Ukrainian uh, bot farms. There's even like... There, there was an article, like I think from last year, like the middle of last year, where they said that the, the, the feds, the CIA, or the, maybe the DHS, ran a U.S. bot farm that was targeting... Uh, that was putting out anti-Russian disinformation, right? That's funny stuff, right? I mean... Like the, uh, right. just decided on it. And I will say that there is both, right? Because Russia certainly has put out, I mean, I personally, with my eyes, have seen Russian disinformation videos circulating specifically around the Ukraine. Oh, is there that is, but that is mostly individual. That's what I just asked Ian. That, so, Based on the Twitter files, it sounds like there isn't yeah, there both. Isn't, the, the issue is the, the Twitter files, based on this, is what they found. Well, that's wrong. Well, no, no, no. You don't understand it. Like, People put out disinformation, like individuals, actors, like people who are pro-Russia. I absolutely put out fucking disinformation. There's plenty of. But do you, do you think? Do you think maybe those farms are so good that we think that the people in Twitter could not spot them being linked because they're so advanced? No, they, they, but they, they could the still is, be really advanced. Farms. The, the, the thing that was claimed, and this is something that they actually found with Iran, for instance, they did actually find like a, a bot farm that was literally like buying ads, right? Maybe not in the Twitter files, but like for Facebook, yes. Like there was uh, an instance where they were buying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars worth of advertising to promote certain disinformation narratives, right? Like, like that is that is the thing that China does quite often, in fact. But with with art with Russia, it's mostly 
fucking users themselves who might put out disinformation. Like, I mean, how many times have we seen disinformation just like in the past week on any given subject? I mean, even on yesterday, you know, people were talking about the, um, uh, the, the, the athlete collapsing, right? Like there's like people are literally just pumping out disinformation on their own behest, but it's not on behalf of anybody else, right? Like no one's actually. I've actually seen in the official government uh, statements put out that were disinformation incorrect in Russian that I've read in Russian because they can read it and speak it. So I, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go to, if you don't mind, I'm going to go to Kyle, then yeah. I'll go to Tom and Tom and Nelson. But Kyle, I'd love your thoughts on this particular point about like, I'd, I'd be, I'd be I surprised. Libby, really quick, Mario, I think Libby was trying to chime in on the on that conversation as well. Sure, Libby, do you want to jump in before Kyle? Um, I just don't think that it's reasonable to say that it's, it's hard to believe that you can counter the fact that the U.S. spreads all kinds of propaganda by saying that the Russian government doesn't. Like, just because one group, of, you know, one group of government um, thugs or whatever are lying doesn't mean that the other group is telling the truth. So just want to be wary of that. I think I think I think that's well articulated. I'm not saying I agree or disagree. I just think that was really well articulated. Um, doesn't have to be binary one or the other. Could the Twitter files be disinformation? <laughs> I was about to say I think I the Twitter files is going to be 2022's <laughs> biggest misinformation shit across the board. Oh, man. oh no! <laughs> I've got I've got Yeah, he's like yeah, he's man. like April Fools. I'll, I'll go into depression for a year. Um, <laughs> it, ca- Kyle, what what are your thoughts on this point? It's a very touchy, touchy subject. Well, it's I mean, it's obvious that all governments are advocating for themselves. I think that point is is fair, and hopefully, it's universally accepted. Like that's what that's what federal governments do across the across this this world. They're out there trying to weigh in on other uh, circumstances. They're trying to advance that some of its state through mis- through misinformation or facts. Uh, it can be all those things. Like that, you know, as long as they're operate, like some of them don't have to operate within the laws of those countries. And and you know, if you can get away with not operating within the law, then you're going to push the envelope. If you're not cheating, you're not trying, is what they always say in in special operations. And and you know, a lot of these kind of things are run by psyops type people, so that's fine. Um, the the issue I think specifically in this country is that we have a couple of laws, and they're not very many, and they and they err on the side of free speech, and they err on the side that the public and the electorate has to make their own decisions. And if they're deceived by Russian bot farms or anybody else, it's their own damn problem. Like, it's your vote. You're responsible for it. You get what you paid for. Uh, if you didn't put anything into it, then you get nothing out of it. So be it. So we do have a couple of things that if particularly, like if state uh, actors want to come out and move their message forward, they usually have to ascribe to it. That's the, the nature of what FARA is and some of the other sort of uh, legislation out here. So there there are mechanisms that are in place that the, that the U.S. government has to use but the default position is is more free speech and that it should be a very heavy burden to go and censor someone that is, um, you know, that the federal government's going to come in and weigh down on that person to not have speech because you should have to have a really, really high burden of proof that that person is, in fact, operating not on friends and family members who live in Russia and therefore they are sympathetic to Russia, but rather that Russia is paying them or directly influencing them. It's really a dangerous game to play that. And so I, I would side down on the side of freedom, and sometimes we're going to get bad information. This whole mis- and different information game, that's all new. I mean, if you guys remember, like nobody said that five years ago. Like that's, that's, that's all that they put that into your lexicon to start talking about. We usually just call it lies. Like that was kind of thing. Trump called it, you know, fake news. But there's always been kind of a, an editorial bias or a narrative that's pushed by certain people that are trying to project some idea. So I, I don't know. I, I'd love it if we could get away from those terms only because I think they're garbage. I don't think they say anything 
they just sound nice and they're not really a real thing in most things in most uh, people's lives it's like the same conspiracy theory right they use it to shut down actual discourse i mean like our previous space you know when when uh when tom fitton said a bunch of stuff and by the way he's got his hands up so he should probably speak next you know when he just mentioned you know asked questions like what what did one of those guys do it immediately shot him down with claims that he was spreading conspiracy theory and fud you know it's like no he wasn't he was just asking a question and you prescribed like a million things to him that he didn't even say you know and and tom should probably weigh in on this one Tom, you're muted. Nelson, do you want to jump in on the Tom? Yeah, the, the, the oh, jails, you know, the irony is the Justice Department and, you know, these same people are trying to weave a conspiracy theory to put people in jail based on January 6th. I mean, the jails are full of people put there based on conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories are real in the sense that, it, you know, legally it's two people of, you know, with the um, I don't know the technical uh, definition, but two people with the with the plan, right? A and goal uh, you know, to, uh, you know and to use to use it as a smear in the context of discussions about government activity. It's designed to suppress criticism of government activity and corrupt government officials. That's typically what it's used for, you know. But taking a look at these files, if you Mario. You know, remember, Matt, you know, Senator Warner is on the Intelligence Committee. It was controlled by Republicans at the time. And Richard Burr had outsourced chairmanship, practically speaking, of the Intelligence Committee, the Republican, to Warner. And Warner was kind of leading the committee, in effect, uh, by pushing this anti-Trump Russia narrative. And what we see in these documents, and, you know, I've, I've read read through them, and we're going through them one at a time, I understand, is is gangster government. We have government officials demanding evidence or the manufacturing of evidence to justify uh, their Trump-Russia collusion theory that they knew at the time was false. And uh, they're, uh, so, so that obviously is a scandal. The other big takeaway from what we're seeing here today is that there, this is a devastating blow to the Russia-Trump collusion scandal. Because one of the pillars of that is that there was this massive effort uh, by Russia uh, to influence on the elections, and it did work. And what we're seeing from Twitter is that not only was Russia not a significant presence, uh, but, you know, obviously it wasn't, when you're not a significant presence, there's no way you're able to influence and I think we're going to find that also in Facebook if there's an honest analysis there, because the numbers they throw around on Facebook seem big out of context. But in terms of the actual number of impressions that places like Facebook and Twitter have, they're minuscule. So we had an immaterial activity by foreign actors allegedly to influence our elections. But, you know, when you look at it even more closely, you'll see that the pre-election activity was in, in many ways, uh, some of it went against Trump. And to the degree it went against Hillary, it could be argued that the Russians thought Hillary was going to win and they were trying not to undermine the elections, but to undermine Hillary Clinton's new administration at the time. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of big lies that are being exposed here. And uh, what we're seeing, again, gangster government uh, pushing this for information and the manufacturing of evidence and it led to the suppression of U.S. political content, because what followed from that was Twitter refusing to let 
people who wanted to advertise about public policy advertise. And then Facebook clamping down on such activity and then mislabeling it and and making it controversial. I know uh, when Judicial Watch advertises on Facebook, our, our content is is deemed political. And it's not political. It's public policy content about what we're finding from the government. We don't talk about, you know, we have to go after Democrats because they're Democrats or liberals because of their Democrats. It's 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 not political uh, advertising. So you've got this suppression uh, that emerged from this desperate effort to protect Hillary and to justify, again, we're talking January 6th again these days, disputing the 2016 election and the legitimacy of the Trump presidency. Um, uh, Tom, I've just got a quick question for you before I let uh, quickly Fidgetal reply, and then I'll give the mic to Nelson, who's been waiting really patiently. Um, the, the point that we were discussing earlier, would you – I think your stance from previous panels, your stance was that Russia's probably engaging in misinformation. Correct me if I'm wrong. I uh, would love to get your stance again on this. Well, I don't know what the Russians were doing. I, I don't think we've I'm had not, I'm not referring uh, – sorry, I'm not referring to this particular case. I'm just using yeah, it as I mean, a general you – know, The thing is I don't know what the Russians are doing. I'm not confident that we've had a competent analysis of or, or a level of certainty – about so-called Russia front accounts. Other than RT, all these other accounts are the basis of allegations that I don't know what the basis of it is for. And given the operations running against Trump, I don't know if they're even the ones that we presume are Russian connected aren't. Uh, you know, the question is Tom? for for I'll give you the mic in a bit. Let me I'll just give finish the, the point. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Let me just finish the point here. In terms of the law here. I don't know Russia if the Russia accounts were violating federal laws. I don't I don't know necessarily if that's the case. Potentially there was a violation of the terms of service of some of these providers in terms of having having these bot accounts, but as we learned from the last Twitter drop or the drop before that uh, the United States had similar accounts and Twitter looked the other way. Fiji, I'll let you respond before giving the mic to Nelson. Okay. Guys, what I'm trying to just engage in is an objective conversation. At every time when I engage in these conversations, if you ran a country and your entire country, right, there's only a finite amount of, of humans in the world. There's a finite amount of money in the world. There's a finite amount of power in the world. Your job as the leader of a country is to grab as much power, as much money, and as much people to fight a global uh, uh, cabal, a global game, right? So let's just stop with the, the, the allegation conversation. And I mean this uh, um, constructively. Every single country wants to do what Russia did, wants to do what US, the U.S. does, wants to do what every country that is able to make an impact, China the most effectively. So let's not say allegations. They did what is in their duty to their country to do. My question is, if we're having honest and, 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 and fair conversations here, is was wouldn't it have been in their incredible interest to try to sway a presidential candidate, every presidential candidate, to do their bidding or to affect their outcome? I, I just think these are conversations we're not having when we're sitting here saying they did this, we didn't do that. We all do it. Uh, I'll go to Nelson. Nelson, you've been waiting patiently. There's really not evidence of them actually doing anything, uh, though. I mean, just because it makes sense for them to have to do that doesn't prove that they did it. No, Ian, I said if, if you were if you were the leader of the country, what would you do? I mean, what would you do? I mean, like, we all do different things, Ex right? Exactly what Putin does. What does he do? 
He tries to make as much money for him, his oligarchs, his country, c- control his borders, expand his borders, become as rich as possible. It's it, it's this is yeah, not like to imply that he wouldn't do it. Do it? Like, I mean, where's the evidence that they ran every way bot every bots? way he can? You don't think he ran massive bot no. farms? You don't think he currently stole 140 million IRS private IRS docs that are encrypted? No, where's the and the US? Uh, so I know for a fact the founder of Bitrex currently is running a a quantum computing war with Russia before Russia can uh, can release the 140 million IRS docs they stole that they can't decode right now, but they're creating quantum computing so they can decode. And we're racing to create quantum computing to get ahead of him being able to decode it and dump it on the market. That's a fact. I can't verify that. Ah, fidgetal, fidgetal. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you can't verify it because you're only reading RT. You know, jab, take a jab, take a jab. No, no, yeah, yeah, first, Ian, you got to jab at Ed. Take a j- no, no, no. Before Nelson, do you, wanna, you, you got you got the right to jab back at Ed to make it even. No, it's fine. It, it's fine. I, I'm okay. not, I, I don't you know, got, you know, there are a number of things I could say to Ed. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these <laughs> Mario and Ian. I promise. I go ahead. Sorry, Nelson. Go ahead, man. You know, Ian and Mario, you know, these leftist loonies, bro. It's, you know, Fidgel and Ed, I love Right, but they're just so far beyond recovery at this point, brother. You know, it's 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 sad but unfortunate, right? But here's the deal: I guarantee you, ninety plus percent of the people in this room never heard of RT today until Ian just spoke about him from the Twitter files, including myself. Not to talk of the U.S. population, right? I mean, these guys have a ten grand ad spend on Twitter. <laughs> That's nothing. I mean, there's individuals that have more of an ad spend than than RT today, right? They don't have a U.S.-based audience large enough to manipulate an election. That's it, misinformation or not. You don't have an audience. I mean, if Joe Schmo on Twitter... (laughs) Catherine, if Joe Schmo on Twitter had 100 followers and was pushing Russian misinformation, are you going to come tell me Joe Schmo can manipulate a U.S. I mean, come on. No, but I and, don't think RT you know, is that insignificant. I also think because they, they, use they RT, are one hundred percent insignificant in the United States. They are one hundred percent insignificant in the United States. That's a fact, right? And for Senator Warner 100%. and the Democrats to go out there pushing articles with headlines like "Russia influence reached one hundred and twenty-six million through Facebook alone," based off of these Twitter files. It, it, it highlights their liberal agenda. I mean, the well, the numbers but, are exaggerated. I, I'm sure, 100%. but Ian, does it mean that Ian's articles reach nobody? I mean, that's but, really but, but 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 Catherine, but Catherine, do you know the result of exaggerating these numbers and pushing it like that to the public? Right. The results are as of today, people still think Trump is a puppet for the Russians, and that's as a result of what happened in 2016. Right. The Democrats painted a narrative which influenced millions of people across the U.S. to think the Russians meddled in our elections. That's the problem. That's the issue. Right. I mean, listen, these Twitter files, as of right now, from what we've read, they highlight a successful marketing campaign by the left to push their agenda. You know, so Fidgetal and Ed, again, I love you liberal loonies, but you're wrong, just like you're always wrong. Right, and if not for Elon, so, okay, so, we wouldn't so, know how wrong you are. 
Let's talk uh, about let, it. Let, let, let's get back to what Tom said about the collusion. There was collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. No, there wasn't. What, That's a wasn't, lie. There was no Tom, there wasn't any collusion. There wasn't a goddamn dose of collusion, so, Ed. So are you saying are you saying that Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort didn't give polling data to a Russian asset? Was no. Oh my FBI. God! What that is, what is polling data going to do? What is and admit it and Wasn't it the guy hired spies? literally by the FBI? Do you know, I have to do, do some business, but I, this is hilarious. I'll see you guys in a minute. I love you guys. No, no, no listen. Are you saying that didn't happen? Mueller found that no American knowingly colluded with the Russians. Okay. Okay. So Mueller found that no. So Manafort handed data to a Russian asset. But he didn't. But he claims he didn't know he was working for Russia. Right. Well, like, Mueller found that no one. So you know, that's so, no, so, that's, 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 that's done. Yeah. No evidence explain. to say for sure that he did. There was no proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Manafort knew he was handing this data. No, to no, there was no evidence. Exactly, there was no evidence any American knowingly colluded with the Russians. So I let Tom reply. That's what it says, though. Yeah, it is what it says, and and, so and it, that's it the that. fact. And you can pretend, you know, look, to, to say that you have evidence that someone knowingly oh, colluded with the Russian it. government without, with you know, just by saying, well, there's this guy who some consider to be a Russian operative that he was in business with and he was sharing inside info with that was about a poll somehow obviates the, the conclusion that there was no knowing collusion with the Russian government by the Trump campaign or anyone associated okay, okay, with so, it. So the, in fact, it goes broader than that. No so American no knowingly colluded that, with the Russians. Th- there's no proof beyond a reasonable doubt that Matt That isn't the standard. Me. That wasn't the standard. That is just what... It, that wasn't the standard in the report. That, yeah, no evidence. Was. Ian, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I'll go to Ian uh, just to continue with the with the other thing that that, that could that we could go on with this debate for a while. Yeah. Uh, but I'll let you continue. I've got people commenting. I'm just going through the comments. By the way, just the audience, bottom right corner, you can comment or read your comments, questions, etc. Uh, can you continue? How many more um, points is in the thread? I'm not sure. What drop? number was I on? I had to, uh, I, I, you know. It was twenty something. Does anyone remember? Yeah, twenty two. Thank you. Twenty two. Thank you for that. Okay, I'm just scrolling down to it and have to refresh the page. And but while you're doing that, while you're doing that, Kyle, uh, you're relatively objective on most points. Uh, do you want to give me quickly your take on on the debate between Tom and Ed until Ian gets to the to the point we're up to? I mean, the, the whole point about Russian collusion and whether or not uh, it was there and something that could be moved forward. I, I nobody went to uh, nobody was accused of that. Nobody like there's no crime in in collusion. That's the other thing. It's like that's not a real exactly. Crime. That's what I'm trying so to say. We, well, I mean, we can have a whole bunch of things. So I, I had investigations open into Americans who were uh, what we call contact cases. And that's when you have contact with a, with a foreign asset, whether they be an intelligence officer, whether they be someone co-opted by that country to, to try to peddle their information. So contact cases are a real thing, but they're not crimes. They're just information only. And so it's like we, we are looking for a threat. If a threat arises, if, the, if classified material is, is exchanged or if defense information, you know, some sort of convictable um, – you know, action goes, goes on, then, then fine. But the idea that you would, you know, deal with another country, um, and, and deal with them if you're running for the top office, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not crazy about it. I'm, I'm not like a, I'm not like a hundred percent MAGA kind of guy. That's not where I live. Uh, but I think that looking at the two options, like I was, I was more pro Trump after he had a, a term than before. So 
you know, I, I, I wasn't even involved in this election when it came out. I got hired in at, in 2016. I walked into the doors and what I saw was, you know, a fairly politically active um, movement on the FBI over these years. And, and so what we've also seen is that they were actively moving to get themselves involved in these, these tech companies. I think that's the story. So whether or not any of the stuff that was going on on the outside, I mean, if we think about what this, this drop is about, they're trying to tell us that this is how the federal government in multiple different instances and, and the FBI ran point. In fact, one of the, uh, the, the previous drops mentioned the FBI is the belly button, the umbilicus, right? The connection point that got the intelligence community into these big tech outlets. Um, I think that's the real story. And, for all those who are, you know, concerned that we're getting a curated story, of course we are. But that's what an investigation looks like. And some of you, some of you all may know that. You know, you've got a million pieces of information. Only about seventy-five or a hundred of them are going to actually construct the actual elements of what we're looking to say. And so you find them. There's always going to be some that are going to be a little bit, um, you know, that are going to mitigate, and some that are going to aggravate the situation. So I think that it's clear that the people that I think the people that are, that are dropping this information are trying to come at it from a fair point because they will be absolutely excoriated if they come in from a, from a huge political lean. Um, that that's just one guy's take on it. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the outside, but it's not, it's not a crime to engage with people who have connections to foreign governments, not in any way, shape or form. So I think it's really important to recognize that. You know, the irony is the, the, the most serious Russia involvement in the election was through the Clinton operation. That's right. Where we have str- strong evidence that not only was the Clinton operation working, obviously uh, a Russian alleged Russian agent helped write the dossier, but that Russia agent that the FBI knew was likely a Russian agent, the FBI was running as well. So the collusion was be- between the Obama FBI and then the deep state FBI under Trump to try to take out Trump, working ironically with Russians and other foreign nationals to do it. Uh, including, it uh, looks like, uh, uh, folks operating uh, it, uh, on behalf of Ukraine. Interesting stuff. Hey, by the way, to build off what uh, Nelson said, there are two sets of lies from that whole period that we are looking at. We're doing, and one we're looking at very closely and the other one not. The one set of lies is whatever it is that Russia Today or any other Russian bot said. And then the set of lies that said Donald Trump was a Russian agent, and Russia got him elected. Now, no one remembers a dang thing that anyone at Russia Today ever said pro-Russia at all. There's no one even probably on this uh, thing that could say that. But everybody knows exactly what these Twitter files show was being done to shut down information and then the whole narrative that Donald Trump is some sort of Russia agent. That, and that's really critical, I think, when we're thinking about this. Yep. I'll let, I'll let, just before you go, Ian, I'll let uh, Catherine or Ed just kind of respond to kind of balance it out before we continue. Catherine, you want to go? Uh, sure. I mean, I think just to that last point about Russia today, I will say, just because they weren't effective, they've been doing this for many years. And uh, just because they were not effective at that particular point doesn't mean they weren't effective in gradually building a very particular narrative. Russia today doesn't exist. Um, just it wouldn't exist if there wasn't an intention behind it. There's a lot of money that goes behind it, and it is facing the West for a reason. It's in English, and they hire high-profile people. So uh, that's that's something I want uh, people to be. Yeah. 
I'll kind of end it with just uh, Ian's uh, discussion we had earlier. You know, bias is not misinformation. Bias could become misinformation, but it's important to draw yep. the line. Um, but yeah, Ian, I'll, I'll let you continue the thread. There's not many left, so yep. we can kind of finish it off. Sure. By the way, is, there, is, there, is this the only drop tonight or there's another there one afterwards? There's another one afterwards, I believe. All right. <laughs> get your coffee ready, everyone. Uh, Ian, I'll let you continue with the thread. Yep, let's get through this one. Uh, number 23. Uh, in Washington, weeks after the first be- uh, briefing, uh, Twitter leaders were told by Senate staff that Senator Warner feels like a tech industry was in denial for months. That's a quote, right? Senator Warner feels like tech industry was in denial for months. Uh, added an Intel staffer uh, who said, quote, a big interest in political article about deleted accounts. So, and this is the, uh, the God, I, I wish he didn't quote them like this, but uh, his email, one, one reads here, friendly meeting with the COS, I guess chief of staff, said that uh, Senator Warner most focused on finding answers and doesn't have anything against the tech industry generally or Twitter in particular. Uh, it says that Warner feels that the tech industry was in denial for months and now feels that they understand the seriousness of what happened last year. So, you know, Senator Warner, he's got an agenda and his agenda is to create a Russian boogeyman so that they can go after it. And he was, I guess, upset that the tech industry didn't take it as a big deal because they found no evidence of there being a large scale operation by the Russians to, you know, promote disinformation. They could they could literally find like one account that wasn't disinformation, it's literally RT publishing its own articles, right? Like that was the big thing. So these uh this is the memo from the staffer. It says here the Intel staffer mentioned a few things. Quote uh, big interest in political article about deleted accounts and Twitter uh, and uh, said that the Intel staff may seek clarification writing uh, from us and they uh, need to know what data they could seek from us uh, or whether certain information is gone. By gone, you know what I mean, like deleted or whatever. So number 24, Twitter pledged to work with them on the desire to legislate. So the, Twitter basically was having its feet held to the fire by uh, Senator Warner, right? They were being threatened along with Facebook and, and Google and so on. They're being threatened to basically, hey, come up with your goddamn evidence or we're going to take action against you, right? Bye. Which is a, a bit of a shift from the earlier narrative when we first started going through the Twitter files that Twitter was intentionally acting. You know, we, we know the bias is there, yep. but they were resisting a lot they of those requests. But now we, we kinda... get to a, a fuller picture, right? Now we know why they were not resisting quite as hard towards the later part, right? Because in 2017, uh, uh, they were being pressured, right, by Congress to act. I like how the drops are like structured it's in like a, a way story, that it's, it's essentially like a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, like a movie. Like, like you, you, you believe one thing, exactly. Like they show yep. you one thing and then there's a little twist in the middle and then another twist it. later on. This is entertaining. I, like, I, like, I, gotta, I gotta like personally thank Elon Musk for this. This is so fucking entertaining. You know, it's like literally watching a really good movie. It's great. And it's like hours long and days long even. It's, it's awesome. New season. It's like a series, yeah, exactly, <laughs> Game of Thrones. New season just dropped. Uh, okay, so, quote, this is an email. I outlined our work streams, and they seemed content and looked forward to having us come and preview our testimony at the end of the next week with the Intel staff. We also pledged to work with them on their desire to legislate in the area of political ads. They indicated that the general model is, and it cuts off there, um, that's number 24. I'll read number 25 now. Uh, quote, uh, knowing that our ads policy and product changes are an effort uh, to anticipate congressional oversight, I wanted to share some relevant highlights of the legislation that Senators Warner, Klobuchar, and McCain will be introducing. I wrote Policy Director Carlos Monje soon after. And this is this email to the uh, about ads legislation to a bunch of Twitter uh, employees, uh, I guess his uh, co-workers. He said, all. Knowing that our ads policy and product changes are an effort to anticipate congressional oversight, so they were anticipating legislation here, right? I wanted to share some relevant highlights 
of the legislation, Senators Warner, Klobuchar, and McCain will be introducing tomorrow. The Honest Act. Honest is in all caps. It's like the Patriot Act. Right? It's nothing honest about it, but let's go. Uh, point number one, extends to paid uh, digital advertisements, the FEC requirements that apply to broadcast, radio, and print ads. And number two, uh, adds political matters of public importance, including national legislative issues of public importance, to the list of issues for which the FEC would require enhanced political disclosure, in addition to ads that mention the candidates directly. Now, if you're not familiar with what this is, so essentially, uh, and, and you might have noticed this if you're like in business and you, you're buying ads on, say, Facebook, for instance. Facebook is probably a pretty good example of this. Uh, in in the in the lead up to the election, about two weeks before uh, November four last uh, uh, last year, what if you wanted to buy an ad, and uh, if it was political in nature, you couldn't buy one after a certain period. There was a two week period where you couldn't buy any political sort of ads, right? So they didn't didn't allow any pack or super pack or anything like that, or even political candidates to run advertisements after that date because they didn't want to influence the election. And even before that date, if you want to run political ads, say in North America or in Canada or in Amer- the United States, actually particularly in the United States, because anywhere else they don't really care about this stuff. But in the US, if you want to run political ads or ads that are, are relating to social or political issues, you're not allowed to. You have to have a, sp- a specific like permission to do so, um, and this means political disclosures. If you're not an American, you cannot do it, right? Like for instance, if you're in the UK, you cannot buy political ads in the US. They just literally will not let you do it on any social issue. So you can't buy a. This is to prevent, say, you know, some rich billionaire leftist from funding Black Lives Matter in the U.S. And that, that's that's a friendly example, right? But likewise, they wouldn't allow some, you know, far-right French crypto uh, uh, mogul to fund, uh, you know, pro-Trump ads, for instance. Or Russian. Or Russian, yeah. For, yeah. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? It's legislation that, that kind of makes sense, right? I, I'm not opposed to that. I think this is fair. This doesn't, this basically prevents political actors from outside of the United States from, from being able to do these things. However, however, I will say that if you're in the US and you are a PAC or super PAC or something, you can totally 100% do that. You can spend as much money as you want, which is exactly what they do. Right, so there is a certain monopoly on who gets to spend. It's the Coke brothers. The Coke brothers get to spit their libertarian bullshit all the time, and they spend a lot of money on these ads on Facebook. Just look at it. Right. Likewise, the Sunrise Movement does the same thing on the left. Sunrise Movement is tied to George Soros. He does the same thing. You know, Open Societies Foundation and all of its offshoots. So Coke Foundation, uh, David Brock, like all these guys, they're hundred percent doing that every single day. You know, so like we talk about disinformation a lot in here, and yet. These people are openly doing it to all of us, you know, not just to like Americans, but to the whole world. We're seeing political disinformation ads every single day, and it's being put out by activist groups. It's mostly 100% activist groups, whether it's the Koch brothers on the libertarian right, or it's going to be, you know, Sunrise Movement on the left, or it's George Soros, for instance. So, anyway, uh, number 26. The, uh, the committees appear to have leaked, uh, and even as Twitter prepared to change its ads policy and remove RT and Sputnik to placate Washington, Congress turned the heat up even more, apparently leaking the larger base list of 2,700 uh, accounts. So basically, Congress, somebody in Congress, uh, leaked that list to journalists to basically say, hey, look, there's 2,700 suspected Russian accounts that are taking over Twitter or Facebook or whatever, right? Like, that. this is to basically... 
pressure them into acting. Uh, this is an email from Carlos uh, Monje again to a bunch of Twitter people, including Colin Crowell. And the subject of the email is Wall Street Journal Inquiry, Twitter Disclosure of Russian Accounts. And the email reads as follows. Um, will do on House Intel. The committees appear to have leaked the account names uh, based on uh, reporting of experts combining through, uh, sorry, combing through the list and revealing new info uh, like on Brexit. So that is the email there. And it also CCs Sean Edget. So number 27, uh, reporters from all over started to call Twitter. They, they call them up, you know, like they ask them for, for comment about the Russia links. BuzzFeed in particular, uh, working with the University of Sheffield, that is a British university, claimed to, quote, find new network on uh, Twitter that had close connections to Russian bot, uh, bot, uh, Russian linked bot accounts. And so this is an email uh, from Nick Pickles. What a funny name that guy has. Uh, he says, hi, team. We've had the below request in BuzzFeed in the UK. Can we run an analysis on the accounts ASAP? Thanks, Nick. And this is the forward. Uh, it says here we've been, this is in BuzzFeed. It says here, we've been working with some researchers at the University of Sheffield, UK, to look at some of the tweets from the list of accounts submitted by Twitter to the US Congress in connection with its Russian electoral interference probe. And number 28, quote, it will only embolden them, end quote. Twitter internally did not want to endorse the BuzzFeed or, uh, sorry, the BuzzFeed or Sheffield findings. And this is an email written by Yul Roth. He wrote to his uh, the people in the email, which uh, their names are blanked out. He says, these are definitely bad accounts. And based on their phone carriers, they have signs of being connected to Russia. Once we've settled on a press strategy, we can and should suspend them all. They were going to ban these guys. Uh, but they almost all were principally active in German. And a while before that, some were active in English around Brexit. Rather than related to the U.S. election, there is no especially clear sign that they're even necessarily linked to the IRA. The IRA is, again, the Internet Research Agency. is supposedly a Russian bot farm, right? But none of them appear to be. They're just typing in German. So... Who knows? And he says, he continues, he says, I think we need to get at their questions by emphasizing the limited scope of the 2,700 accounts we specifically identified to Congress in context of IRA accounts involved in the U.S. election. We also uh, reported to Congress on accounts, more Russia-linked accounts, sorry, on thousands more Russia-linked accounts, which we couldn't deterministically say were IRA-linked, and therefore, in the interest of protecting the privacy of users until we're very confident they're IRA-linked bad actors, we didn't disclose all the hand we found as part of our review. So essentially, you have a bunch of suspicious accounts, right? Or what they deem to be suspicious. But for all Yol knows, and he even admits in this email, they could just have been people, right? Not linked to anything at all, but just to normal people. And he didn't want to jeopardize their privacy because, you know, by putting them on a fucking list, for instance, you're essentially saying that this random person could be Russia linked. But for all you know, it's just a grandma who, you know, uh, likes Russia or something. So he continues, he says, I'd prefer not to ask the reporters at BuzzFeed for their methodology. It will only embolden them, and it indirectly undermines the credibility and authority of our own approach. Furthermore, they will chart the correspondence in their follow-up. For example, and he uh, makes like a quote here of something they would say. They would say, well, you know, Twitter asked for a methodology, which... Uh, has resulted in more suspensions. This calls into question the effectiveness of their own tools. Like, he was predicting what the media would say. He's not wrong. 
He's not wrong. This is exactly what the media does, right? They basically try to bait Twitter into this. And so uh, he says, agreed. Another outlet or reporter, might uh, I might feel differently. But they, as in BuzzFeed, have been fairly adversarial and gotcha on this. And I'd rather have a, as uh, light a touch as possible with them. So he didn't trust BuzzFeed to be fair to its reporting on Twitter. It's clearly they've shown a uh, anti-Twitter bias. I mean, this is evident in their own reporting, right? And he's not wrong. Ewell is actually defending the company here. Good for him. Uh, number 29, quote, Senate Intel Committee is asking, possible to whip something together? And that's the end quote. Still, when BuzzFeed, uh, when the BuzzFeed piece came out, the Senate asked for a write-up on what happened. Twitter was soon apologizing for the same accounts they'd initially told the Senate were not a problem. This is the email sent by Yule Roth. He says, yep, we'll work on something now and share with the group for feedback shortly. And then uh, he, uh, Carlos Monge is also in the same thread. He says, Senate Intel Committee is asking for a write-up of what happened with these accounts from our perspective. Possible to whip something up together? Okay, so uh, number 30. Quote, reporters now know this is a model that works, end quote. The cycle, and this is Matt Taibbi saying, the cycle threatened legislation with it to scare headlines pushed by congressional and intel sources, followed by Twitter caving to moderation asks, would later be formalized in partnerships with federal law enforcement. So this is where we get to the meat of this drop. This is where they were like, they started to get super fucking tight with the FBI, with the DHS, with the CIA, because they were basically brute forced into it, right? They were like, they had, they were strong armed into it. They didn't want to play along at first. At first they were, you know, interested in protecting uh, their users. They're like, Yolrov, to his credit, was actually trying to defend uh, Twitter's users, but at some point, they kind of realized they lost control, right? And this is when they lost control. This is the email that, uh, that, that someone wrote. That he doesn't mention who, but it says here, Hi, everyone. Given we've now all uh, suspended all accounts, we will take the hit in the press that moves from BuzzFeed to more establishment publications. We'll work to contain it. Uh, relatedly, we uh, ex- we can expect more investigation of accounts that are tangentially uh, associated with the IRA handover to the U.S. committees uh, buoyed by ac- academic brand names. Reporters now know that this is a model that works. Basically, they're being bullied by the journalists. The journalists were essentially, right, and this is very crucial that we, we point this out. They were acting on behalf of the Intel committees and the Intel committee at the time, you know, as, as mentioned by Tom earlier, although it was chaired by a Republican, he basically gave the chair to a Democrat to do as he, as he would to promote a, a very anti-Trump agenda. And this is what they did. The journalists were working hand in glove with these Intel committees. They were being leaked information, which they would then use to write articles. They would bully uh, social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and, 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 you know, and so on and Google uh, into doing what uh, the Intel committees wanted wanted them to do, which would be to promote this little narrative. So number 31. Twitter. Oh, hold on, guys. There's a, he has a second drop as well. So just yeah, we're up to, yeah, so we're up to number, well, there's 31. up to 40 now. Ian. Yeah, I'm up to 31 now. So I'm going to read 31. Yep. Twitter soon settled on its future posture. In public, it removed at our sole discretion. Privately, they would offboard anything identified by the U.S. Intelligence Committee uh, community as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. So, like, they, they they basically found a way to brand this, right? And so this is the uh, the memo that they sent out on the external offboarding policy. Uh, your use of Twitter services are subject to Twitter's ads policies available at twitter.com slash ads policy. The Twitter rules available at twitter.com slash rules. Twitter terms of service available at twitter.com slash TOS and other agreements you have with Twitter and our legal obligations. If we suspect that an ad is in violation of our rights, agreements, or policies, we may stop the ad from running and in some cases, including but not limited to multiple or severe violations of our rights and policies, or if you engage or are suspected to be engaging in any unlawful activity on our service, we 
we, as we determine in our sole discretion, we will suspend or terminate your account. And the internal guidance reads, any user identified by the U.S. Intelligence Committee, uh, community as a state-sponsored entity uh, of cyber uh, operations in, uh, against targets associated with the U.S. or other elections or an entity associated with such operations shall not be allowed to advertise on Twitter. So they had two separate messages here. 32. Yeah, we should also so, notice, though, it doesn't say what the standard is that the United States intelligence community is going to be identifying these accounts correct. with and what's the burden of proof that they have to have and what sort of disclosures were they doing? Because a lot of this information, if they were able to actually conclusively tie it, is absolutely going to be classified at a pretty high level. It's going to, at the minimum, be secret, no foreign. Some of them may be top secret because of the, the sources and methods used to identify them. You know, so they're not going to put this stuff out there. So at some point, uh, with this sort of internal guidance, you're looking at something really dangerous where, once again, you're going to have to just take our word for yep. it. And that was part of the, what we see, I think, later on, or we've seen previously, but was later on in time, yep. was them getting them to kind of come along by the nose by, by giving them some special privileges and reading them into certain programs and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and that gets buy-in. So, I'm, I mean, these two messages, I think, are, are pretty interesting on that. But the bottom concerns me. Yeah, it's like they, you know, they, they would literally be handed a, an Excel sheet of 5,000 accounts and they would just ban everybody, no question, not even an investigation, right? Because at first they would have done investigations, but at that point they were like, "Okay, let's just do it." It was strong. Well, and also, like, what what was the club that was that was wielded? It was the threat of legislation, which which everyone should just be aware of. Like, the legislation costs money. It costs money internally because regulations require litigious people to to follow it and to make sure that they are in compliance. So your compliance is expensive. It it always is going to have some sort of associated cost. It's way easier for them to work within you know, terms of service that they have created themselves or, or, you know, operational guidelines that they're running within the company. So all these things are under threat of you're going to spend a lot more money and, you know, potentially lose money from some of the groups that are affiliated with these political, uh, you know, entities that are out there, whether it's going to be DNC, RNC, so on and so forth. That's right. Yep. So we're almost done here on this drop. Number 32, Twitter let the USIC, USIC, into its moderation process. It would not leave wrote Crowell in an email to the company's leaders, quote, we will not be reverting to the status quo. And and I'll read the whole email. It's pretty short. It says, overall, my sense is that the political terrain has shifted in Washington in the run-up to these hearings. Uh, the tech industry is going to get a lot more scrutiny and questioning, and we will not be reverting to the status quo ante in D.C. soon. So the status quo is essentially they're free to do what they want. They're free to self-legislate. They're free to say no. To uh, to these intel committees, they're free to say no to the government. That you know they're they're going to defend the rights of people's privacy. Like like honestly, what Elon Musk is doing right now is the status quo. It used to be the status quo before Congress took over the company. Right, that is that is what's going on. So that that's the end of that Twitter drop. And he said, uh, check out uh, Barry Weiss, Schellenberger, Elish Fang, and David Zweig. Um, and then there was another thread. So as you as some of you mentioned, uh, he has dropped another a second thread. Yes. That's right, he has. So I shall start reading that. If you guys are ready, unless you want to uh, reflect over what we just uh, learned. Well, I think we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get Jim. I see you on mute as well. Let's just get a, a, a few opinions on what was discussed so far, your thoughts, just for the audience to better understand and get the different perspectives before we go through the second thread. Yeah, Ian, I, you, I, might, you might, you can prep a quick coffee in the meantime. Yeah, I will. I, so yeah, really. Totally do that. Uh, it, I think, in summary, what we just, what this thread ended up doing. It seems to me, and, and someone contradict me if I'm missing this, is that we we just were given the point at which this became an official government operation. They got overwhelmed. They got pushed on. They got directed. Um, 
they that and let's not underestimate the possibility although i'm not making the specific claim because i don't know but the possibility they stick buzzfeed on them and so that that they get that extra pressure because they saw the door being able to close and now it's an official government operation and 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 that's what's really scary and even if i'm not precisely accurate about that it's close enough to it that we are seeing at this moment that the federal government was significant has been significantly influencing uh, the the discourse in this country and and don't forget they were having this conversation with Mark Zuckerberg Zuckerberg didn't like dump it all on the floor when he did the Joe Rogan interview but this is in effect uh, substantively what he was referring to when he was talking about they had come to them and said there could be drops of this or that thing that seemed to allude and I didn't think as clearly as some others but seemed to allude to the uh, the Hunter Biden laptop thing. So th- that's, I think, what we just learned today. And it's a scary prospect. And I, th- it just makes me more glad that uh, that Elon has endured this to get to this point, because we'd never know any of this if it weren't for that. Uh, Kyla, uh, yeah, exactly. I see you on mute. Perfect. Yeah. You know what? So I think, I think Jim's overplaying that hand just a little bit, brother. Um, I think you're moving a little bit too far with Someone muted everyone by accident. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, fair enough. So what we have done, though, is we've seen a a company sensitized to actual recruitment. So I I don't think we've crossed through the door that you're saying where it becomes a a government activity or that there's there. That's so obvious. But what we have seen is that there's been, um, you know, it it would be in your interest. It's coercive. Uh, You you might as well comply with us because you've got this heavy threat above you, which is going to be expensive and it's going to be a pain in the ass to, to maintain. And so that is a um, that is not exactly quite the same thing as saying that they have been fully recruited. But I do think that we have seen the setup for it. So I just don't think we're as far. This is still like we just saw the prequel, you know, and they're they're explaining how we ended up in the in the the later files. But it would be I think it would be overstating what we just saw to say that they were fully recruited by this point, because we even saw later on that uh, some of these guys were still resisting and pushing back until the much later, you know, aspects until even recently in this last midterm election where they were just kind of gung-ho and they were on team, you know, team intelligence community. So I, I, I think it's a nuanced uh, discussion, but I think we should try to be as accurate and precise as possible. The second I, half, I agreed with what you said. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I solicited any correction, but, but I think in effect, even if it is of the nature that you described in effect, that's functionally what we're seeing happening as of this, in my opinion, I mean, I would still maintain at least that aspect of it. If they're willing participants, and not truly being uh, run by them, I, I can I'll, I'll accept that distinction because I think it's a fair one. But right now, you, you can just see in in this drop, it seems to me at least that they're they're giving in. I mean, they've 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 now coerced them to some level of um, of, of participation where now they can roughly pull the trigger at key times, even if they can't pull it every single time. Um, really quick, Mario, I wanted to let you know, I invited Reeve to the space. I think he's listening. Reeve, if you leave and rejoin through the link I sent you, it'll allow you to come up. He hasn't uh, been on spaces before, but he is a retired uh, U.S. attorney, uh, federal prosecutor. And I think he would be able to contribute to what we're discussing. Kyle recommended him come in. So if you can, Reeve, just leave and rejoin through that link. 
Um, hopefully there's a spot up here. You know, in terms of the question about uh, the issue of whether Twitter is operating as a government act- actor here, you know, uh, people will draw their own conclusions. But when a senator tells you, I need you to find some scalps, and you come back, well, we have these, and the senator says, that's not enough, and you come back, well, how about these? You know, that that's, the you know, the, the, there's no distinction, in my view, between the government actor uh, you know, the government official and, and the private actor here. Well, Tom, and so Twitter was acting at, at the behest of senators, at the behest of congressional officials. They were going and investigating users. You know, the presumption can't be they were all Russian bots. You have to presume they were Americans. And, and they were being punished. So it was because of Senator Warner acting at the behest of Hillary. That's and Twitter knew that was that what it was all about. It wasn't like Twitter was oblivious to this. They knew they were being pressured. And yet they were willing to do they were willing to act at the behest of these government officials to release to release this pressure from them. To relieve this pressure. And you know, we do know that it became rather explicit. They were they literally gave them backdoor entries into their system for further censorship. Uh, but, you know, remember, uh, in, in terms of the history of the censorship on big tech, it began with this partisan lie that the Russians were coordinating with tr- Trump. And one of the ways that they were pushing to help Trump was on these platforms. And it was a substantial, massive effort. And it was based on that lie that got the big tech companies into the game of content moderation much more aggressive than they've been in previously that led to the kind of overwhelming censorship in a run up to the 2020 election. Uh, so uh, this is how we lo- this is how we lost our first amendment freedoms online. This is these are the origin documents in some respects. I I agree with most of what you just said. Um, I think it's worth noting, too, that we're talking about sensitizing someone and getting them sort of in uh, basic tasking. I mean, this is pretty typical for for source recruitment. You start tasking people. You see if they show up with what you want. It's that, you know, go give me some scalps, as you you mentioned. Uh, They come back up, and it's not enough. And so now now they're working to try to please you and all these kind of things. So there's a lot of human psychology that plays into those things. But this is a Democrat. This is a senator doing it. I mean, this, no, I agree. This, yeah, this this is, is, these aren't FBI officials. I mean, this is these are goombas in the, the senators, for sure, and, acting and like, like gangsters. It's, it's the entire it's the entire apparatus that's working. And as you know, I think as people knew, the you know the acting director Andy McCabe was was taking money from the Hillary Clinton campaign, or his wife was for her campaign. So there are ties that kind of make a lot of these things uh, much more suspicious. And and since they haven't been adjudicated anyway, you just I'll just leave it out there for people to read and know. But I, I agree with you. They're sensitizing them to, to follow. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's a senator doing it or an FBI agent who's recruiting the source. They're recruiting a, an actor on their behalf. And that's what we're seeing. I, I still think we're kind of in the um, we're seeing the shadow of, uh, of Vader behind Anakin sort of thing. We haven't seen uh, Anakin start taking swings on his own and doing his own deal just for all the Star Wars uh, types. It's that that's where we're at. It's like, And this is all the preface. And I think we'll see some of the stuff because Taibbi is referred to the, Kyle, the FBI. Come on. Kyle, you think this? I mean, you use the word sensitizing. Yep. I mean, I mean, that's being. Don't you think that's being charitable? I mean, you had partisan Democrat senators uh, at pushing 
uh, and, and Congress pushing these folks to remove people from the platforms. That's not sensitizing. Well, what we're seeing here is they didn't, like I say, if, if, unless we can tie a direct line to the senators and BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed saying, hey, look at these accounts. What we're seeing is people being prepared to act, looking and, and they're looking to see where's the weak points. They're, they're testing all the, the, the apparatus. And then I think they eventually did. I mean, I, like I say, when, when we see a, a full Excel spreadsheet with you know, thousands of names on it, then that's that's compelling action. There's no question in my mind about that. That's the government weighing down on it. I'm saying specifically at this time that we're looking at. So I'm making the nuanced argument that what we just saw today is, and the argument that Taibbi has sort of laid out for us is essentially that this is what primed them to to let him in. I think he proved that that case, or at least he makes a strong suggestion that that's the case. And I think when we get into the belly button thing, he's he's referred to the FBI as belly button to me before. Um, I think that's kind of it's, it's kind of gross. They have a hideous. Uh, uh, you know, photo or, or whatever you call it, like animation that goes along with this thread. But th- we didn't see them cross over from one to the other. I think he sh- he proved the point that, that that's how they got in the door. And so I think that's well, kind of what I, I'm saying. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure I understand what he means by the belly button metaphor. What what? Forgive me for being thick. I, what I what does he mean? We're going to find out when it rolls out. But <laughs> I, Kyle, what's really, what's really valuable about what you're saying, Kyle, is that you are coming from a perspective that I think everyone on this call needs to understand how what's the nuts and bolts of how this rolls but what mark warner is doing here is it seems to me at least is very similar to and not nearly as severe as but similar to what you see sometimes in some movie where you've got some politician who has a lot of power and influence pulling the strings uh behind someone's operation i mean that's really what this looks like now i'm again i'm not saying it's as extreme as some of the real dramatic examples that are on television but it, but it feels sort of like that i mean this is well, pretty i mean it, it looks it looks a lot like a protection racket right it'd be a real shame if something happened to that company you've got there we'd really hate to have to go do some regulation you should probably jump in exactly that's what which, which like by the way that's how no, government no works listen i spent eight years in dc tom's around this as well he sees it every day longer than i have i'm just telling you this kind of of uh, an effort to make people feel uncomfortable to get done what you want, by the way, is, is why we're having this thing play out today in the house. You've only got 20 people voting against or not voting for McCarthy here, but you got a whole bunch of other people who are threatened by losing their committee assignments and losing some power base. And they're not voting the opposite way of McCarthy and McCarthy's not budging the other way. I mean, that's the, that's another example of this, this kind of influence game that really lays out uh, threats that are, that are, they're given in a way that doesn't seem as directly threatening as they are indirectly. I mean, that's, that's the way it's playing. And this is the dirty part of politics that Americans hate. Uh, I do want to quickly update Ian. Ian, before you take over, did you see the message by Nick in the group? Uh, yeah, I saw it. At, yeah, the, the fire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, worth mentioning. But uh, I think uh, people are going to pretty go crazy with different theories around oh, that. I'm just trying to verify it. But he's yeah, yeah like just to, just in case the story wasn't uh, uh, wasn't polarizing enough. Yep, it's going to make it a bit harder. So fire, uh, but yeah, just the, the so the news. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, where where Damar Hamlin uh, is uh, is uh, recovering and hopefully recovering, he's in critical condition. Yep. 
but I'm just seeing the news. I can't find anything on it. I think it's all um, new. It's all new that just happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's insane. Yeah, just a few minutes ago. Mm. Oh, hold on. He sent a video as well. There's a video? Whoa, no. Yeah. Did you watch it? Is there fire? No, there's a fire there's alarm. There's a fire alarm. So fire. Somebody pulled the fire alarm, yeah. I mean, they got to treat it like a real fire, so they're definitely going to evacuate the, the hospital. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's an actual fire. I mean, it remains to be seen. That's up to the fire investigators. Okay, so... Well, I'll let you continue can with the job. Nick, can we get Nick back up here? He's there, currently. Oh, well, I mean, oh, shit. Twitter block. I mean, Twitter drop, so... I don't know. Um, uh, uh, yeah, we should... Probably... Hey, Nick, John, you gotta, I'll let Nick give us a quick update, Ian, and yeah, then we'll yeah. continue with the job. Nick, just, uh, just a quick update, man. Is there a fire alarm, or is there a fire at the hospital? Uh, no, there's a fire at the hospital, and the uh, the sub-base... They, they just kicked me out, so... Oh well. Um, so that's. Ah, oh, but that's it's confirmed. It's confirmed to be a, a fire. Yes, but I mean, it's in the sub basement of the hospital. It's not, you know, I so, sub basement. Yeah. They're, they're they're not putting they're not putting Demar Hamlin in the uh, in the sub basement. So not too much to worry about. Hospital's not burning down, at least not yet. But they did kick me out of the hospital just now. So. Okay, I mean, just mute Tom. Tom, you just got. Okay, I've just muted Tom. Are they evacuating um, so... Nick? Are they evacuating everyone, or just? Uh, no, they, well, they evacuated, uh, the first floor just because the, the, you know, like I said, the sub-basement's on fire. They ha they're not evacuating anybody above that floor just because that happens to be the floor that's, it's technically two floors above that, but, uh, but that's protocol, so. At the sub, did you say the sub-basement? Yeah. yeah, the sub-basement, yeah. So, it's technically two floors above the sub-basement, um, what's, what's two, hold on, what's two floors above the sub-basement? The sub-basement is technically below the basement. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, okay, and this is very far from yeah, where Damar is located. very far where he's from. So that's what I'm saying. It's not a... I sent it to the group chat because it's like, uh, okay, yeah, this is kind of funny. Uh, just because it's all part of the day, I guess. But uh, but yeah, so the, I mean, there's no imminent threat to anybody that's but actually... Is it, a small, is it a small fire? It, it seems to be... It's probably a mechanical fire. Just, you know, some, like an HVAC system or... Um, well, probably not an HVAC system. Like a boiler or something that caught on fire. Um, you know, so we don't know that yet, but, you know, there's a lot of fire trucks and stuff here, but, um, like I said, not an imminent threat to the hospital or any of the patients as of now, uh, but they just, out of, that's why I was able to send a video of the fire alarm going off while we were in there because they didn't, you know, uh, they didn't immediately rush anybody out. So, they clearly oh, weren't that concerned with it, so... All right, cool, man. Well, I appreciate it. I'm still surprised you haven't gone to sleep and you're still there, man. No, nope. yeah. well, they're doing a. Yeah, you're, they're about to do a candlelight vigil here in two and a half hours, so I'm here to cover that. Oh, okay, <laughs> man, you're you're clinically insane. I, Nick, I, yes, really appreciate it, man. <laughs> Good man. Good man. Uh, all right, man. So for anyone that missed the, the panel that we did, me, Nick, and, and other panelists, uh, Ian was there too. Um, it was incredible. It was a very balanced debate. Really enjoyed it. And Nick, you played a key role to make that happen. So I appreciate it. Ian, we'll continue yeah, with the drops. It felt like an episode of House MD. So if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. You know, after this, obviously. <laughs> okay. So Matt Tidy, he actually gave an outline of what the uh, second Twitter files drop today is about. He said, new hashtag Twitter files threat includes Adam Schiff seeking a ban of journalist Paul Sperry. 
uh, OGA warnings. OGA, as we know, is the CIA. It's a term that they use. Uh, warnings about uh, former Ukraine prosecutor Viktor Shokin's book and how the FBI acted as the belly button for the U.S. government. So I shall begin. Thread, the Twitter files, uh, Twitter and the FBI belly button. This is the episode. So that was number one. Number two, by 2020, Twitter was struggling with the problem of public and private agencies bypassing them and going straight to the media with lists of suspected accounts. Man. Number three, in February of 2020, as COVID broke out, the Global Engagement Center, a fledgling analytic intelligence arms of the State Department, went to the media with a report called, and this is a quote, the name of the report, it's called Russian Disinformation Apparatus Taking Advantage of Coronavirus Concerns. And it reads as follows. This is the attached document. This is an unclassified document. It reads, it's by the GAC. This is a State Department thing. Um, the report goes, the Global Engagement Center, GEC, through coordination with a trusted partner, not, not named here, track the global activity of Russian state-linked false personas and proxies which often push disinformation and propaganda. Coronavirus has been a top subject of these accounts since 24 January. The coronavirus as a topic is being propagated by these Russia-linked accounts in English, Spanish, Italian, German, and French, indicating that this disinformation campaign is intended for a global audience. These same Russia-linked accounts have previously been tracked by the GEC uh, because of their involvement in the Chilean protests, the Yellow Jacket protests in France, and the conflict in Syria and other geopolitical events. And the, uh, there's a there's an infographic here. Uh, it says Russia-linked accounts, and it's got a bunch of dates here. It's up to r- roughly, I would say, maybe about a thousand accounts or so. And this date is between uh, the 21st of January to the 11th of February. That's when the uh, the timeline is. Number four, the GEC flagged accounts as Russian personas or proxies based on criteria. This is their criteria, okay? Describing the coronavirus as an engineered bioweapon, uh, blaming, quote-unquote, research conducted at the Wuhan Institute, end quote. <laughs> Funny, right? Because that's exactly where it was conducted. And, uh, quote, attributing the appearance of the vi- uh, virus to the CIA. And so the document attached reads as follows. Now, the number one of uh, the first criteria includes speculation about the origin of the virus. So you, you merely speculate about the origin of the virus, and, and they're going to flag you in here. You said attributing the development of the virus to a global a bat community research conducted at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China in naming the scientists involved as the, quote, man behind the global coronavirus pandemic. And there's a link to it, but he doesn't link, you know, it's obviously a document. Number two, uh, exacerbation of general concerns related to the coronavirus by, and points, point number one, amplification of a video originally posted by the China Global Television uh, Network, that's CGTN, is a Chinese state uh, uh, company, uh, reporting that a second hospital in Wuhan has been expanded to accommodate additional bits and using catchy headlines uh, to cause panic, such as breaking Japan and Germany confirm coronavirus cases in individuals who never traveled to Wuhan, China, and breaking Japan confirms coronavirus case in individual who never traveled to Wuhan, China. And number three, blaming Bill Gates for running a simulation test six weeks prior to the outbreak in China. Now, I remember a lot of conservatives even talking about this. So there's a there's a small chance that you were flagged as a Russian disinformation operative if you even posted about this. Uh, number four, describing the coronavirus as an engineered bioweapon. And number five, attributing the uh, appearance of the virus in China to the CIA. 
And there's this uh, a screenshot within the article that reads, with China rising to eclipse the economic power of the West and the Trump's war against China failing, what better means than a virus cooked in the CIA's labs to inject an unstoppable lethality there? Uh, anyone who knows the CIA history knows this is possible. And there's a little picture there. So this is what they claimed to be um, Russian disinformation, part of their apparatus, supposedly. Number five, uh, this is uh, back to Matt Taibbi. He writes, uh, state also flagged accounts that retweeted news that Twitter banned a popular U.S. Uh, site Zero Hedge, claiming the episode, quote, led to another flurry of disinformation narratives, end quote. Zero Hedge had done reports speculating that the virus had a lab origin. Now, as we now all know, it did, right? There's a very good chance it did, a 99% chance that it did. I just pulled that number out of my butt, but... You know, where else did it come from? Did it come from bat soup? No, it did not. So the GEC writes. Maybe it did. It didn't, though. <laughs> hey, maybe Ian, one, Ian, one of the things that you, you mentioned in the uh, the opening of this document, of this uh, Intel product, mm -hmm. is that, that we were looking at a thousand, uh, you know, a peak of a thousand um, accounts. It's actually only a thousand posts. That's post volume. post volume. So we're talking about like the tweet volume of like some of y'all's accounts that are actually out there right, sending things out all day long. Yeah. It could literally account for, yeah. for like so half of it. Yeah. It's, yeah, this could just be a couple of accounts. It doesn't have to be a thousand accounts, okay. which would be a much bigger, you know, active. I think it's worth that. Is a, that's a good point. Yeah. So not a thousand accounts is promoting. It's literally could be dozens of accounts that are tweeting about this. And many of us were. I think people in this chat were. I was certainly talking about the uh, lab origin. You know, does that mean I'm a, a disinformation agent? No, because that is exactly what happened. Uh, the GEC writes in this little document here that on 3rd February, the narrative shifted to reports of sinophobia circulating online, as demonstrated in the below tweet. And this is some article, uh, not article, a Twitter account called Real News. It's at Blue Dot 2018. Not sure what this account is. It, uh, the person tweeted, it's essential to realize that the common flu kills 60 times more people than the coronavirus. Misinformation is widespread and is being greatly fueled by an already existing sinophobia. Outbreaks of racism pose a, uh, a great threat to society than any virus. This was the, uh, 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 the tweet from February 3rd, 2020. This was cited as, uh, as an example of, uh, uh, reports of sinophobia circulating online. Um, the, the report continues. It says, finally, the suspension of Zero Hedge Twitter account led to another flurry of disinformation narratives. It's funny they call them disinformation narratives, and it's literally what happened, right? So it's it's they weaponized the term. Zero Hedge's most recent post received high engagement, 10,999 retweets and 14,300 likes, and focused supposedly on organic matter burning in Wuhan as judged by increased levels of sulfur dioxide. Now, if any of you remember back then, there was, uh, you know, some uh, assumptions or, or speculation that China was perhaps burning organic material, meaning dead bodies or possibly, you know, rubber, because, you know, they would have to use... Um, you know, they would have to dispose of uh, PPEs. So that was uh, a consideration that a lot of people were making. We, you know, a lot of people thought that maybe China was covering up the, the dead numbers. I think there was a lot of anti-China stuff that was actually even coming out at this point. Unclear as to uh, who was responsible for that. There's a lot of anti-Chinese um, actors in the West. And I'm not saying it's the U.S. government. I'm literally just calling them anti-China because they're anti-CCP. So they would be in, it would be in their interest to shame the Chinese government. Right. That does happen. Uh, and one yep. example for this, uh, for this uh, tweet was somebody named uh, Citizen Halo, hashtag hands off Iran. 
And this person's Twitter account is at Halo Effecti. And this person tweeted, Zero Hitch banned from Twitter and BuzzFeed accuses it of coronavirus conspiracy, quote, doxing a Chinese uh, scientist and links to RT. Uh, because RT actually wrote about how Twitter had banned Zero Hitch because, I mean, it is news. Um, and it says here, uh, Zero Hitch should join a Russian social media site, VK, as there's no NATO propaganda arm Atlantic Council acting as Orwellian Ministry of Truth. Now, it's, there's a chance this was a Russian account, but we have no idea, right? But they claimed it was. Can we, can we, yeah, Ian, can we dig into something too that's really funny? I mean, I think the fact that we have a, a mention of Orwellian's, uh, Orwellian Ministry of Truth, yep. in the meantime, like this, this intelligence product is, is using the word disinformation. Mm-hmm. And and that's specific, not misinformation. Misinformation means that it's a mistake. Disinformation means that there's a concerted effort that it is intentionally wrong and trying to mislead people. So there, there. I mean, the irony of this is, is quite funny to me. And the second thing is, and I think we've talked about this previously, but you know, when you start bringing in intelligence people and they start operating in this space, it doesn't matter if they're at State Department or if they're at the CIA or if they're at the FBI or anywhere else, DHS and so on. Uh, intel people tend to be uh, very educated. They tend to be sort of indoor dogs. They're they're kind of a um, they're working in a space that's very different than operational. So um, that's why Jack Ryan is so amusing as a silly thing because he's supposed to be an analyst and he's not supposed to be in the field. Uh, so when you're looking <laughs> at these people, you know, a lot of them have advanced degrees and so on. Like they have they tend to have a more academic focus on things, which tends to lead towards a more liberal bias in my experience. Um, and I think that's that's borne out over most people. They cherry picked two like who in the heck are these accounts? Right. Like what, what, what influence are they having on anybody? Like no yet. one's ever heard of them These here. Are just like random accounts. So n- nothing against what they're, nothing against what they're out there sharing, but they're sharing things that nobody saw essentially. Like, you know, maybe a couple hundred people may have seen. And then they're over here hawking zero heads, which I know a lot of people that follow. And, and it's got some really interesting reporting on there and probably some stuff that's not true, but I don't think it's disinformation by its nature. If it's wrong, then it's mistaken reporting or it's editorial. So be it. But it's just really funny that they're going to, they're going to try to, call out someone for being, uh, you know, like putting out the Ministry of Truth piece, when in fact they are actually they are the Ministry of Truth. themselves the same way. Yeah, they are acting as the Ministry of Truth. They're acting as the Disinformation Governance Board, if you will, right? It's very Orwellian, and they're essentially... I mean, they did put what out? Put what out? I mean, they did start a, a literal oh, yeah, yeah. board, right? They actually did start one afterwards, yeah, like in 2021. They, they started one until Jack Posobiec exposed them and sort of forced them to shut their doors. So, so they're back to being in the shadows again, which is hilarious because uh, the woman responsible for the Disinformation Governance Board literally got a job afterwards working for uh, the British government <laughs> doing the same thing. Wow. Whoa. Like, you know. But that's the interesting part is like a lot of people, I mean – there's a difference of opinion here because there's a lot of people who think that that should exist, right? That people should be protected from disinformation from, cause, and, and there's such, or, or even misinformation because there is one thing is like, okay, somebody's putting out intentional narrative. We're talking, we're tracing down things to like literal bot farms mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And that, that's, that's, you know, I, I, I might lean towards maybe we should, I, well, not maybe. I actually do think we should shut that down if we can literally prove that. But, but in terms of other things, it's like there are definitely people who think that even that should be shut down. And so, you know, you've got two very different viewpoints battling with each other. Uh, I guess an ideological battle or a philosophical battle, whatnot, where people want to protect other people from, from bad information, opinions, right? Bad information. Bad information. Yeah, but, and yet it's all based yeah, on opinions. So it's but, all subjective, right? That's it. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we have to we have to side on the side of more information and freedom yep. in, in this country. I mean, I just think that that's yeah. Like we, the space we can't. Yeah, no, I, I mean, like you can always call the space disinformation say, because it, this is too far and this is not too this is not far enough. And it's I think it's where that line is drawn that we have to say, okay, you know, what's the best spot? Is this the best spot to draw that line? And I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll ever get. Agree I think that, that was the problem, right? Because oh. early on, they literally banned Zero Hedge from, you know, promoting the speculation that the virus came from a lab and that let, later turned out to be true, right? I mean, if not necessarily true, I mean, not 100% provably true, very likely true and something that scientists and epidemiologists agree with. I, 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 I think it's still up in the air. I would say even, even, even just plausible is enough to make it a story that shouldn't be sensitive. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. be very likely it's to be plausible true. And, and Tom Cotton brought it up because it was brought up to him by the intelligence community right it was told to him in a you know in a top secret meeting and he went out and he said hey this is what's happening very likely this is happening this is what the information told me right the, the intelligence but communities uh community to add's point i think no one has ever people are not going to agree to where that line is going to have to be drawn so uh, at the same time how do you truth, resolve right? that set of freedom right of conversation and so if we so we really have to either err on the side of freedom or the other, right? Yep. So, so there is no real compromise ultimately. The, the, the problem yeah, yeah. of limiting this information, uh, quote unquote, limiting disinformation, is that if you have a certain like narrative bias and you're so strongly, you know, you so strongly believe in it, what you're going to do is you're going to end up suppressing anyone who disagrees with you. Like for instance, with the efficacy of masks or the five feet rule, which again, both things got you know, admitted later on that they were just bullshit, a way to, to, to nudge people into accepting this uh, social control that they have over us, right? It was, I mean, they admitted it. They literally flat out and said, yeah, we made up the five feet rule because it made people feel good and it made them easier to control, right? Like, that is literally why it was invented. Uh, uh, that's, that's a, that, that's the first I hear of that. Who, who admitted it? How? Uh, it was, oh God, I can't remember the guy's name. Like, he, uh, Scott, Scott, God, like his name is sorry for cursing. Uh, he works at Pfizer now, he's on the board, but he used to work for the Trump administration. Uh, he used to work Scott Atlas, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's one of them, and there's the other guy also. Like, they, they basically admitted on, on I think CBS on 60 Minutes, they said something like, uh, uh, that they made up the five feet rule because it just sounded good and it seemed like it would work. And uh, realistically, if you wanted to actually limit the spread of any sort of airborne virus, it would have to be 15 feet. But then they kind of realized that having, you know, 15 feet would basically mean shutting down all society. No grocery shopping, nothing, right? That's impossible to do. So they kind of settled on just a random number, something that, you know, wasn't one foot, but it was like somewhere in between one feet and 15 feet, essentially. So they just settled on five feet. But there's no scientific basis behind it. There's no data supporting the claim that five feet is actually enough to, to, to mitigate the spread of the virus. It just sort of makes yeah, it, I, I mean, I'm sure five feet's better than four feet and four feet's better than right. th three feet and three feet. You know, uh, uh, I just, that. Yeah, I think, I think also like, Ian, you mentioned that that and and you know they believed it could work, but how much did they believe, etc. Which is a pretty good debate to have. But I do want to mention one quick thing. Twitter Safety tweeted. Did you mention it, Ian? Because I dropped out for a bit. Uh, Twitter Twitter Safety's tweet about fifteen. 
20 no, minutes ago, I, 25 I, I minutes ago. I didn't, I didn't catch that. What did it say? Let me, let me, I'll read it out to you. Nothing too major, but definitely interesting considering what we're discussing now. We believe that cause-based advertising can facilitate public conversation around important topics. Today, we're relaxing our ads policy for cause-based ads in the US. Whoa. We also plan to expand, we also plan to expand the political advertising we permit in the coming weeks. Holy moving shit. forward, we will align our, moving forward, we will align our advertising policy with that of TV and other media outlets. As with all policy changes, we will first ensure that our approach to reviewing and approving content protects people on Twitter. We'll share more details as this work progresses. That's incredible. That's huge. Yeah. Well, that's what I was complaining about earlier, that they, you know, groups like Judicial Watch, a major transparency group, couldn't run significant ads on Twitter to educate. So, so, so and don't what you're saying support. is political bias by the way Sebastian I've just sent you an invite to come up uh, but and I think I sent uh, Laverne I've also sent you an invite uh, Miss Spicer if you want to jump up I'm not sure if it's glitching um, just DM me if it is uh, but what you're saying Tom is that political bias uh, prevented a lot of organizations from advertising and, and got your thoughts on this and we'll go to Alex I mean the goal was it to you know the left doesn't need to advertise the way conservative entities do to increase to, to gain public support and education because they got all these other vehicles. So they're happy to suppress a few leftist groups in these advertising suppression campaigns because they think that anyone, anything on the right is disinformation and misinformation. And so, uh, you know, no one should speak, uh, in order to keep the wrong people from speaking. It's, it's, it's totalitarian outlook. And I'm glad Musk is ret- uh, retreating from it. Good. Alex? Yeah, I just wanted to quickly note that uh, Twitter restored Paul Sperry's Twitter account um, after the the revelations that just came out with Adam Schiff. He's been banned forever. To censor him. Yeah, he's a journalist. Yeah, I know. New York so Times. he was just reinstated. Yeah. Hey, if, if I might, and by the way, let's keep in mind I've said this before, uh, but there might be people who haven't heard it because I think it's a really important point. The uh, one area of the First Amendment, the, one of the things that the First Amendment does so specifically is absolutely protect misinformation and disinformation and there's one significant space where they do it and that's in political communication obviously there are moral issues with misinformation and disinformation if you merely make a mistake that is a moral failing because you didn't look things up well enough disinformation is malignant uh, and not benign and that's a problem but that kind of communication happens in every political campaign and then you know and and by the way it's it's a subjective criteria in many in on, even on the margins anyway because your disinformation is to me information or whatever you know and, and people think about it in different ways so but that's absolutely protected speech and that's why tom fitton's organization getting shut out it was purely political and anti uh, free speech in terms of its uh, purpose, because that is information, a transparency organization, which does find out information that is very valuable for Americans to know about. You know, that's why you have to wade through misinformation and disinformation, if you want to call it that, to try to get to the truth, because you'll never get to it otherwise. Otherwise, you just get real information gets shut out. I'll go to before going to really... Sebastian. So go ahead, Catherine. Catherine, you're muted now. Or oh, did I drop out? No, no, you're here. Am I there? Or is... Oh, okay. There. Scared the shit out of me, Catherine. Um, all right, Ken, I'll let you just jump in on this point uh, before going to Sebastian, getting his thoughts on the drop so far and then continuing the drop with Ian. Go ahead, Kyle. 
Yeah, I just actually wanted to thank you all for the invite to, to discuss this with you. I'm going to go take my kids out to dinner. And um, if you want to add name redacted 247, he's, uh, he's ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Somebody. Of course. I'll send him an invite now, man. 100%. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll drop out and leave somebody else in the spot. Thank yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get name redacted in. It'll be great to have him here. And let me bring thank him you, in. Kyle. And hopefully we'll get Reeve back up here and able to speak. Uh, at some yeah, point. Reeve, please request to speak. Uh, I'll try to send you through the invite as well via DM. Yeah, Kat, you uh, have something to say? You're muted, by the way. Yeah, she's... Uh, I'll go to... Sebastian, how are you? I'm good. I, I'm uh, catching up. I just left my studio, and I'm just having so much fun listening to the Krasensteins lecture us about what, what effective <laughs> social distancing is. You know, the, the great <laughs> medical experts that are the Krasensteins. Um, I, I had a, a question left over from the last time we spoke. Um, to, to you guys, really, because I was very disturbed when Elon hinted that we're almost at the end of the drops, given what Mike Benz and others have, have revealed, the enormity of censorship. Uh, it looks like we're not near the end yet. looks like it may be going on further. So curious what other people thought when they, when they heard Elon say that. When did he say that? Uh, one of the previous spaces, I heard him say that. Mm, I don't, re I don't recall him saying that. that, but I know there's still a lot of Fauci uh, yeah, stuff Fauci that hasn't been yeah, that, released that's, yet. That's what I was thinking. That's that's why I was like, oh, hang on, come on, we're tip of the iceberg. I, he might have been talking about the end of the COVID stuff, um, but uh, I think I remember you, him saying that, Sebastian. I think you're right. That sucks. Um, the think, movie well, every. Every show has, uh, you know, it comes to an end at, at some stage. Um, but yeah, well, Sebastian, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm not sure how, how long these drops will be on for. We'll, we'll ask him and, and uh, we'll get an ID. But um, yeah, otherwise, Ian, I'll let you I'll let you continue the drop. What have I, I did drop out for a bit. Like for anyone that just joined as well, a 30 second summary of what, what the thread, the new thread, the new drop includes before we continue, if you don't mind, Ian. Yeah, sure. Uh, where was I? I'm just re-adding Catherine. Yeah, she's on. She's on already. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Before before you continue, yeah, just uh, thirty seconds. What did we discuss? Uh, what what did the drop uh, reveal so well, far? The, 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 uh, do you want to talk about the previous drop or just this one so far? No, this one. This this particular oh, okay, one. The okay. previous so, one. I got it all. This one so far, it, basically uh, a State Department linked entity. You know, um, something akin to the Disinformation Governance Board produced an intelligence document which identified. Uh, accounts that tweeted up to about a thousand times a day you know and this is in totality so like you know i tweet about maybe 200 times a day so that could literally be five accounts right uh tweeting about the origins of the coronavirus essentially painted you according to this organization as a russian disinformation uh producer right and and, and such examples would be talking about how the coronavirus originated in the wuhan institute of virology if you mention that then you know they would flag you as th these are individuals manually flagging people as uh, you know possible russian disinformation account yeah and, and um i did a tweet when i started looking into this theory like um you know i i i'm guilty of dismissing a lot of theories as i'll just kind of use the term conspiracy theory just for like a better term don't mean any offense but just like a theory not worth considering or too far away from from reality and that was one of them i didn't even bother researching it yeah. um and then when i ended up researching it just because uh, you know it became a, a topic of discussion in recent weeks um i just realized that it, it just like it, it doesn't matter 
you know, what side of the fence are you in politically or, 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 or you know, what, whether you believe what the government says or not or how critical you are of the government. The theory just makes logical sense and, and, and like the dots do align. And I'm not talking about random, you know, how we had a guy once, Ian, that came on, on the panel, just started connecting Rand, when it came on the Andrew Tate panel, started connecting random <laughs> things that had nothing to do with each other. No, no, it's just, it, it just mm-hmm. genuine, it, it logical. Yeah, this would make sense. It, you know, this is what, the, the account, that, well, like, the yeah, account that brought up the bioweapons information was suspended immediately. Um, they had gained around 25,000 followers overnight and they were suspended immediately. Yep. Um, it was pretty wild darkness because it was going to that account to see what information they were sharing and it was logical and it did make sense uh based on you know the map locations everything that they were stating and now we're finding out that a lot of it was actually true but the account was suspended by old twitter Mm -hmm. and that was during the height of the ukraine russia stuff sorry matt go for it and and what's ironic though you have to either be extremely unintelligent or sheep to believe that of all the people russia would try to blame for this they would pick China, the one, I guess you could say, partner of sorts with some of their more mischievous dealings. It just doesn't make any sense. If Russia wanted to do a disinformation campaign, they would literally say the United States started COVID. They would not say China. So the idea that anyone who actually has any amount of intelligence believed that is so far from the truth. It's clear they just wanted to defend China for whatever reason. They wanted to make sure that no one could question the narrative. They wanted to make sure that people who were saying things against masks or vaccines didn't have any leg to stand on whatsoever when it came to studies. They didn't want a single thing to be able to get through that fence. And I I have to imagine anyone at the top there who had any level of intelligence, which doesn't sound like that many people perhaps, would have known that this was complete BS and still continued with it anyway, which is why it's so good Elon Musk is exposing it. Yeah, I'll, uh, just for the audience, what I mentioned earlier, um, brother Matt just makes it a good point. Um, well, and, and that point first is, um, yeah, like it could be, I still don't think it's a Russian misinformation campaign based on what we're seeing now, but like, you know, one way of looking at it is like Russia's trying to just cause friction between China and the US. Like Russia and China do have, they you know, their allies, to, but they do have. The, the, the funny thing is, yeah, true, true. Because uh, Trump was so anti China at that point that they didn't need to do anything. But you put oil on the fire, so like, why not? If he's already anti-China, let's just make it even, you know, make him even more anti-China and make the the the, the you know uh, the population despise China as well. Um, but like, and again, this is just a, you know, I'm just thinking of theories here because I don't, I agree with Matt and 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 Tara and Ian and others that it just doesn't look and, and the files as well just doesn't look like a Twitter like a Russian uh, misinformation campaign. Yeah, it doesn't um, yeah, China, and about the China and Russia, China and Russia have the best relationship with each other now than they've had. In a very long time. Yeah. True. It's all true, thanks yeah. to America for fucking um, up the economy. So, <laughs> yeah, so before, before, digress, <laughs> okay, before, we di- before we digress, another thing just about the lab leak theory. So as I said, guys, it's like it's just uh, or for the audience. It's a theory worth exploring, worth discussing. True or not, uh, you know, we don't have the facts to, to obviously make a, to make a conclusion. This is just about the, it the one. You know, we can go into detail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, all I want, yeah, exactly. All I want to say is that is what I meant by it is it's a, it's, it's a theory worth discussing and, and far from a theory that's worth censoring. At least that's based on my research. Well, um, well, and the added irony is that, you know, the, doc, the documents Judicial Watch uncovered showed uh, the Fauci gang was desperately trying to track down that theory because they were worried their gain of function funded research there in Wuhan may have led to the virus. Mm. That was their immediate concern. 
Which and is they were the, trying uh, to censor people for asking the same know. question. And now we know. Yeah, so just just for the, the we we may know just for the audience, like we are gonna go, we're gonna organize a debate on this point because this is a very a big uh, like a very interesting space, discussion. Right? It is. Like, just for fact, like, it is. On it my is. Own part, you know, I will say that the gain of function research was exactly what led to it. That's the reason why EcoHealth Alliance, which by the way it was, uh, you know, performing this this research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology in China, you know. They were the ones who came up with this, and it probably leaked. I don't think it was on purpose. This is my opinion, right? It could have, it could have been done on purpose maliciously, but it was a, a bioweapon because it has, like, as Elon Musk himself said, calling it gain of function is just a nice way of weaponizing because it's it's just there's no other purpose for it besides to kill people, right? Like, wh why else would you do this? So yeah, it's a bioweapon. It's 100% bioweapon, and and we know this now. And uh, they didn't want word getting out, and that's the reason why they, they they work so hard, so diligently to cover it up, and then they blame the Russians for it for spreading it for the information. I do blame the Health Alliance. Even even they what they do is they. Sorry, guys. I see everyone's talking at the same time. So yeah, Matt. Yeah, yeah, Matt. I'll let you jump in. Then Jim. Then we'll just move on because I know we're gonna. You know, this becomes a really long, deep debate with different people with different theories. So Matt, I'll let you comment on this before Jim, and then we'll continue with the with the thread if you don't mind, Ian. Yeah. Cool. And so yeah, what I was gonna say is that even on that point, if they didn't want to cause division between the U.S. and China, it would be a much better strategic move to blame the U.S. for it and cause that same division while also painting the U.S. as a bad guy, whereas you're moving strategically closer to someone who you already have better relationships with on a trade level at the very least in China, which we're clearly seeing now based on the situation with Ukraine, they're moving closer to China. So I would have to imagine, like, even even on that note, you still couldn't really make the argument that Russia would be making that decision. Um, I think uh, someone's just jumping in right after. I'll let you jump in. It was you, Jim, and then we'll continue with the with the thread by with Ian. I think Kat uh, yeah, has something to say after Jim. Yeah, so let's go first. For yeah, sure. Sorry, sorry. Okay, sure. sorry for jumping over you, Matt. I didn't hear you. But anyway, I was going to say, just keep in mind, Victor Daszak, who runs Equal Health Alliance, was the one who uh, pushed to squash the Barrington Declaration, Dr. Bhattacharya's uh, letter as well which uh, at least made implication in this direction also. So that, that, was, that was a big part of the scheme, in my opinion. That's right, yeah. And uh, Peter Daszak uh, was responsible for the EcoHealth Alliance. He worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and he was uh, you know, tied to Fauci. Fauci funded him. Um, whereas, Ed, Ed, I know you're, you're kind of give you your thoughts there just to balance it out, because I know you're... I think we discussed it, the lab leak theory, and you you were pretty critical of it. But you did agree that it's just a it's a point worth discussing and not worth censoring. Any any thoughts on this, Ed? Before we continue, no, he's not there. Uh, all right, let's continue with okay. the thread. Um, but uh, yeah, so just for the audience, we will do a panel on this about the lab leak theory as we've been covering COVID, Probably and we'll have as always COVID files because they are releasing that. exactly exactly with the with the Fauci files, and as always, we'll have a panel that's is a split covering both sides to have a good debate going as we always do. But yep. yeah, Ian, I'll let you continue. Okay. Number six, uh, the GEC still led directly to news stories like the AFP's headline. Uh, quote, Russia linked to disinformation campaign led to coronavirus alarm, U.S. says. And a political story about how Russian, Chinese, Iranian disinformation narratives echo one another. So essentially the intelligence community linked to it, linked to articles that were friendly to its own narrative. Gee, I wonder who fed them this information. Hmm. Yeah. Could, could it be that an intel source from the State Department gave this information to uh, the AFP and to uh, uh, to Politico? Hmm. Yes. Actually, yes, because they even say in the articles that the sources are from the uh, U.S. government. So that's interesting. 
And so, you know, one of the articles, I'm not going to read the article. You can literally read it up yourself. It is uh, Russia linked disinformation campaign, uh, fueling coronavirus alarm, U.S. says. That's on the AFP. And the other one is a state report. Russian, Chinese and Iranian uh, disinformation narratives echo one another. That's on Politico. So you can look those up, those articles. They are sourcing U.S. State Department officials uh, talking anonymously. And so what's funny here is that there's 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 something, you know, it's it's like a little bit masturbatory. Basically, they fed the these uh these news organizations uh, all the information that they wanted to be printed and then they linked back to it using their their fucking uh, intelligence report so they're, they're li- literally sourcing themselves as the origin of this so-called uh you know uh, research it's so fascinating just the gall to do that crazy i mean oh, man anyway number seven all, all, all which had the benefit of protecting the chinese communists yes interesting I mean, it doesn't matter who runs the State Department. That's their default policy, it seems. It's, I'm sure Sebastian agrees with me on that. Yeah. I mean, if Sebastian, you want to uh, add to that? Uh, I'll let you continue, Ian. <laughs> yeah, just, you might just be uh, listening. I don't know if he's glitching. Yeah, cooking or something, yeah, and just listening to us. No, nah, or, or they can't unmute. I'm just checking with Ed as well if he can, if maybe he can't unmute. Okay. Uh, but yeah, but I'll let you continue, man. How many more points left in no the thread? I have no idea. I'm not going to scroll all the way down, and I'll just keep reading. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out for you. Where are we up Seven. to? Seven. Alright, cool. Okay. Uh, quote, this is from Etta There's a quote here. You haven't... It goes down to 40, by the way. 40? Uh, okay, cool. Uh, we'll, we'll go, let's get a, let's get a few going. Let's yeah, get I'll read up to like 15 or something and then we can start talking again. Uh, seven, uh, you haven't made a Russia attribution in some time. This is in, in, in large caps. And then, okay, so when Clemson, uh, when Clemson's, that's a university, media forensics hub complained that Twitter hadn't made a Russia contribution, uh, sorry, a Russia attribution in some time, the trust and safety chief, Yul Roth, said it was, quote, revelatory of their motives. And this is an email where he says all. He says, I just had an intro call of Clemson researchers, and here are a few highlights. Uh, uh, Point one, they continue to dig into projects, sunlight data releases, and commended Twitter on its transparency and commitment to making these data sets open to researchers like themselves. And uh, another point, they are working on developing a media literacy tool to help consumers identify when they might be engaging with an inauthentic persona online, using examples from Twitter data as case studies. And this is the part that's highlighted. He says... They did ask about our findings regarding the latest list of accounts they shared with the, uh, with NBC, and I relayed uh, that uh, we did see some inauthentic behaviors, but they were, uh, but but that were that we, sorry, but that we are unable to attribute the accounts to the IRA. That's uh, IRA is a Russian uh, bot farm, supposedly. Uh, they noted that we haven't made an attribution to Russia in some time, and asked if there is any information they could provide to help us make those links. Wow, see, like they're telling, they're telling Twitter, they're saying, hey, Twitter, how is it that you haven't pinpointed any Russian activity? Here's some, we can, we can offer you some help to show how they are actually Russian, right? This is what they were saying. This is the, uh, you know, the subtext for their offer. So Yul uh, says, I offered that it would be helpful in the future to arrange uh, an analytical, an analytical exchange ahead of any conclusions they release, and we'd be open to doing so. If SI agrees, I recommend that we set up an analytical exchange along the lines of one blank name had with the GEC. These guys are going to continue the work and have put some good research given the access that they have and obviously are connected with the media. I think relationship is worth continued investment. So, yeah, he's like, you know, he's cucking to these guys, right? 
And there's another email from Yul Roth. He says, thanks, folk. Uh, thanks, folks. We had uh, several of these calls with them, uh, including uh, this year around the IRA slash EBLA disclosures. We heard a lot from them about uh, IR approach. Oh, my. Oh, for their approach. Yeah. It sounds like their IR. Uh, I thought they're, they're like weird pronouns anyway. And have shared information about how we typically engage with researchers. Well, I'm happy for us to continue to support as we did previously when uh, – Blank name managed this relationship. I want to emphasize that we worked with them a lot already. And when he says a lot, he's like super caps it. And then he says, uh, and then continue to behave uh, uh, this way despite those efforts. You quote, haven't attributed to Russia in a while, end quote. Comment is particularly uh, revelatory of their motivations, in my opinion. In these sets specifically, we heard their thinking about all of them in detail around the EBLA disclosure when they were disgruntled that we uh, didn't put uh, didn't put them out at some at the same time. There's nothing new we'll learn here analytically, and we're not going to attribute these accounts to Russia. Um, uh, let's see, uh, uh, absent some solid technical data, which Clemson have not been able to provide. If PP wants someone from the SI to get back on the phone uh, with them uh, to help the relationship, we can. So Yul is at, the, the first email I read was actually not from Yul Roth. It was from someone who had met with Yul Roth. And then Yul Roth replied to it, and he was pissed off. He was like, okay, so these guys are basically trying to strong arm us into claiming that everything is a Russian bot. And he he's irritated by this. So he's actually actually irritated at Clemson for trying to force uh, Twitter into doing that. And he's kind of like admonishing the guy who sent him the email because that guy is just a fucking rube, right? He's a fucking moron who's, you know, doing the bidding of, of Clemson. I mean, he's just relaying that information. It's a messenger, sure. But he is very um, uncritical about, you know, about a request. So number eight. We're happy to work directly with you on this instead of the NBC. And NBC is, you know, the, 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 the news channel, right? News uh, publication and so on. So Roth tried in vain to convince outsider researchers like Clemson Lab to check with them before pushing stories about foreign interference to the media. And so uh, an email uh, by Nick Pickles, he wrote, agreed, they have a U.S. government relationship, happy for the D.C. team to pick up the relationship, but I've spoken with them in the past and similarly share Yule's frustration that they don't take any sort of guidance on what they found. So so, like, they're basically, you know, the people at Clemson, the U.S. government, they're all, like, claiming, oh, it's Russian bots, Russian bots. And, and Twitter's like, how is it Russian bots, though? Please provide us with evidence. And they're kind of not doing that. So, um, Yul Roth replies, he says, thanks, Nick Pickles, for the awareness as well. When blank name left, I started interacting directly with the Clemson folks in hopes of, start, of getting them to uh, stop going down this path of running to the press with claims of... Russian activity. Obviously, I was unsuccessful as we've been unsuccessful with them for years now. Happy for whoever to manage this, but I do think outreach to them to say something like, hey, we heard from a reporter that you say you found a Russian, so I'm, I'm substituting IRA for Russians. is a lot easier. As you said a bunch of times, we're happy to work directly with you on this instead of through NBC and would be justified. So he wants somebody at Twitter to like reach out to these guys and be like, yo, we can work with you directly. Stop telling you know NBC that, that we are like, you know, bad at catching Russians because there's literally none and these guys are just making stupid claims, right? So, Twitter's upset. Yeah, Twitter's pretty upset. You're always pretty upset about this. Number nine, Twitter was also trying to reduce the number of agencies with access to Roth. Uh, quote, if uh, these folks like the home, the House Homeland Committee and the DHS, once we give them a direct contact with Yule, they will want to come back to him again and again, said Policy Director Carlos Manje. So they kind of realized that if they gave 
uh, direct access to Yul Roth, that, you know, these organizations would just lean on him directly and make it a lot easier for them to get what they wanted, right? It, it has to be a chain of command here, right? Uh, or chain of access, whatever you want to call it. Before you continue, Ian, just let you know, breaking news nine minutes ago, Behman Behnan Rezai, Twitter's head of product and engineering, and one of the last non-Elon Musk-appointed leaders at the company just resigned. Hmm. Um, so it was just confirmed uh, nine minutes ago. Not too major, but just something worth noting. Again, relevant to the conversation. Yeah, I guess he couldn't take the, uh, the Elon's work schedule, which is like actually doing work instead of, you know, drinking coffee all day. That would be my uh, my guess. And now... <laughs> and now Elon can hire I'll someone you... good, you know. He'll just hire from someone in Tesla. Uh, I'll let you continue, Ian, maybe another couple of points before we go to Matt, name redacted, and Reeve. Yep, number 10. Uh, When the State Department slash GEC, I guess that's what they are, and that's the State Department, remember this was in 2020, during the Trump administration, wanted to publicize a list of 5,500 accounts it claimed would, quote, amplify Chinese propaganda and disinformation, end quote, about COVID. Twitter analysts were beside themselves, and he gets into it. So the GEC report appeared to be based on DHS data circulated earlier that week and included accounts that followed two or more Chinese diplomatic accounts. So basically, anyone who followed Chinese diplomatic accounts, which they have a bunch, these are official accounts, you can follow them. I actually follow more than a few of them, right? They they have some interesting tweets. They tweet about America sometimes. They tweet about China a lot. But, I mean, any journalist would be following them. It'd be kind of dumb not to. So you're, you're listed on a fucking list for doing that. So they reportedly ended up with a list of nearly 250,000 names long and it included Canadian officials and a CNN account. Yeah, no fucking surprise you'd get journalists on this list. No surprise you'd have government accounts from all over the world following these diplomatic accounts because, my God, oh, why, why would you want to follow a diplomatic account? Oh, my God. Crazy, right? What's the what's the what's the list for? Is there any action from that list or just monitoring? They're claiming or do that they, they, don't they say? amplified Chinese propaganda and disinformation. That's what they claimed. That is literally insane. So if you are one of two hundred fifty thousand people on Twitter that follow two or more, and this is two, mind you, by two Chinese official accounts, then you were listed on this list. So you followed that really funny guy, the the one who dunks on people, the one who works at. Um, uh, China Daily or whatever that, that, that site is called. You follow him and you follow some other Chinese account, then then you are on this list. You are officially a spy or an asset of the Chinese government. This is how stupid is, people are. Is it just following or retweeting? Following, now? following, literally following. This is why Twitter was very upset with the State Department here as he goes in. There's an email chain here that I will read. Literally just following, by the way, yeah. Nick Pickles uh, writes, and he uh, he says, I'm assuming that the policy slash comms folks on their side haven't reviewed the list one uh, line by line. So curious uh, how they would react if I told their analytics colleagues uh, had included the Canadian military and CNN. This is how bad it was, right? The, the Canadian military obviously is going to follow a bunch of diplomatic accounts because why wouldn't it? It's official. And they were listed on a list of Chinese assets, Chinese propaganda slash disinformation assets. Yeah, that's how bad it is. And so uh, the email continues. It says, hi, blank name. I can at least share from the press side that CNN heard that they have nearly 250,000 accounts. Uh, there's a quote here. It says, a State Department spokesperson told CNN that the GEC provided Twitter with a small sample of the overall data set that included nearly 250,000 accounts, adding it was, quote, not surprising that there are authentic accounts in any sample, end quote. 
And so the email continues. It says, here's a roundup of coverage and some notable tweets thus far. I also expect separate and or uh, updated Bloomberg story and possibly a piece from the Associated Press who I spoke with earlier. Overall, pretty straightforward coverage. The pointed headline is to be expected from CNN. Okay. Now, there's an email from Stacia Cardell. Uh, it's regarding action requested readout state slash GEC, so the State Department. She says, hi, Nick. Uh, this is a transmittal information from the state. So she's relaying the information from the State Department, which reads as follows. It goes, we are providing these 5,500 accounts that display inorganic behavior and follow, yeah, follow, not retweet, follow two or more uh, of the 36 Chinese diplomatic Twitter accounts that we have identified in the report. Due to the fact that these accounts follow two or more of these diplomatic accounts, and a good portion of them are newly created, we believe that they are suspicious. This is shared for your situational awareness and no action is requested. Per our call, we stand by for any communications you'd like to pass uh, related to our special envoy and are also ready to, uh, should you request an additional call to discuss the report or data. Okay, and then the, who was that? Who was who was that? The from? State Department sent it. They sent it to Twitter for Twitter to uh, to to peruse. Is that just? Do do you think that's just intentional or just incompetence? I think it's fucking incompetence. These people are morons. They're literally morons. They they're like, oh, let's, <laughs> so let's just do a thing. He's let's so, see. He's so, them. so I mean, I mean, we've all we've all seen these disinformation specialists. It, it's it's uh, pretty uh, a low rent area of expertise. And so uh, actually... when you when you layer the government action, the government side of that, you're 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 scraping the bottom of the battle in terms of analytical ability. Mm-hmm. And Elon just called out Adam Schiff, so we're going to get to that one. He uh, said, "Hey, Adam Schiff, what's this?" And he's uh, he's quote tweeting one of the, the later tweets in here. So I will I'll try to get to it. Number twelve. Roth, the old Roth, saw the GEC's move as an attempt by the GEC to use intel from other agencies to insert themselves into the content moderation club that included Twitter, Facebook, the FBI, DHS, and others. So the State Department essentially wanted to be in on that club, right? That, that very exclusive club that the other groups are already a part of. Yolaroff sent this email, said, thanks all, catching up on an email today. Three high-level thoughts. One, the GEC's blitz on these issues is, at least in part, an attempt to insert themselves into the conversations we've had with the DHS, FBI, ODNI, and others. Per Facebook, they've explicitly requested to participate in those conversations. Obviously, state is a significant voice and one we don't want to neglect. But I do want us to continue to maintain a distinction between the highly trusted, valued relationships we've built over the years with entities with considerable expertise and authority in these domains and other parts of U.S. government that may engage on these questions from time to time, uh, sometimes in more uh, political ways than others. Uh, it's interesting, even admits it's political. Number 13. The GEC was soon agreeing to be looped into Twitter before going public, but they were using using a technique that had boxed in Twitter before. Quote, the delta between when they share material and when they go to the press continues to be problematic, end quote, wrote one communications official. There's somebody at Twitter, and he or she writes, some thoughts here, seeing the GEC piece, our info ops regarding uh, China, and future labeling us, uh, uh, labeling us interconnected. I think we need to be mindful of the larger picture. Agree with blank name. That's something a little more detached and direct might be helpful so that they're aware we're going over the data rigorously by our own internal standards and not half-baked to meet their media cycle. Now, the delta between when they share material and when they go to the press continues to be problematic. We're primed, we've are primed. we primed the media to be curious and inquisitive of this dynamic too. If we can help further, shout. Number 14. 
The episode led to a rare public disagreement between Twitter and state officials, and this led to a couple articles, so one in CNN Politics, which read, Twitter disputes State Department claims that China coordinated coronavirus disinformation accounts. Yeah, so they actually, like, publicly went against the State Department because they're, fu- they're fucking idiots, right? Like, the State Department's stupid. Uh, state Department China working with Russia to spread coronavirus disinformation. Like, this is literally put in uh, usnews.com, and it was basically a State Department kind of a press release. And the article claims that Beijing appears to be increasingly adopting Russian tactics to sow discord and disinformation on social media about the origins of COVID-19, the State Department says. Yeah. Number 15. Quote, it makes sense to push back on the GEC participation in this forum. End quote. When the FBI informed Twitter that the GEC wanted to be included in the regular industry call between the companies like Twitter and Facebook and the DHS and the FBI, Twitter leaders balked at first. Um, this is an email that says, I think it makes sense to push back on the GEC participation in the forum. Thanks. Number 16. Facebook, Google, and Twitter executives were united in opposition to the GEC's inclusion. They didn't want the State Department to be a part of this, with ostensible reasons, including, quote, the GEC's mandate for offensive I.O. to promote American interests. So, yeah, they, they understood that it was, like, so explicitly, you know, ridiculous, right? Like, so explicitly pro-American to the point where they're like, yeah, we can't have these guys running the show because they're assholes. Privileged and confidential. This is the email that Yoel Roth sent to a bunch of people, which presumably included, you know, like any high-level executives at Twitter. He says, hi, team. Wanted to share some news that I received uh, from blank name at Facebook. Man, they should release those emails next time. He says, our partners at the FBI made the decision to add representatives from the State Department GEC to this week's industry slash government election security meeting. Facebook pushed back based on our past discussions. Ah, so they are talking to each other. And FBI ultimately removed the GEC. But they've indicated that they will be explicitly advocating for the GEC to join these meetings going forward. Uh, blank name, blank mail, Google uh, uh, and I are aligned in that the GEC's presence in these meetings is problematic for several reasons, including the GEC's mandate for offensive I.O. to promote American interests. But basically, they're not comfortable with uh, becoming an apparatus, right, a, a tool for the State Department. Uh, another point is the relative lack of discretion and caution from senior GEC leadership in sharing reports and analysis based on shaky methodology, meaning like bullshit reports that go to the press or to Twitter and tell them to go ban a bunch of accounts, which turned out to not actually be, you know, Chinese or Russian disinformation accounts, and a limited track record of successful collaboration with the industry. So, especially as the election heats up in the coming months, introducing an actor like the GEC into what has to date been a stable and relatively trusted group of practitioners and experts poses major risks and could undermine a channel of significant importance to our election security efforts. And Stacia, uh, he, this he messages to Stacia, he says, I know that we're investing in building a relationship with, with the GEC. Any feedback on the basis of these conversations that we should uh, bear in mind? Question mark. Do you think it's possible, and this is another person, blank name, do you think it's possible to see if we can get any more intel on where this is coming from on our context of the bureau? A question mark. Thanks, Yul. So before you continue, yeah, before, yeah, before you continue, I'll, I'll, and I'll give the mic to Matt. But I, I think I, we're just continuing the narrative of, of continuous pressure from various governmental bodies, and now we're seeing the GEC's pressure um, to, to 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 impact the moderation um, systems that Twitter has in place um, to 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 advance whatever. Uh, agenda they have. Um, Matt, I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah, and so one of the things that overwhelmingly jumps out to me as a question is just simply why. Like, I understand the idea of someone who is very much emotionally attached to the left or the right 
potentially trying to do something that would benefit their own party. But the idea that a lot of this stuff that was considered misinformation is political in any way whatsoever to the United States just seems so far-fetched. This is just simply us trying to get to the truth. Now, if you're talking about specifically the China lab leak and you're saying, okay, maybe in China they would censor that, that's, that's still wrong. Logically, it makes sense. So I keep coming to the same question. Why in the world would people in the United States make this a political issue that they decide to censor? And I'm starting to realize, based on all of these revelations, I think it's just they're that petty. I think they started to push this narrative because there were some people who were opposed to them politically that were pushing some of these narratives out there and questioning things. And so just simply in opposition, because they have to disagree with whatever the other side agrees with, they decide to start saying the opposite thing and trying to dig in on that. It seems like that's the only explanation. I mean, were they getting paid by China? No. I don't see any evidence of that. What possible I reason can, could they have? I can give you a reason. It just has to be that. It has to just be they're, they're that petty. And I think that's unbelievably ridiculous and just shows you if you parrot the talking points of these media shows and you parrot the talking points, you're going to over and over and over again just come to a conclusion that's not only false, but it's only that conclusion because the other side agrees with something else. And also you can argue maybe because Trump was in office at the time, they didn't want Trump to have a scapegoat. They wanted him to have to take more of the blame for it. So maybe that could be part of the argument as well. But it's just crazy to me that that was even ever in the United States, which is supposed to stand for freedom, a question of if you're allowed to talk about it or not. And it should have never been made political whatsoever. I can give you a reason for this. Okay, so first you have to understand what the State Department is as an organization, what its mandate is. Its mandate is to promote American interests and to disempower or to villainize uh, the opposition, and the opposition being China and Russia. They're two number one rivals, or well, number one and number two, uh, to the United States. And, and, and meaning, you know, you're going to run information operations against China and Russia. It's in the State Department's mandate to be promoting pro-America propaganda, anti-Russian, anti-Chinese propaganda. Uh, disinformation or propaganda. So that is their purpose. And so these hacks, right, these, 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 these morons at the State Department, they saw Twitter as an apparatus to further their duty, their calling, right? They're kind of, you could just, you could argue that they're doing their jobs. I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm actually saying that they're not politicizing this issue, even though it did, you know, lead to the politicization of the coronavirus and it did, you know, cause Trump a lot of harm. I would argue that these, these idiots at the State Department, they believed it was their duty to take control of social media platforms, of Google, of YouTube, of Twitter, of Facebook, and all these other companies uh, to further uh, this agenda. And now it's not like pro-American in any sense, right? In any meaningful sense, because it means suppressing free speech of Americans. You know, it's, it means suppressing freedoms. It means suppressing the truth, but they don't care. They want to promote a explicitly pro-U.S. Uh, agenda in terms of like foreign policy. That Keep in mind, that's the State Department. They don't care about internal dealings. They don't care about the First Amendment. They only care about pushing America's interests abroad. We're talking Monroe Doctrine. We're talking going abroad and, and, and doing regime change. This is what the State Department does. This is what it did in, in, in Syria. This is what it did in, uh, in Libya. This is what it's trying to do in Ukraine, right? It, it, and, and this is something that, you know, Victoria Newland herself had talked about, about regime change in Ukraine in 2014. 
for instance. So this is kind of their job. And so they're using, or at least they were trying to use Twitter as an apparatus to further that goal. Now, it worked against Trump. Clearly, it it, 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 it hurt his administration tremendously, you know, but this was their explicit goal, and that's what they did. So they, they tried to use Twitter as an agenda, and that's the reason why in Yul Roth's email, he points out in number one point, the GEC's mandate for offensive information operations to promote American interests. Like that was the one thing he was opposed to, because it meant that Twitter was going to be used to promote lies and to censor anything that was negative to American foreign policy. That's what the State Department does, right? It, it, it furthers American foreign policy. So that... Well, you know... You know, I, I looked at the materials here. Um, I don't know if I'm ahead or not, well, but, you know, it strikes me they were nervous that the State Department was a little bit too pro-Trump. But on the other hand, what the State Department was doing was advancing an anti-Trump agenda. Look, any argument, and I don't think it's any co- no coincidence, that uh, Trump was making or could make was subject to censorship by the deep state agencies working in collusion with these companies. And so Trump's blaming China, uh, you know, t- any any information tying tie China to a lab leak uh, theory uh, would need to be suppressed because that would help uh, Trump's agenda vis-a-vis China. I mean, you know, this is just viciously anti-Trump. And what we're seeing here is an expansion of the censorship apparatus in the federal government around the time of the election to try to undermine Trump. We have um, uh, the State Department being added into the mix eventually. Uh, We previously saw the CIA. We'll see later in the materials the NSA becomes a silent partner here, allegedly, uh, the silent part being alleged. And uh, and to be clear here, this is not just Twitter. This is a collusive operation with these other companies that are acting as one voice. And I'm sure all the antitrust fanatics at the Justice Department will be right on it. Of, of course, they won't. Uh, but uh, this is a dramatic um, uh, a series of documents that, uh, you know, uh, one of the reasons I believe Republicans are flailing right now and today uh and and kind of are grasping for uh, uh, what to do and what to say is because they've they've completely oblivious to this. They, they, this was going on under their nose. It's being released in recent weeks, and they're completely a wall on this topic as they uh, engage in whatever they're engaging in on the hill uh, in in a way that probably doesn't get us anywhere. Uh, no matter what happens. I want to go to, to Ian and Catherine on this point before getting Reeves' thoughts. Uh, like how much of this is um, is political versus just just having the wrong information or, or uh, advancing the agenda of, of American security? So, for example, looking at the lab leak theory, I just don't see that as a theory used to harm the Trump administration. Uh, would love your thoughts, uh, Ian and, and Catherine. Cat, uh, you want to go first? Sure. Well, in regards to the lab leak, I'm not sure, honestly, uh, if it's political. I don't see how it would be political, but I also don't understand the there there was clearly some motivation behind it because just even from my observation in the early days with the lab leak theory um it was pretty openly talked about and then i sort of in in my circles you know and which are pretty liberal and then i suddenly saw that being sort of shut down to the extent that i was suddenly seeing us uh, for example on clubhouse i was seeing entire panels being uh 
devoted to uh, medical practitioners and, and, and scientists talking specifically about uh, the animal origins of it. So that was, and that seemed quite organized. So there was like a particular agenda, it seems to me. I don't see that as political, but there was so, uh, but, but political in the sense of American politics uh, in terms of presidential politics, right? Party politics. But I can see that as politics between China and the U.S. And I, I see that as, as something to do with the relationship between China and the U.S. Yeah, and, I think when, when we say, look, when we look at political, there's national politics and international politics. And I think a lot yeah, of so these... Yeah, I see that as international. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, see, I see more of them as international yeah. as well. That's where I'm leaning. I'm not sure if Ian, okay, you're in that so same boat. I view it as international, an international political is, uh, issue. Uh, the State Department, as I mentioned before, is an apparatus for the U.S. foreign policy. And, and who better than to promote you know, uh, U.S. foreign policy than these guys. I mean, this is literally their job. This is their one job, their one mandate. And I would argue, and I you know, I can't exactly prove this, but I would say that Fauci's experiments uh, or the, the experiments that Fauci, the NA, NIAID found, uh, funded for through the EcoHealth Alliance is done through the State Department. Now, I read that somewhere, but like that, that's basically, they were covering their own asses is what I'm saying, right? When, 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 when the U.S. government, and this is the U.S. government funded bio laboratories in China and in Ukraine. It was done through the State Department. Victoria Newland herself admitted to this in a congressional hearing last year when she was asked about bio labs. And, you know, she like <laughs> not very cleverly admitted to it. And then, you know, she was distracted away by a congressman who, you know, uh, Marco Rubio. So this is a bipartisan effort, right? It's a, it is a U.S. foreign policy thing. So they wanted to cover their tracks. And, you know, obviously, if the State Department allows this, uh, this, this story about the bioweapons lab or whatever in, in Wuhan, right, to, for the news to surface that America funded it, that the U.S. government funded it, well, who, who looks like a, like a bunch of assholes now? It's not going to be China. It's going to be the U.S. government. So they're blaming Russia for it because obviously they can't blame China for it, right? If they blame China, people will be like, oh, yeah, that's totally correct. China funded it. And, and it's like, well, who did China work with? Like, that's the question. Well was Russia Russia was not blamed for the virus or anything no, 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 like no. that Russia though. was blamed for yeah. the for spreading the quote unquote disinformation that the virus came from a lab so they were trying to shut down uh-huh. the entire conversation by claiming it was Russian disinformation when clearly it wasn't it wasn't Russian disinformation it was Americans trying to stop people from talking about it period because you know eventually and today we have right trace the the origins of the virus back to uh, the NIAID and that was done through the State Department. So the State Department acted as a conduit for all this. I would say potentially very, very, again, a very polarizing point, but well, uh, polarizing if you're one working for the US government, maybe. But I think... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, another... And I another really, really, interesting... really want to hear what Reeve has to add to the conversation. I know you guys are are having this dialogue, but I really would like, I don't know how much time he has. Yeah, okay, let's, um, let I would really appreciate yeah, if we could Reeve, call yeah. on some of the hands. hands Thanks. Up, yeah. Hi, everybody. Happy to do so. Hey. Can, can Hi, Reeve. How are you? Good. Thank Loud you so and clear. Much. This is uh, This is my first experience. I'm a technology Neanderthal, so took me a while to figure this out but um this is so important um by uh way of background just briefly i I was a a federal prosecutor for a long time mostly in new mexico for uh, most of my career prosecuted everything from 
um, violent Mexican cartel cases, uh, lots of other violent crime cases. I was on a detail in D.C. for a while where I handled some of the Guantanamo cases back when the Obama administration tried to civilianize those cases at the, in the early stages of that. Spent some time in Philadelphia before when my career first started out as a state prosecutor in the city and, and uh, went to the feds right after oh. that, after a few oh, years. It's a pleasure. So. A pleasure, pleasure to have you, Reeve. I appreciate it. I think it's your first time on the panel. Um, so, yeah, did you... Uh, yeah, um, you um, already uh, said that, Rio. <laughs> no, I just want to... Uh, what he brings to the table. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, We'd love to know what you bring to the table. And I appreciate you being here, Reeve. Yeah, thank you so much. So that's just a brief background. Um, so I, I've been listening carefully to all of you. Uh, I'll let you know... Um, right off the bat that I think I'm probably, I, I would not fit in at DOJ anymore, nor would I feel comfortable because I believe in ancient principles like uh, what the founding documents mean. Free speech. I'm, I guess, a free speech fundamentalist. Um, some of the uh, discussion um, has uh, evolved around uh, whether or not Anybody, government or otherwise, should be involved, for example, in um, preventing people from seeing what certain people classify as misinformation and disinformation. And my question is, who the hell defines that? Now, I remember when uh, Facebook admitted that its fact checkers, or at least I, I think they admitted this, that its fact checkers in litigation, they admitted that they're really just uh, their opinions, and so really at the end of the day, I mean, this is why I think I, I think fact checkers should be banned on on uh, Twitter. They, there's no place for them. These are people that have no skill set um, beyond articulating whatever agenda and opinion they're hired to articulate and effectively enforce, which has the consequence of suppression of suppressing speech. Now, as a, as a Fed, as a former Fed, um, one of the things that um, I see in these threads is the very real, well, no longer likelihood, but very real tragedy that the FBI and other government agencies participated in what I consider what I think is unambiguously a conspiracy to deny American citizens of their right to free speech. That's consequential, not only in the sense that if there are some creative lawyers out there, they have a whole class of uh, victims that uh, could possibly bring action uh, against the United States government for that conspiracy. You can't rely on the FBI civil rights um, agents or the civil rights division of DOJ. They're not going to bring an enforcement action against themselves, I don't think. And in order to get to the bottom of it, um, if there was any, uh, any desire to actually clean house and prevent this from ever happening again, because it needs to be prevented from ever happening again, the government has no place in telling an American citizen what he can or cannot say. And there are so few restrictions on free speech, constitutionally speaking, that um, the, the reach that they, that they managed to get through their actions with social media companies, obviously not just Twitter, 
is is uh, it's earth shattering. It really does shake me as a lawyer to see what's happened. And I'm very grateful that we got to see what's happened. Hey, uh, yeah. So, I mean, speaking of what's happened, I'd like to get back to the thread because there's a lot to go through right now. If uh, that's okay with you guys. Yeah, sure, man. And Riva, I appreciate your take. Yeah, sure. And, um, would love you. Would <laughs> we love to have dialogues when we want them, but not certainly have, uh, when people want to hear. Like, go for it. Ian's, yeah. Ian's the boss. Yep. Yeah, so Reeve, you were saying you were saying something. For, I'll let you finish off your quick point. What you were just saying yeah. now, and then we'll go to Ian. You're, you're, sure, you were focusing on uh, COVID specifically. So, I mean, one of the things that I've been very upset about is one: you look at um, the the leak theories and whatever there are the, those theories are. I mean, you got Dr. Andrew Huff, who's from right here in New Mexico. He used to work at Sandia Labs. Wrote a book about it, and um, there seems to be a tremendous amount of evidence that it that this is a man-made virus and the government that I would want to work for is the government that tells its citizens um, that we will, you know, leave no stone unturned to find out how this happens so that it can never happen again, instead of suppressing its citizens and organizations and inquisitive journalists from trying to get to the bottom. Of oh, I agree, and and this is where you know this is where I branched into number seventeen, where uh, Yul Roth expresses the same concerns, where she talks about how certain organizations like the DHS and the FBI are ostensibly apolitical, as Roth puts it, and the GEC, which is the State Part- Department, is political, which in Twitter language appears to be partisan, right? It's a very partisan organization, and he says here, I think they thought the FBI was less Trumpy, is how one former DoD official put it. So uh, he reads, he writes an email. Uh, says, thanks all. Catching up on an email today. Uh, these are three high-level thoughts. Number one, the GEC's blitz on these issues is at least in part an attempt to insert themselves into conversations we've had uh, with the DHS, FBI, ODNI, and others. Uh, for Facebook, they're explicitly requested to participate in those conversations. Uh, obviously, the state is a uh, significant voice, and we don't want to neglect it, but I want uh, for us to continue to maintain a distinction between the highly trusted valued relationships that we built over the years with entities with considerable expertise and authorities in these domains and other uh, parts of the U.S. government that may engage uh, these questions from time to time, sometimes in more uh, political ways than one. Uh, number two, the political angle is really important here. Site integrity's engagement with the DHS, FBI, etc., has been fruitful precisely because they're generally apolitical, generally, not not always, but generally. GEC has a track record of being actively advancing specific ideological agendas. Uh, Uh, For example, uh, their work with regards to Iran. Uh, We should not lose sight of this distinction. And number three, I have reservations about the GEC's position here. I see the public policy as the strategic drivers of our engagement with the U.S. government, with myself, and with the rest of the SI team supporting that strategy with our specific subject matter expertise. If you meet, uh, if you tell us to meet with somebody, uh, we're going to meet with them and use your power responsibly. Thank you, Neil. That's what he said. And number 18, uh, we're getting closer to Elon tweet, so I want to get to that very soon. Um, he says here, after spending, this is Matt, saying, after spending years rolling over for the Democratic Party requests for action on so-called Russian-linked accounts, Twitter was suddenly playing tough. Why? Because, as Roth put it, it would pose major risks to bring the State Department in, especially as the election heats up. So they were... Twitter was afraid, right, that it would be too closely linked to the Trump administration. That was their impression, right? Maybe not necessarily true, you know, because at the time they didn't realize that the State Department was kind of working against Trump. But, you know, this was their assumption. So 
He goes, hi team, wanted to share some news that I received from blank at Facebook. Uh, our partners at the FBI made the decision to add representatives from the State Department GEC to this week's industry slash government election security meeting. FBI pushed back based on our past discussions and FBI blah, blah, blah. I think I read this one before. This is in June 9, 2020, just so you know. And especially as the election heats up in the coming months, introducing an actor like the GEC into what has been to date a uh, stable and relatively trusted group of practitioners and experts poses major risks that could undermine the channel of significant importance to our election security efforts. Yeah, I think I might have read this one before. Uh, okay, here. Yeah, okay, number 19, because I lost track earlier. When senior uh, lawyer Stacia Cardill tried to argue against the GEC's inclusion to the FBI, the words resonated with, quote, with Elvis, not Laura, end quote. For, uh, and he explains with agent Elvis Chan and not Foreign Influence Task Force uh, Unit Chief Laura Demlo. And this is the uh, email that Stacey Cardill uh, sent. Said, I spoke to the FBI regarding the upcoming Sunlight Disclosures. Our conversation did not deviate from the information contained in the forthcoming Sunlight blog. The FBI raised that on today's monthly involvement in a government industry call, and they are going to raise, including the GEC, going forward. I previewed to them that they will find resistance to adding the GEC. I talked through the issues we have encountered and raised that the GEC slash State Department focus outside of the U.S. and that we should deal with U.S. elections uh, separately. That resonated with Elvis, but not Laura. State also flagged that the Google disclosure of the China APT targeting campaigns, we may receive outreach from other U.S. government agencies. We should deflect and saying we are working closely with the FBI on these matters. Thanks, Stacia. So Twitter has done to distance itself from uh, the State Department. And uh, eventually, and this is number 20, eventually the FBI argued first to Facebook for a compromise solution. Other U.S. government agencies could participate in these so-called industry calls, but the FBI and DHS would act as sole conduits. So uh, this is who they were comfortable working with, right? They were comfortable working with uh, with Agent Elvis Chan, who was their buddy. Um, he says here, I just spoke to the, uh, this is Stacia Cardill, says, I just spoke to the FBI regarding the uh, upcoming sunlight disclosures. Our conversation did not, uh, da, 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 da. oh, 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 this is the same fucking email. Thanks a lot, Matt. Uh, Roth reached out to Chan, to Elvis Chan, with concerns about letting the press happy GEC in. Now, just, you know, if you're, you're in you here, is uh, um, a point of interest that the GEC like to leak information to the press to bully them into doing things, or to bully uh, the Twitter into doing things. So expressing this... And GEC is uh, just a reminder, this is a State, State Department, Department uh, agency, yeah. This is a State Department agency. conduit, yep. Or rather, apparatus, not conduit. And expressing the hope that they could uh, keep the circle of trust small. So they're basically saying, hey guys, please stop fucking talking to the press. So this is an email uh, to Roth, to Yul Roth from Facebook. Somebody at Facebook had sent an email, says, uh, just a heads up, we met with the FBI yesterday and Elvis asked about this. Uh, they want to have a USG slash industry channel that is separate from our industry only channel. Elvis proposed that the DHS and the FBI would be the conduits in and out from the US government. So any information you want to pass to us will come through that. In typical Elvis fashion, he asked me to approve that for the industry, but I politely declined and said it would be discussed among us all. Elvis said that he has been in contact with you about this. So, you know, Elvis knew who was in charge. It was Facebook. Twitter's just a small player in all this. So, you know, it'd be nice to see the FBI files, uh, sorry, the uh, Facebook files. Um, quote, this is number 22. State, NSA, and CIA. So this is where we get to the NSA parts. So Chan assured him uh, it would be a one-way channel. And the state slash GC, uh, NSA, and the CIA express interest in being allowed to listen in uh, to be in listen mode only. So they're not going to be contributing. They're just going to be listening in. And this is an email to Yul Roth from Elvis Chan. He writes, Yul, 
Thanks for all the efforts to, uh, for, uh, from this. Um, you've now made my life easier. I got a call scheduled with CISA tomorrow to, to discuss this topic. I think the bulk of our talk will now be centered on how the U.S. government can plug in. I'll follow up with you after we have that call. I know uh, some questions will be coming up, so I want to bring them up to you now and other industry partners uh, can start thinking about it. So number one, what U.S. government agencies will be allowed in the channel? I think the easy ones will be the FBI, the DHS, and the ODNI because, you know, they have like a working relationship with them already. And then he adds, he says, for your awareness, the State Department slash GEC, the NSA and the CIA have expressed interest in being allowed to be in listen mode only. Uh, Welcome your thoughts on this. Number two. How many U.S. government participants will be allowed onto the channel? Will it be uh, only people that the industry already knows? Uh, I asked because the FB, at the FBI San Francisco Command Center, there will be three other supervisors working shifts when I'm not there. I also know that different FT- ITF personnel will be rotating through the command post at the FBI HQ. Number three, this is question number three, says... Uh, when will the channel be activated and for how long? It appears different organizations will be in an enhanced posture for different time periods. Your thoughts on this will help us uh, ensure that we have adequate manpower for manning the channel. Uh, regards, Elvis Chan, uh, special agent. Number three, three. This is where it gets interesting, as if it wasn't already. It was, and it gets funnier. Uh, it says... Uh, this is, quote, belly button. Quote, uh, we can give you everything we're seeing from the FBI and USIC agencies, end quote. Chan explained, but the DHS agency, CISA, quote, will know what's going on in each state, end quote. We went on to ask if industry could, quote, rely on the FBI to be uh, the belly button of the U.S. government. So this is an email from Elvis. And I'll read the whole thing. It's quite lengthy. It goes as follows. Maybe, maybe for this one. Do you want to just read the yellow ones for this one or is it worth reading the whole uh, thing? I'll just read the yellow parts because that's the only part that's relevant. I'll just read the. I think so, yeah. I'll read better. that one paragraph, like that one big block in number one. So it says here. Agree, yeah. Yeah. So he asks Yolroff, if it will only be a one-way communication between the U.S. government to the industry, it seems like it should be at least the FBI and the CIA. All right. oh, sorry, CISA, not CIA, CISA. Uh, quote, uh, we, this is not part of the quote, this is the yellow part. It says here, we can give you everything we're seeing from the FBI and USIC agencies. CISA will know what is going on in each state through the Homeland Security Information Network. However, uh, how will the industry partners communicate back with the FBI and the CISA? For the FBI, uh, will you use the pre-established channels all Already, uh, in use. For example, will you or blank name uh, will email me directly? Uh, if that's the case, that will work for the FBI. It will work for us. Um, I don't know what communications channel you have with CISA, or will the industry partners rely on the FBI to be the belly button of the U.S. government? We can do that as well. Uh, we just need to know the industry group's preference. So the FBI is basically saying, hey, you know, you and I, you know, you and us, like all you guys, Google, Twitter, Facebook, you, you, you know us, we're, we're your friends, you know? So we can be like uh, the, the one channel you talk to. You don't talk to these other guys. You know, we'll, we'll handle it from here. That's what they wanted. So very interesting stuff. Number 24. They eventually settled on an industry call through Signal. So in an impressive display of operational security, Chan circulated private numbers to each company's chief moderation officer in a Word document marked Signal phone number, subject line, list of numbers. And in the... And Chan, again, just a reminder for the audience, Chan is from the FBI, FBI San Francisco. He's a supervisor division. at San Francisco. Yeah, he's a supervisory special agent, Elvis M. Chan, squad CY-1, San Francisco Division, Federal Bureau of Investigation. So I don't have to read the email. It's basically just what, what I said. It's, uh, you know, he's paraphrasing. Number 25, Twitter was taking requests from every conceivable government body, beginning with the Senate Intel Committee, the SSCI. 
which seemed to need reassurance that Twitter was taking the FBI's direction. Um, executives rushed to tell Team SSCI that they zapped five accounts on an FBI tip. Now, this is... Uh, so just for, yeah, this is just four, four communication just showing them that they've zapped these five yeah, accounts, I guess. Really um, but it, it just... It, yeah, before you continue, we're almost done, everyone. But just before you continue, like it's just so many governmental organizations, many. governmental bodies involved in this. It's like I'm starting, to, like we started, we started criticizing Twitter, and rightly so, in the early stages. Now I'm kind of starting to sympathize with them a bit. Like, a Holy shit, they're dealing with all that pressure. That's why they like need they've to build got up. that bias. They need to build up. They've to got it. that bias. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly, man. Like. <laughs> It's ridiculous the amount of pressure they're facing, and and then if you add their existing bias, and that's just human nature, and obviously with Twitter it's, it's leaning towards the left, same as other technology platforms, it, it just shows, um, it just makes it very, very, very difficult for Twitter to be um, to be objective. Yep. And the, the where's the where's the coercion? This is an honest question. I'd love it's, to see it. I'm yeah, sure there is. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's evidence of them saying. It was before. Do this or, or oh, else. it gets there. It gets it gets good. Elon Musk just tweeted about uh, you know how the U.S. government uh, pressured Twitter to suspend journalists. So that's the coercion. So we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. And also, and also before we get to it as well, there's the media pressure as well that that happened earlier that you're talking about. That is correct. So, so... Yeah, they they went to the media and then they basically said, hey, you know, because they're working with uh, with certain universities that were giving information provided by the uh, State Department to the to those organizations, which then gave them to the media, claiming that Twitter was not acting on Russian disinformation. When when literally Twitter did check those accounts and were like, yeah, that's not actually Russian disinformation. It's just a bunch of you can't ignore the other Twitter files. Yep. Uh, the, the FBI was sending gobs of accounts to censor and they were being censored. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the prior drop today, uh, as, as Taibi highlighted again, they committed to censoring individuals uh, noted by the quote intelligence community as as quote foreign linked with no questioning, mm-hmm. uh, you know the collusion the collusion's been proved time and time again. Uh, it's I mean, it's yeah, even answer the question at this point. Question. You know, it's, like, it's, it's pretty. So, it, it's it's how much proof do we want? Yeah, how much do you want? Like, I mean, you're asking for more and more. It's like we're giving you a mountain of evidence here. There's a mountain of emails showing that there there was direct uh, collusion. Ian, that was Ian, I'm, I'm I'm an attorney, so I see things in in. In, in chunks, right? I, I see things in causes of action. I see things in causation. I'm not saying that there wasn't. We are being fed information from a singular source that is compiling uh, information That's what and evidence from. Is. It's providing no, no, I, 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 I agree. I agree. Okay. I, so this is the same question I ask with the Fauci files and stuff like that is I just want to hear the answer why. That's it. And, and so I'm not, I'm not discrediting. I agree. It's Fucking patently evident. Why? 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 do they want to control all everything? I mean, it's the government. Is there no, no. Why? Did, why? Did, why did Twitter agree to it? Besides, for individual people. Oh, that was already well, uh, were they being pointed forced? out in the previous drop. It was in the previous drop, you know, but in the, just today's previous drop, where they were essentially afraid of losing political donations, not donations, sorry, political ads. That was explicitly mentioned. So essentially, they were being leaned on by Congress. 
the idea is, right, and this is explicitly outlined, this is in emails and everything, this is, you know, very explicit, the whole thing, was essentially Congress is threatening to uh, to take away a, a very large source of revenue for all these social media companies. We're, we're talking Google, YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, right? Threatening them uh, to take away all of their, their and, and to basically regulate the shit out of them unless they were able to censor Russian accounts. And now there were no Russian accounts to censor, so Twitter had to more or less make them up, or rather take the uh, you know the instructions of the FBI and in this particular drop here, the State Department to start censoring people, uh, just to show that they're doing something. Because if they didn't do it, then Congress would call a session and say, "Hey, you guys, uh, we read this report in the Associated Press that you let twenty thousand or two hundred fifty thousand Russian accounts just run amok on your platform, and you didn't do anything about it. So, how are we supposed to trust you when when you are literally, you know, destroying our election integrity? So, and we're going to take away your sources of funding. So, they're terrified of that, and that is where the threat is. That is literally where the threat is, and we're getting to no. That that, yeah. that makes complete sense. The the revocation or the application of of uh, of Publishing protection is probably yep. the strongest and most impactful business thing that, right. that could. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we get rid of Section two hundred and thirty, and suddenly, oh, oh, anyone can sue them now. They no longer have freedom. They no longer they can. They can't take money anymore. They're going to get sued by the U.S. government for possibly taking Russian money. You know, because the Russians might buy ads. They might buy two dollars worth of ads, and then the U.S. government's going to be like, well, they took money from Russia. We can sue the shit out of them. You know, and that's. A, that's do you see that? Do, do you see that as? Do you see that as the strongest congressional move that Republicans could do uh, moving into 2023? I, I, I'm going to guess yes. I'm going to guess, guess so, yeah. questioning, get their together. Mm-hmm, questioning 230 application and the dissemination yep. of information is a much better way to question the election, quote unquote, fraud than questioning election fraud. That makes, yeah, much, they, that makes a lot of sense. They could do that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm very concerned. Like, I'm actually on the side of big tech on this one because it's like, look, they're just providing a service and the government wants to control it. And Elon Musk is right when he says that the government is just the largest corporation with a monopoly on violence. That's what it is, you know? Sorry, just one second. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting dichotomy? The interesting dichotomy is we hate censorship, right? But if we take away Section 230, then we lose the free speech platform. Yep. So... How do, we, how do we win? In, how does anybody we, win in that regard? We need Elon know. Musk to win and we need Apple and we need Google and we need Facebook to follow Elon Musk's footsteps. They need to grow a spine. They need to do what Elon just did today while we were on this call. He said, you know what? Fuck all these stupid rules. We're going to take political uh, ads again without all these dumb regulations that were forced upon us. He did that while we were on this call. That was the big move. If you look at Twitter support right now, they're literally allowing for political ads and social ads. So organizations like Tom Fitton's Judicial Watch will be able to buy advertising on Twitter. Like before they couldn't before like before this drop, they could not do that. And he literally revoked it on the spot. That's what Elon did today. He is providing us with a venue for free speech. He's allowing free political speech once more, like it once used to be. Wouldn't not having any political like no, no ads, uh, political ads. Would that not be the other way to go with this? Like zero from the government? It It would literally destroy Facebook as a platform. Because there's not enough money? Yeah, wouldn't have enough money, Mm -hmm. yeah, because the political ads are the largest source, the single largest source of advertising for any, you know, like during any election cycle, right, whether it's 2022 or 2024. So the money is necessary. Ian, Ian, go full cycle. 
if if the goal and so this is how I see it um, from a business legal and and uh, entrepreneur perspective. My belief is that he opened up Twitter to allow the hundreds hundreds of millions of people to, to the Republicans and, and other that felt uh, disenchanted and disenfranchised to come onto the space. He has a payment back uh, system uh, and background to who he is and, and how he operates. He's talked about them uh, Twitter specifically not being. Uh, financially viable. Uh, my guess is that he's turning to a payment system, a WeChat uh, X app. If he can make revenue off of transactions and not have to charge for ads and not have to charge for users to use the product, then this could be the first completely, completely free platform for mm-hmm. free speech in conjunction yep. with Section 230. Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by the way, on political ads, I, I wouldn't, I, I'm, I don't know the actual numbers, but I would be doubtful that political ads is the biggest source of revenue, but it is a it's not the biggest. But so, definitely top the other five. thing that the other thing it would take away, having bought media for years and running political campaigns, um, you look. It would take away their ability to make ad revenue on political ads, and that ends up favoring uh, mostly television stations and radio stations which are yep. required by the FCC to provide ads and they have to do it at a discount. But the other, the reason that it doesn't harm them to do it at a discount is because during those election seasons, it fills in all the gaps when they're not selling enough ads at other times of the year. So it's kind of a cash flow issue, but that's, it's a huge cash flow issue for any media company, including a social media company uh, to, to have those political ads. And, and, and you might find that it has harmed Twitter's business up to this point with the previous policy. So it should add some extra revenue and it is big, but I don't know that it's the biggest. I think, I think it, it definitely takes away the monopoly that the print media and te- television media have on political ads by allowing political ads on Twitter once more, social ads, it, it takes away the monopoly. It, it actually opens up the free market. So this is, is Elon Musk's free market principles at work. I mean, people doubt the guy, right? People are like, oh, he's a dumbass. He doesn't, he wants to lose money. It's like, no, he actually wants free speech and he wants a free market. Like who knew that well, two things could well, coexist? Perfectly. Yeah, but Facebook, but Facebook takes political ads. So, I mean, it's, and they're yeah, a much bigger player economically. I mean, Twitter stopped political ads because they're leftists. And they wanted to suppress conservative content, and that was another vehicle for doing it. I mean, it would be difficult to overstate, and I think these emails tend to minimize or mitigate that because of the business nature of them, the ideological basis for this. This was an agenda to suppress Trump's pro-Trump conservative speech uh, and the nasty Republicans they all hated there, Twitter. Uh, And it's... um, and they were willing to work with the uh, to, to uh, uh, abuse the authority or the the power. I don't know. I guess the benefit entrusted to them by the government and the American people, the Section Two Thirty, to do it. And they lied to us repeatedly about the nature of the censorship. That it was principled. It wasn't arbitrary and capricious. And there were no third parties involved. And here we're seeing proof otherwise of that. I uh, do. Before you continue, hey, Kim is here. Let me bring Kim up. Uh, good morning yep. to you, Kim. Um, before I give you the mic, I just want to tell the audience, uh, I'm just going to pin above. I, to, I would love to do a space for Jordan Peterson and him and Elon were just chatting while we we're running the space. And I've just replied to him. 
uh, inviting him. So I don't know if my team is already in communication with Jordan, but they're all asleep. So I just replied to Elon's tweet in the in the chain in the thread with uh, or in the chain with Jordan Peterson. Um, so have a look at it, everyone. If you want to comment, that would be great. Um, just to to get Jordan to to ping us and make this happen again. I'm assuming he's not already in talks with the team. So I've just uh, pinned it above. If you refresh, you'll be able to see it above. We'll just go on my profile and check the. Uh, let me retweet it actually, and then everyone can see it on my profile. I've just retweeted the reply. Check it out. Um, otherwise, while waiting for Kim to come up, uh, Ian, I'll let you go through another few points before we go to name sure. redacted and and uh, answers and Sean from answers for Sean. All right. So uh, number twenty five. Twitter was taking requests from every conceivable government body, beginning with Senate Intel Committee, blah, blah, blah. We read that part, and this is one of the emails uh, that I'm going to read one of them, because the other two, you know, they're just kind of whatever. Um, Team SSCI wanted to uh, provide you with a quick update. Today, we'll be superseding five Twitter, uh, suspending, not superseding, suspending five Twitter accounts uh, for platform manipulation that we can reliably attribute to Russian state actors. These accounts purported to be associated with a website called Peace Data which publishes, uh, publishes a range of content about global political issues. At least some of the w- content published on the website can, uh, was created by real people who appear to have contributed to Peace Data as freelancers. The tweets from Russian-linked accounts were of low quality and spammy, and most uh, tweets from these accounts received very few, if any, likes or retweets. The accounts achieved little impact on Twitter and were identified and removed quickly. Going forward, links to our content to Peace Data's site will be blocked from being shared on our service. In this instance, we work closely to the FBI Foreign Intelligence Influence Task Force um, and appreciate their assistance. We will also update our repository of state-backed uh, information operations in the near future with these accounts. Um, yeah, so uh, last email is just repeating the same thing. So number 26, requests arrived and escalated from all over, from the Treasury Department, from the NSA, virtually every state, uh, the HHS, you know, that's the Health and Human that's Services. crazy, man. Yep, from the FBI, the DHS, and more. Yeah. And so, you know, the emails explain various, uh, for, for instance, they're working with the uh, CISA, FIFA, and, uh, sorry, FIFA, FBI, <laughs> FIFA, sorry. CISA, FBI, and the HHS to assess malicious cyber actors uh, targeting the HBH sector and trickbot malware, often leading to ransomware attacks, data theft, and the disruption of healthcare services. Additionally, uh, the joint information notes uh, that these uh, types of attacks were, will be particularly challenging to organization, for organizations during the COVID-19 pandemic, highlighting that administrators will need to balance that risk when determining their cybersecurity investments. Flashpoint analysis, uh, Flashpoint analysts continue to monitor any activities related to this advisory and will provide updates as relevant. And then it's uh, some links. And then uh, another email says, FYI, Treasury just added people to the SDN list, including Durkak. Not sure who that is. Uh, another email. Uh, it's it's uh, to websites like criticalstudies.org, rpfront.com, awdnews.com, and AHD, uh, Atri ahtribune.com, and these were highlighted by the U.S. Uh, Department of Justice uh, for seizing 27 high-level domains to appear as legitimate news outlets and were used by Iran, uh, their uh, IRGC, where the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Corps, to orchestrate a global disinformation campaign, and the following four domains seized were used to specifically target U.S. audiences and those of the four I read. And the seizure is part of an ongoing effort by the U.S.-based social media companies and the FBI to publicly disclose Iranian interference operations. The U.S. previously seized 92 domains used by the IRGC to conduct disinformation campaigns on October 7, 2020. They moved by the DOJ to seize domains as part of a coordinated effort by the U.S. to thwart 
Iranian interference in U.S. elections. On November 3, uh, 2020, U.S. Cyber Command and uh, the NSA revealed that they had conducted an unspecified cyber operations against the IRGC cyber threat actors following an Iranian campaign targeting U.S. voters with threatening emails claiming to be the Proud Boys. Hmm, interesting. So the IRGC was pretending to be Proud Boys. Fascinating stuff. Um, yeah, well, I mean, this stuff is wild. It's kind of crazy. Another email, uh, please uh, see below. This is from No Idea Who. It's blanked out names. Uh, and the subject uh, is, sorry, it's two misinformation reports. And it's uh, regarding fake Twitter accounts. And it's please see below our election information security analyst. That's all cats for some reason. Um, came across some suspicious accounts that were ostensibly CT-based and attempting to look official-ish. And this is uh, uh, Connecticut, I see, Connecticut Secretary of State Dennis Merrill. Okay, number 27. So they're working with basically everybody. Uh, they also, and this is from Matt, he says, they also received an astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they didn't like to be banned. Now, this is the part that gets uh, like super, 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 super spicy. Here, mm. the office of the Democrat and House Intel Committee Chief Adam Schiff asks for Twitter to ban journalist Paul Sperry. Okay? <sighs> this is a big fucking one. Okay? So I'm going to read the whole email. <laughs> it says, hi, blank name. This is from someone in his office, right? The uh, Schiff's office. It says, I met with blank from PP and he flagged the uh, attached analysis from the House Permanent Select Intelligence Committee, HIPSIC, uh, Department, uh, sorry, Representative Adam Schiff's office for your review and feedback related to alleged harassment from QAnon conspiracies uh, against staffer, blank name. Would like to get your thoughts on your, on our ability, if any support, uh, for any, to support any of this request. Of note, blank from SP has reviewed this request and consulted with Blank from SI. Uh, below is her initial feedback on the request. So, remove any and all content but Mr. Misco and other committee staff from this service to include quotes, retweets, and reactions to that content. Uh, no, this isn't feasible, slash, we don't do this. So, this just, was... sorry, just to make sure I understand. So, the first point, not the bold one, is the request from Schiff's office, and then the yep. response is response Twitter's is, response. It's not feasible, we will not do this, yeah. From Twitter, cool. On Twitter, yeah, confirm, yeah, from Twitter. And the second request, and I'll just read it the same way you did. So the second request is suspend uh, the many accounts, including at Greg Rubini and at Paul Sperry, that's a journalist, which have repeatedly promoted false QAnon conspiracies and harassed blank name. Uh, and then uh, the Twitter response is, we'll review these accounts again, but I believe blank mentioned only one uh, actually qualified for suspension. Huh, so that would be Paul Sperry. Now, Third request is suppress any and all search results about blank and other committee staff. <laughs> I wonder who that could be. And then the response is, no, we don't do this. If it is related to QAnon, it should already be deamplified. So any QAnon stuff is going to be deamplified anyway. Fourth request, stop the spread of future misinformation on Twitter about blank and other uh, committee staff who are not public figures and who are not central actors in the impeachment inquiry or the 2020 presidential election. And uh, Twitter's response is, no, we don't have a general misinformation policy. And the fifth request is, label and reduce visibility of any content but blank that Twitter does not remove for the reasons cited above. And Twitter responded is, no, we don't do this. And this is what Elon was, was like, you know, tweeting at Schiff for. And so number 28, we don't do this. Uh, even Schiff, uh, sorry, even Twitter declined to honor Schiff's request at this time. Sperry was later suspended, however. So they did honor that part. 
And this is the email. It's a forward message uh, from blank uh, regarding tweets. It says, hi, blank. I met with... Uh, oh, 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 oh. It's the same email. It's the same email. So anyway, 29. Twitter honored almost everyone else's requests, even those from the GEC, right, the State Department, including a decision to ban accounts like at Rebel Protests and at BRICS Media because the GEC, the State Department, identified them as GRU-controlled. That is a Russian, you know, state agency, right? And linked to the, uh, quote, to the Russian government, respectively. And this is the emails, an FBI referral about Russian uh, state control. But would you say, and- so just quickly, mm-hmm. quick question again. So, so considering that uh, Twitter was resisting any claims of Russian interference, for them to agree that this does include Russian interference would would you know we would take it seriously no uh i think they were just acting on whatever the fuck they were being sent at this point by the way Except they're still like adam Schiff's request because you know his requests are like we're like oh please censor everything regarding this it's like well we can't do that that was that was basically it yeah those those accounts are still suspended by the way they're still suspended yeah that's interesting so i wonder well, if they're actually related to russia or if it's just a gec pulling you know nonsense out of his and why again. and but then the question is why weren't were they unsuspended maybe there's uh maybe there's something know. there's some truth to it we don't know exactly. right? but a lot of people have not yet been unsuspended so i mean it's hard to say okay so, so the unsuspensions have not finished yet have they yeah it's correct yeah it hasn't been okay. done fully yet there's a lot of people like katie hopkins is still banned for some reason she needs to be unbanned um so this is one comment on this request about Russian state-controlled media and inauthentic news outlets. And uh, the comment is, due to additional information from the GEC that was made available on 1st October, the SI moved to suspend at rebel protests. And as GEC now plans to publish a report regarding at rebel protests as GRU-directed site. So they're claiming that this website was directed by the Russian government. And also, SI has decided to suspend at BRICS Media after GI, uh, after the GEC, a state department, announced plans to publish a report linking uh, the organization to the Russian government. Um, uh, Rebel Insight, here's an example of uh, one of the screenshots that uh, Matt Taibbi put out. He says, thousands of Chileans, in this account tweeted, it said, thousands of Chileans sing the feminist anthem, a rapist in your path, and clashes with at hashtag police during a protest at Italy Square in hashtag Santiago to mark International Women's Day hashtag Chile. Seems pretty harmless, but you know, they suspended the account. Um, is certainly not directed at an American audience. It's directed to more international, perhaps. Uh, so number 30, the GEC requests uh, were what a former CIA staffer working at Twitter was referring to when he said, quote, our window on that is closing, end quote, meaning that uh, the days when Twitter would say no to serious requests were over. Okay, so basically this is like a warning, I guess, that, that he sent to Yule Roth and the uh, integrity department at Twitter. He, uh, this is a CIA guy. He says, he writes, yep, Infobricks is an entity that we've received previous notice on, though if recollection serves, government partners have never been so specific as to say that it was directly controlled by the GRU. Bricks is an inherently Russia-dominated economic organization. I believe we've seen this email before, but I'll read it anyway. You know, we've seen this in a previous drop. He continues, he says, so it was very likely that a website and a Twitter account designed to promote it was would be directed by the Kremlin. But due to a uh, lack of technical evidence on our end, I've generally left it to be, waiting for more evidence. I think that our window on that is closing, meaning that, um, you know, they had to abide by the request regardless. Given that the government partners are becoming more aggressive on attribution and reporting on it, 
Uh, I'm going to go ahead with the suspension and marking the domain as unsafe. Rebel Insight was a new one for me too. Uh, not sure what the goal of the account could possibly be other than to highlight unrest in other areas of the world besides Russia. I've already suspended it and marked the domain as unsafe. No, it's the email. Okay, number 31. Remember the 2017 internal guidance? So Matt is referring to a previous uh, drop in which uh, Twitter decided to remove any user, quote, identified by the U.S. intelligence community, end quote, as a state-sponsored entity committing cyber operations. Well, by 2020, such identifications came in bulk. And uh, this is more of the same thing where it says here in the internal guidance, it says any user identified by the U.S. Intelligence Committee as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations against targets associated with the U.S. or other elections or an entity associated with such operations should not be allowed to advertise on Twitter. This was, again, we read that in a previous drop today. 32. USIC requests often uh, simply began with we assess and then provided lists sometimes in separate Excel documents they believed were connected to Russia's Internet Research Agency and committing cyber ops from Africa to South America to the United States. And this is the, you know, CIA thing that we read before. It's a start of text, unclassified, disinformation, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I'll read the what their assessment actually is rather than the, uh, the first advisory. And Matt Taibbi's still tweeting, so I'll read his tweet later. He says, uh, it, write, it reads here in this email, in this the document, this is a CIA document, it reads, We assess that Russian mogul Evgeny Prigozhin's Internet Research Agency, the IRA, controlled Twitter media handle JGoldPhD, uh, which was posting racially derogatory content targeting African Americans in July 2022. Unclassified end of text. So that was the first one. Another field of text reads, uh, this is a second email. It says, uh, well, memo, or rather cable, I would say, yeah, this, these are cables. Uh, it reads, during routine monitoring of social media activity in South America with a focus on Venezuela, Cuba, and Colombia, we discovered Twitter activity with significant signs of bot-like behavior, also described in the Coordinated Inauthentic Behavior, or CIB. Uh, furthermore, our analysis, this is from an analyst, uh, this is as what Kyle described before, you know, in a previous uh, Twitter space, if you're not here, he says these were all pr pr products of an analyst. This is basically an opinion this is you know not something you need to take as as fact right this is one guy or a team of people's opinion on what would be uh, uh you know their assessment basically there's no evidence that this is actually true this is just what they're assessing and twitter is simply treating it at, at face value taking all of it as true they're not pushing back on any of this and so uh, these are a bunch of uh, top 10 influencers identified in the data set uh, for removal or sorry yeah for referral, not removal. So, yeah, they basically wanted to identify them, and it's a bunch of uh, uh, first name, bunch of numbers. Yeah, a bunch of first name, bunch of numbers like Will J eight four seven blah 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 blah. Right? You can, I, I'm not going to read that. And then the hashtags are all related to um, elections in 2022 in Colombia, uh, I believe. Yep, that's right. And the attached Excel file contains a list of 590 potential bot accounts, but also a compilation of 50,000 posts and engagements. So this is, again, a product of an analyst. Um, and now the third cable reads, We assessed that the Russian mogul, Evgeny Prigozhin's Internet Research Agency, the IRA, established and was operating troll farms in Benin, Mali, Senegal, and likely India, Pakistan, and Nigeria as of late 2021. The involved accounts pro published pro-Russian, anti-French, and anti-West narratives, and purportedly amassed thousands of views. It is possible that some subset of accounts were also publishing pro-French narratives. 
Hmm. Interesting. We have read this one before as well, but they explain in, in this email, or rather this cable, that there's a thing called Benin Troll Farm, This what they suspect to be a Benin Troll Farm, run by a person named Valence Agogio, who's the lead, the content manager, Sani Malik, and Georges Usado, who is the content manager, and Ricardo uh, Orlats, who is also content manager, and are responsible for managing an unspecified Facebook and unspecified Instagram accounts, and then a troll farm in Mali, run by uh, Ula Dele Landry, Ricardo Krubali, and uh, Fotu Mamakita, you know, uh, and these guys were managing Facebook and unspecified Instagram accounts. So this is what their assessment was. Um, okay, and that was number 32. And this was a product, of course, you know, intelligence agencies. There's no evidence that, you know, I mean, who knows? These people could be uh, assets or they could literally just be a bunch of uh, like actual activists in their country. There is no way for us to assess that without knowing these people. So Matt Ivey continues, he says, uh, number 33, one brief report sent right after Ukraine, sorry, Russia's invasion of Ukraine early last year, flagged major Russian outlets like uh, Vidomosti and Gazeta.ru, that's a Russian uh, news site, note the language about state actors fits Twitter's internal guidance. And the cable reads, we believe the following accounts are being used by Russian state actors to conduct disinformation campaigns on your platform. And these are... uh, at uh so yeah they're, all their ads are ru underscore rbc gazeta ru uh vidomosti who's, and who's, uh, who's sending who's sending those for is that is that someone sending it to twitter this is someone sending it to twitter yeah this is a cable from the intelligence com- community so it doesn't yeah. say who exactly but we presume it's cia and uh, because this reads like a cia intelligence document an alice document and yeah i mean these are accounts like one of them is tas agency now tas agency if you're not familiar with it is literally russia's state like it's a preeminent state media organization right i mean literally you go there if you want to read what putin is saying so they flag them as uh, conducting disinformation campaigns on twitter which is you know like that's kind of ridiculous. It's literally the official, you know, news site. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, they they wanted them suspended. And I believe they're um they've been like tagged as Russian state media or something like that. I, I'm pretty sure they're still active. You can check if you want to. It's TASS underscore agency. So, Matt Tybee continues in 34. He says, some reports were just a paragraph long and said things like, detached email accounts were possibly used for, quote, influence operations, social media collection, or social engineering, end quote, without any sort of explanation, right? Twitter would forward uh, an Excel, would be forwarded an Excel document. So, so it just shows, uh, it just kind of shows laziness. Like, hey, guys, we don't like yep. these for, ex- you know, we, we, does, they don't even give reasons. We don't like these um you know, please remove them or please check them out. Yeah. And then Twitter exactly. has just got that burden of just reviewing request after request. And then eventually they're like, fuck this. Like, okay, whatever. We're yeah, facing so much pressure. We're just going to, we're just going to comply. We don't have the resources. We don't have the time. We don't have the effort to keep yep. doing this. That's right. And all the emails in this list appear to be, you know, their version of like Hotmail or Gmail, uh, not from Russian sites, but from Turkmenistan, Georgia, and, uh, you know, like Eastern European countries, and this could be literally anybody, right? Like, like, like I know a lot of uh, 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 like uh, Eastern European Twitter users, they're like genuine Twitter users who got suspended, and they're on like secondary accounts, and I don't know the third, fourth account, because they, they you know, they want to keep coming back to the site, but 
from what I can see, is they're just having normal conversations, and occasionally they might tweet something that is pro-Russia or anti-Ukraine, and that alone is enough to get them flagged by the State Department or by, you know, the CIA or whatever the hell is flagging them, and the intelligence agencies, right? So they're not even researching them. They're just banning people at this point. So Matt Taibbi writes in number 35, he says, they were even warned about publicity surrounding a book by former Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin who alleged corruption by the U.S. government, specifically by Joe Biden. So this is interesting because if you're not familiar with Shokin, he was the guy who was investigating the Hunter Biden connection to Burisma. And then Biden came in, right, and said, hey, get rid of your guy. And Ukraine was like, okay. And they got got rid of him. They fired him. Okay. And there was like, there was a Senate investigation, to be fair, and they found no wrongdoing on, on Biden's part. Which, I mean, take it for what you will, you know, like, figure that one out. So, yeah. We'll go to 36. Okay. Uh, I can read the... You want to read it? I think... Cable. Yeah, I'm read this cable, yeah. It's All right, I'll let you do it. This is about choking. So, uh, I'll skip the first part. This is a cable, and it says, We assess with high confidence that in the summer of 2020, members of a Russian influence organization, which is at least partially directed by the Russian intelligence, uh, were aware of a production plan associated with an upcoming book authored by former Ukrainian prosecutor general, Viktor Shokin. We have information that indicates that the book is intended to reveal corruption allegedly perpetrated by the United States in Ukraine, and that the intended audience includes political institutions in the United States, Europe, and Ukraine. Uh, Versions of the book could be released in Russian, Ukrainian, and English this fall. While it is unclear at this time how involved Russian intelligence might be in the creation or promotion of this book, uh, they have been known to direct the same influence organization to propagate similar information in uh, uh, previous operations. As such, we wanted to highlight the potential nexus between this book and Russian intelligence, and we suspect that the book could be promoted online through foreign-controlled or inauthentic accounts. So, like, they were so concerned about this book. It makes you want to read it. Doesn't it make you want to read it? It makes you want to read it. Okay? Absolutely. It's like, what are they hiding? Oh, it's damning to Joe Biden and Victoria Newland. Hmm. Wow. Huh. Hmm. Okay? So maybe go read the book. Look up the guy, Victor Shokin. <laughs> Bet you can find it on Amazon, you know? <laughs> or somewhere else. We got the last, last exactly, four, yeah. last, last four points, uh, Ian, and then I know that Tom, Jim, name redacted and yeah. answers so, for Sean have, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll keep reading them. Yeah, I'll keep going. So, by uh, this is Matt Ivey. He writes, uh, by the weeks before the election in 2020, uh, Twitter was so confused by the various streams of incoming requests <laughs> that staffers had to ask the FBI which is which. Like, they're just like us right now. They're like, um, who sent us this cable? Like, uh, is this from the State Department or is this from the CIA? Is this from the NSA? We have no idea. So, this is an email from somebody at Twitter and he says, hi, Elvis. You know, Elvis Chan, uh, our special agent. He says, do you know if this is something different from the information that we've already been receiving through the signal channel trying to make sure that we have all our bases covered while also optimizing resources thank you so much you know and it's uh it's uh it's, it's unclear who this is exactly from you know it's a uh, it's an email that says that we are pleased to announce that the northern california regional intelligence center the ncric in partnership with the san francisco fbi division will activate a homeland security information network connect uh, room uh, which will be used to provide public uh, safety information uh, to our private sector partners on the upcoming 2020 national election. Uh, current members include the San Francisco FBI InfraGuard Member Alliance and the NCRIC Private Sector Program, all invited to the register using the link below uh, to gain it. Uh, there's, like, there's so many organizations, it's ridiculous. So, number 37. 
uh, large quotes in Matt Taibbi writing. Uh, I apologize in advance for your workload. Okay, so requests poured in from the FBI offices all over the country, day by day, hour after hour. If Twitter didn't act quickly, questions came. Quote, was action taken? Any movement? You know, like, so a bunch of quotes was come in. And so somebody at Abby says, hi, both. Do you know which of the a group of the account, 132 accounts he's referring to? And if so, do you have a list of accounts? Like, they just, you know, kept getting emails nonstop. And the email, which was from somebody at the FBI, but this is uh, unredacted somewhat. Uh, it says, hey, sorry, I tried to call you back. I forgot to ask you a question. Uh, do you guys have a list of those 132 a- accounts, actions that was taken uh, against on uh, 29th of uh, July, 2020? You wanted to get a, a process served on those accounts. Let me know if I should direct this question to someone else. Thanks for uh, any help uh, that can be given. And I apologize in advance for adding to your workload. Respectfully, blank name. Incredible stuff. 38. Uh, so the senior uh, attorney of Twitter, Stacia Cardill, we see her name again, uh, quote, uh, my inbox is really fucked up at this point. <laughs> and she writes in an email to, I have no idea who, I guess some people at Twitter. She says, can you please, uh, can you also send me a Google Hangout message when you send it? My inbox is really fucked up at this point. Yeah, it's like they've got so many emails every single day. So number thirty-nine, it all led to the uh, to the situation described by uh, uh, Schellenberger. You know, if you didn't uh, read Michael Schellenberger's uh, Twitter files drop two weeks ago, uh, they talk about how Twitter was paid three point four million dollars, essentially for being an overwhelmed subcontractor. Twitter wasn't just paid. Right, it's Matt Taibbi. He says, for the amount of work they did for the government, they were underpaid. So they're basically working like crazy amounts of over- overtime. And so uh, Matt concludes this Twitter drop with, for more on the Twitter files, check out Barry Weiss, Schellenberger, Elich Fang, and David Zweig. For more on this story, read uh, his Substack account, which he has a bit, tiny bit more explanation there. I don't have to go over that. I'm just going to look at what he uh, tweeted recently, where... Um, oh, he's just talking about himself. And then he adds a note here. He says here, uh, there was a belief at Twitter that the State Department agency, the GEC, right, uh, was pushing Mike Pompeo's complaints about China and COVID. How true that uh, was is still somewhat an open question. But executives for sure believe that there were major risks in working with the GEC with an election ahead. So there, yeah, that, that he was trying to clear that up. And he adds in another note, he says that the U.S. government intel report sent to Twitter warns of a book by former Ukraine prosecutor Viktor Shokin, at least partially directed by Russian intelligence. And Shokin has always maintained that Joe Biden insisted on his firing to stop a probe into Burisma and Hunter Biden. So there you go. And uh, of course, Luis Mensch is now accusing Matt Taibbi of being a Russian asset because that is a thing that that cokehead does. So uh, yeah, that, that's Twitter. Today's a two Twitter files jobs. Very epic stuff. Very epic stuff. Oh, we're just so exhausted. I, mean, I don't think we appreciate uh, a lot of the drops today. There's a lot of nice snippets. Um, we're just in one marathon after the other. Um, but I'd love uh, to get uh, some thoughts on this. Uh, Tom, do you want to kick it off? Then we'll go to Name Redacted and, and Sean. Yeah, I, you know, I guess I'll just kind of highlight some of the important things that I think we've heard, at least with this latest drop. Um, the first thing I would uh, call listeners to is the idea that it's not just the federal government. You had state, uh, U.S., United States states, also using these portals to censor uh, information related to the elections. Uh, uh, Judicial Watch uncovered this. We had Iowa, which was run by Republicans trying to suppress material off of Twitter um, 
directed at Judicial Watch. The state of California, Secretary of State there, they did cause Twitter to take down tweets. Also, they caused uh, YouTube to take down a tweet, a, a video of ours, and we're suing under the Ku Klux Klan Act, uh, the Secretary of State's office. So that's kind of the legal analysis that uh, perhaps can be brought at the federal level here. You know, and the other big news here is obviously Adam Schiff. You know, Schiff is uh, a notoriously corrupt member of Congress who's been dishonest, uh, likely behind a series of uh, corrupt leaks uh, about uh, the the, uh, Russia collusion uh, smear on Trump. And uh, going back, this is in the middle of impeachment. The question was, was there someone in his office and was he involved directly in working with witnesses that were pushing out classified information in an improper way? And Sperry was investigating that and seeking to expose the relationships between Vindman, uh, Chair Mella, who was a CIA operative who had worked at the White House and then went back to CIA. And I forget the name of the 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 uh the Schiff folks and he, he, Sperry and others were highlighting that. And Schiff was furious because he wanted to keep his uh, impeachment schemes and how it came about secret because it involved potentially the mishandling of classified information involving his office. And so that's why they were desperate to set to censor Sperry and others who are raising these questions, including a judicial watch. Now, what's interesting is Twitter pushed back against this. Eric Chermella, I can say on Twitter, if I said it on YouTube, I think if I said it on Facebook, too, uh, we'd be censored. So Schiff was unsuccessful at Twitter. I guarantee you if similar records at Facebook and YouTube are going to show he was successful because we knew we do know that they banned certain discussions and certain names as it relates to impeachment to protect the CIA and Schiff. And the question is, did Schiff do anything wrong here beyond something, you know, politically unpleasant? And I think he violated the civil rights of Sperry or attempted to and and uh, directly. And uh, it's, to me, this is just another reason for an ethics investigation of Adam Schiff. And there's a lot more to talk about, but I'll let others pop in. Thank you. Yeah, if I may, Mario. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I'm up, uh, but not for long because uh, I'm I'm having a nice day with yeah, my and, kids. Uh, oh, good, man. We're looking at wrapping it up shortly as well. We've just been doing space after space all day. So it's, we're aligned yeah. there. So in my view, the thing has gone full circle now. Uh, you know, the carrot and the stick, uh, the 230D protection that all the social media companies that Big Tech enjoy are threatened to be pulled. This is being used as a a tool to coerce, um, you know, action by Twitter. And again, this is not only Twitter. This would have happened at every Big Tech company. There were hearings about... uh, you know, pulling that protection, threats of pulling that protection. And in addition to that, uh, all kinds of questions about, uh, you know, potentially being a monopoly and what that would mean. So the government uh, uh, has has created an environment where these big tech companies either comply or are threatened with serious action that would destroy, you know, their business model, that would just destroy their legal protections. And uh, that's very serious because, 
you know, what they are asking these big tech companies to do is to undermine the First Amendment and free speech and, uh, you know, freedom of the press. So, uh, you know, in light of these new releases, again, if you look at it combined with all the other Twitter files, you see a really clear pattern, t- pattern here how the Democratic Party and their institutions and their agencies and the deep state, CIA, FBI, NSA, have all been working together to create the censorship monster that we have today. And only Twitter now is breaking free from that because they have been purchased by someone uh, who doesn't agree with this. And uh, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg here. This, these interactions that are now coming out uh, from Twitter, the same thing would have happened at Google and at many other companies. And, uh, you know, it's, I can give you an example from my own experience when I was still running Mega Upload and my businesses controlled about 4% of global internet traffic. Uh, we were approached by the FBI, by agencies about content, and we were always eager to assist them because we didn't want to get in trouble. We didn't want to be threatened to lose our own DMCA protection and other protections that were supposed to protect our business, right? We went as far as creating a takedown tool for 180 copyright holders that they could use without any interaction from us to take things down and all because we felt threatened and we felt that we have to do something. And despite of all of this compliance that we had and our 99.9% takedown record, they still shut us down when they didn't like us anymore, right? This is just... uh, uh, one example that I want to give because other tech companies would have seen what, is, what has happened to us and it would have intimidated them. And, uh, you know, this 230D is a lifeline for all of big tech because if they lose that, they can be made responsible for the actions of users. And that's exactly what they did at Mega Upload. And that's all I want to say today. Thanks, Kim. I'll, I'll give the mic to others to... to um... Give us your final thoughts as well, Stephen. Name redacted and answers for Sean. I'm ready to speak. Well, I don't know if yeah, of you course guys hear me. I'll go ahead, man. It's fine. Can you hear me, Mario? Yeah, name redacted. Go ahead, man. All right. So just bear with me on this. So one of the <laughs> okay, earlier man. Twitter files released uh, last, you know, like last month, uh, we learned how the FBI established the relationship with the old Roth started, you know, building rapport with Twitter and whatnot. Uh, Once they established the relationship, they started sending them, you know, information on accounts and tweets they wanted banned, you know, the FBI. Um, Then once uh, Yol Roth and Twitter started uh, complying with these and censoring, uh, the FBI started applying more pressure. Um, And now we have what we learned today in the Twitter files drop that um, the pressure basically came... Um, from every corner of the government, including Adam Schiff's office. So obviously the word got around. Um, The problem was at Twitter, compared to Google and Facebook, uh, there was not hardly any, you know, ex-former intelligence community people that were working there. Uh, That is not the case with um, Facebook and Google. And again, on my profile, there 
uh, the Google thread is pinned and the Facebook one is right below that. Uh, Glenn Greenwald wrote an article uh, he tweeted about the other day back in 2021 about how the um, the Senate Intel Committee and basically the Democratic uh, controlled Congress applied a lot of pressure to the big tech CEOs. And, you know, they had brought in, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Jack Dorsey to testify. Uh, I listened to that video last night, uh, that hearing, uh, and that was on uh, September 2018. Sheryl Sandberg admitted in the hearing that they censored content with, quote, hints from law enforcement. And they were talking about banning content, censoring, you know, what whatnot. Now, back to the point I want to make is they didn't have the people at Twitter to do this. So all they could do is FBI and all these various um, other parts of the government kept inundating them with requests on and lists of uh, accounts to ban and tweets to take down. Um, but meanwhile, over at Facebook, they hired again, if no one has seen this, the head of their trust and safety is an ex CIA uh, analyst, 17 year experience. His name is Aaron Berman. He is friends with Yul Roth on Facebook and he even this is in my Facebook thread. Friends, hold on. Friends, uh, Fr- friends, friends on, follow friends, each- on twi- friends on Twitter. Just follow each other. Y- yeah, they follow each other. But okay. uh, Aaron put a tweet out, and I, it's in uh, number seven of my Facebook thread, uh, saying this was on November of 2022. He said to all my trust and safety friends at Twitter, either current or former, I hope you know your work has been made a difference. Thank you for everything you've done. Whatever the future holds. So it's possible that in Matt Taibbi's release today that the, I think it was number 17, uh, the contact Yul Roth said he had at Facebook could have been Aaron Berman. But um, basically the point is that since the Senate Intel Committee started applying pressure and other parts of Congress committees to uh, social media companies, they started hiring in mass just a ton of ex CIA, FBI, NSA. I mean, there is Google has over 160 or so, and Facebook has over 115. And I've detailed them all. And the important part, if you read my threads, is some of these people, like um, at Google, uh, Nick Rossman, he had a Twitter account, and I found all the negative tweets he had to say about Trump uh, calling uh, anti-vaxxers Nazis. So so essentially, name redact, like what you're implying is that a lot of the things we're seeing at Twitter essentially exist on on all the other social platforms. Yeah, and the the point I'm trying to make is that you see how how FBI and all the other government agencies had to put so much pressure to get stuff censored at Twitter. Meanwhile... Google and Facebook were actually hiring former CIA and putting them in trust and safety. So Facebook and Google, their trust and safety teams are managed by ex-CIA analyst officers, whatever. That is a fact. That is which uh, which which there. brings which brings a lot of questions as so we've that, had. With so Twitter. they already have the puzzles in place, the pieces in place at Facebook and Google. And one, well, one, one important thing to point out, though, is that 
there's not necessarily a problem with hiring people who are formerly in those agencies. And one of the reasons why they do that is because you have to be unbelievably qualified to even get a job in the FBI. So it makes sense that some of those same people, especially being hired for more technological things, would also be a good fit for Twitter. I guess the bigger problem is that they were potentially using those connections for bad things. But I don't, I mean, I feel like there's probably more to the story than just, oh, they were hiring them because they wanted to well, I'll just people. Say, well, the, the couple people that I highlighted, and specifically they're in the trust and safety, which manages censorship, um, they were very vocal about their political leanings. Now, I'm not obviously making any accusations. Which, 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 but, 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 but I'd say that the, you know, humans are humans. There's always going to be that, those biases. That's why it's like building systems right. to make sure those biases don't impact. Uh, things like censorship is what is needed. And obviously what we saw with Twitter is that those systems were far from perfect. And, and, you know, we've got concerns that other platforms had similar imperfections. And that includes I'm just Meta. saying, I know, I know Kim mentioned like, you know, Google, <laughs> Facebook might be doing the same thing, but I don't know if Kim saw my threads, like the, the people are already there. Are they doing it? I don't know, but they're there, like a lot of them and they're running trust and safety department. And, and I think that's a bigger story. Like, do you know, yeah, um, I don't know who, if that was Matt who spoke earlier. Yes, do, Matt, yeah. are a lot of these people, like, qualified to do these jobs? Sure, of course they are. And do they have the right to have these jobs? Yeah. But do we want ex-intelligence officers, like, from the CIA running censorship departments at Facebook and Google? Could lead to conflicts of interest. Now, it's a, it's a fair point. That's why, as, as I said earlier, it just brings, it brings up questions, and especially after the Twitter files. Very valid questions. Doesn't mean that each one of them is is you know working for that other agency that they used to work at. Would have been good to have Kyle here again. He was on, on this panel for a few hours earlier. Um, he'd probably be able to better answer this point. Ex FBI and and uh, one of the better whistleblowers on our panel that comes on every time we have a Twitter files drop. He'll be perfect to answer this uh, to kind of comment on this point. But. Uh, and I also want to applaud the threads you've done on this name redacted. We've spoken about it privately, and and uh, yeah, definitely keep keep that those um, that information coming. Thank you. I will. Well, well I will you know, it just quickly, it doesn't matter who you know. You, uh, Mary, you asked the question: Did they have the structures in place to mitigate and protect against the bias? No, they embraced it. They knew, for instance, the Senate was was pushing Hillary Clinton's uh, approach here and they agree and they didn't, it didn't bother them. All of this censorship was geared at targeting by, uh, you know, protecting Trump, excuse me, the exact opposite targeting Trump uh, and protecting Biden. And you'll notice in this latest group of uh, records, they were overwhelmed with requests after, I mean, right up to the election, so these the censorship was about the election, not about anything else. Bias was a feature. It wasn't. There was no no uh, effort to keep it out. Fair, uh, Jim and Stephen and actually I'll go to Sean first. Answers for Sean. Good to have you on the panel for the first time, man. Hi, Mario. Thank you so much, Mario, Tara, Ian. This is a great opportunity for me. It means so much to me. I just wanted to share my misinformation, which is the undeniable truth. My son, Sean, played hockey his whole life. He took one Pfizer vaccine and was found dead on the floor beside his bed 33 days later. 
He was perfectly healthy with no underlying conditions. The cause of death they've given me is unascertained. They expect me to live with that, and I can't. I'm fighting every day since Sean died to try to get the truth. And I'm not sure if free speech is totally allowed on Twitter because I have my followers telling me every day that they're not seeing my posts anymore. And I don't know what that's all about. I've never said one single lie. I've told nothing but the facts. My son took a Pfizer vaccine and died 33 days later. He was perfectly healthy. It's too late for Sean, but I want a chance to save other people's lives. And that's why I'm out here. Thank you so much. Uh, hey, man, what was your name, if you don't mind me asking? My name is Dan. I'm Sean's father. Dan, first I applaud the courage um, for you to come up on, on the panel and share this and, and waiting so patiently to share this. First, I got some good news is that your account is not shadow banned. Um, so maybe a few tweaks here and there with your tweets will get you more exposure. And obviously coming on panels like this will just get you that reach. Um, I'd also will DM you now um, and, uh, and you know, bring you to one of our COVID panels uh, just to share your story uh, without getting into the debate, without getting into the politics of the debate and having doctors debate the reasons, causation, correlation. Just to share your story, man, and share your pain. Um, so I just want to, you know, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having the courage to come on. And, um, yeah, I'll just DM you now to, to get you onto one of those panels and maybe I'll jump on a call privately, man, to see how I could uh, – I could help you get your account, get a bigger reach. Thank you so much, Mario. Thank you. No, my pleasure, man. I'll just hear you now. Um, I'll go to, to Stephen and Jim. Um, thank you. And uh, prayers to to the gentleman uh, that just spoke, and to him and his, his whole family. Um, well, today's drop showed that, uh, firstly, Adam Schiff is absolutely responsible for a serious First Amendment violation. Uh, plus, it showed how even much more aggressive our three-letter agencies <laughs> have been in essentially uh, bullying all our major social networks uh, to take action on any person or uh, information they have found to be problematic or not their preferred narrative they want going out there. Um, I don't think Orwellian is too strong of a term to use on any of this. In fact, I think it's – I can't think of a more appropriate term, so – I think the timeline is also notable wherein Twitter administrators started much more resistant. Then they became fully compliant, which also verifies the narrative that Jack Dorsey was contending to for where it started with his original vision for Twitter in much more of a decent place. Then it eroded into an authoritarian arm of the government and uh, many times uh, the Democratic Party. Uh, so I think that's where we sit right now. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen. Jeff, uh, Jim. Uh, I'll give you the final word, man, for, for this marathon space. Not sure if Sebastian, I know he's been listening for most of the space, has got anything to add to the discussion uh, uh, before Tara, Ian, and I wrap it up. But, Jim, I'll give you the mic, man. You've been with us for hours. Oh, man. There's no no doubt. Um, were, you, were, you in the, were you in the the other space? The, I uh, was. That was insane, man. That was insane. What a day. What a day. What a you know, day. You know, I'll, t- I'll, get, I'll share with you a story I haven't shared with anyone yet. I haven't had time to even tweet it. I was actually – so the way this all started, and I'm going to just quickly digress because uh, we're wrapping it up anyway. The way the way this all started is I got woken up by Nick. It's like Mario uh, XYZ, um, just you know, whatever the story was, um, just fainted and, and uh, has been rushed to the hospital. Um, I forgot the day, man, my, my, the name. 
and my brain's completely fried and I was half asleep so I'm like you know I hope it's not you know I, I'm just trying to understand what happened I slept two hours I'm like hey man I think you know there's not much more to add um, you know let's do the space a bit later and then a few hours later I wake up I head to the airport I have an urgent flight to catch six minutes before getting to the airport Nick is like Mario we got to do a space now I delay the flight call the office delay the flight get a cab take me back to the hotel and then a couple of hours later, we did the space. The team is all ready. And then a few hours later, we took a break. I'm finally taking a break. And then, and then uh, the Twitter files drop. Ian literally goes to bed. 20 minutes later, I call him. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, man. I'm not <laughs> the, Yeah, the Twitter, the Twitter files just dropped. You can't sleep yet. And then he, he just comes and kicks this off. So, yeah, Jim, it's been a, a hell of a day. And uh, appreciate you being on both panels. Yeah, well, thanks. Um I uh, posted something up on my Twitter page when I saw uh, Lee Fang had documented uh, what we learned from Mark Zuckerberg and the Joe Rogan program related to uh, them being connected uh, or being told about the Hunter Biden laptop. And, and I started looking back through things and today's files particularly clarify the fact that CISA was involved with this. Now that's kind of, Interesting because CISA announced in November of 2020 that these were, quote, the most secure elections in American history. CISA was ostensibly, or at least the understanding of most people was, that their job was to make sure that voting machines were being hacked and various other things related to what was happening at voting locations. But what we find out here and uh, more clearly is that when they said secure election, they meant uh, uh, Trump wasn't elected. Now, I don't know what Trump knew when he fired Krebs at CISA, but it might have been that, could have been whatever. But nonetheless, CISA's involvement is, is really kind of interesting. When you go back far enough, what you recognize, uh, it really, a lot of what we're talking about right now, and we don't know how yet, we don't know precisely how, but somehow that Jan- that January 5th meeting in uh, in the Oval Office in 2017 with Barack Obama and Susan Rice and his uh, uh, intelligence team, something happened there. We've learned through certain documents that they were thinking about how to take on Trump. Uh, how that connects to all this precisely, I don't know. But um, I personally believe something was put into motion. And when you go back even further, you see that the Obama administration used the IRS to shut down Tea Party efforts. So a lot of this stuff has been brewing for a long, long time. And now we're sort of seeing the top end of it. Um, but but last couple things. We know from uh, Peter Schweitzer's work uh, back in, I think it was 2017, maybe, or 18, he released a a movie called The Creepy Line, where he talked about how social media, as we knew it at that time, was working to try to use sort of their own little psyops to get people to understand information the way they wanted to. We we found out that it was much worse than that after the release of that film. I was at the release of it, and, and it was just shocking. And uh, But there, this has become a, a really big story. Tonight kind of culminated a whole lot of that. And again, one of the big things for me is CISA saying we had secure elections really did mean that they also played a significant part in controlling the speech. This is scary yeah. stuff. Uh, scary I, yeah, I, I do. I do. We just don't know how much impact it really had. I'd love to get Ian's final thoughts on this. Um, obviously, you know, censorship is never good. Uh, obviously, it was leaning more towards or significantly more towards the left. Um, 
and a significant bias against uh, conservatives. So I do agree on you with you there. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of lot of you know further questions we can ask in debate and further speculation that we could, uh, um, you know, we, you know that, that arises from these discussions. Uh, but Sebastian, I'd love your thoughts on this. Yeah, and whoever guessed it about an hour ago, you nailed it. Uh, I didn't answer when called upon because I was eating my wife's delicious roast chicken. That was so, me. Uh, yeah, yeah, good one. So, so I, I was <laughs> listening, but uh, my wife's cooking comes first. Look, um, I think it was Jim who was on just a moment ago. Absolutely nailed it. So um, tomorrow, I pre-recorded it today. I'm going to have uh, Mike Benz on my, my national radio show uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. Uh, everybody needs to listen to it because I managed to get Mike what he does in seven hours to boil it down into 34 minutes. And, and here's, here's the real, you know, the, the take home. I think my job always is to kind of bring us back and, and to avoid the, the noise and just get to the actual signal. Um, if, if you still doubt the 2020 election, if you, if you have questions about it, everybody needs to go off and watch 2000 mules 2000 mules uh is is from people in the ic community who screwed with other people's elections for the u.s government using metadata to actually demonstrate in just four cities that we have at least at least a hundred thousand ballots that were illegally harvested in an election where the president lost by thirty nine thousand. so if if you have questions Go and watch the empirical data in 2,000 mules. Now, I don't care whether you believe it or not, whether you're on the fence about was it stolen, wasn't it stolen. It doesn't matter for the purposes of the Twitter files. Why? What have we learned? I'll, I'll paraphrase Mike Benz. The foreign policy community in America on both sides had spent more than a decade... Uh, targeting populist movements abroad, uh, whether it was Orban in Hungary, whether it's Modi in India, whether it's Berlusconi, or especially the trigger was Brexit in the UK. They used uh, information operations to target populist movements, which they deemed to be a, 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 a threat to democracy in our partner nations. Okay. Now, when President Trump wins, what Mike describes, and he's the guy, he is the DAS, he's the deputy assistant secretary for cyber inside the state department. So if anybody is a witness present at the making of history, it's Mike Benz. And he sees the foreign policy establishment say, hang, hang on a second, this populist stuff, it's a threat to us at home. It's a threat to our consensus. It's a threat to the quote-unquote elite, the blue check mark Twitterati, the people who walk in and out of government, who gets the cushy jobs. So what they did is they turned the azimuth, they rotated the gun turret, and they used those information operation techniques, the censorship, the disinformation, the deplatforming on U.S. citizens via the U.S. government. And the most scary thing at all, it's, it's as Jim just said, the FBI, of course, we've got all the receipts of Twitter. We, we know what the CIA is doing under Brennan. But the real hub of this all is DHS. DHS under CISA, they recategorize, they say misinformation, disinformation on social media, on the Internet, 
is a threat to elections. Therefore, we have a mandate to target it. That's the buried lead. That's the real story. That DHS starts working with private entities and, and demands that millions and millions of tweets get deleted, thousands of, of accounts get suspended, and it's always one way. I don't care what you think about the 2020 election, but the fact that bureaucrats who have badges and guns, who are 1811s, who have law enforcement authority, politically targeted one side of the political spectrum in America, that's the real story. And, and the sad thing is, I think somebody said it a while back, Twitter is really kind of irrelevant. Twitter is the, is the lazy aggregating platform for people who don't want to do real journalistic work, okay? It's, it's how journalists do uh, journalism today without actually doing journalism. The real way that you undermine the elections is Facebook, is Google search prioritization, is Google AdSense, and Alphabet, and YouTube. And we have no idea the level, the level of mendacity and censorship on those platforms. So we need far more than just Elon Musk God bless him for doing what he's doing on Twitter. But the story is one-way censorship to undermine a certain political identity in America. That's the real stories, ladies, ladies and gents. That's well, yeah, I mean, that's such a great Tom, point, Sebastian. With... Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great point, Sebastian, about the, uh, uh, the other options at Facebook and Google. So what we're seeing is here, what can Twitter do, right? And what did they do to try to uh, tweak their system and data mine their system to help with the censorship operation, okay? So just think of what Google could do in similar circumstances. What, so you go to Google, you go to YouTube, you say, well, how is it we do this? And you're right. You talk about the search algorithms. You go to Facebook and the friends list that, you know, exponentially – you know, make Twitter seem like a county compared to a nation in terms of numbers. Uh, this is where, you know, to the degree Republicans get their act together in the House. If they don't make this a priority, you know, among others, and I know there are a lot of fires that need to be uh, rushed to by by the anti-corruption firefighters there, uh, the, the, I don't know what they're there for. Uh, we, we've got We've got to uncover and stop and defund this and prosecute those behind it. I know we've got, like, congressional staffers listening to this, so, you know, you know who to talk to. You need to bring these things to the people you work for, to your bosses, and tell them, let them know this is a pivotal issue, right? This is crucial that you do this because, it, you know, like, this cannot be in vain because the mainstream media, when I'm talking about the mainstream media, I'm talking New York Post, I mean, New York Times, Washington Post, and all these other uh, outlets, they're not going to cover any of this because it implicates them, right? It, the Twitter files today even implicated these uh, outlets for essentially serving as mouthpieces of the State Department. They would put out a piece, a story in, you know, some newspaper and, and then they would cite that as an example, right? Uh, as a, as a means uh, to get Twitter, Facebook, and Google to take action uh, in a way that they would want so they're clearly complicit so it's up to you guys you know like it's it's up to citizen journalists it's up to congressional staffers it's up to uh congress people it's up to you know anyone with a conscience to do something about this because you know we can't let this just be swept under the carpet to be you know shoved into the dustbin of history like keep this in mind 
if it if Elon Musk didn't buy Twitter, we wouldn't know any of this. We would suspect it, but we wouldn't have any proof. And now we have proof that this is being done to us all along. I mean, we live in a kind of a dystopian society, right? To, to we live in 1984 is is what's going on right now. Actually, it's worse than 1984. It's it's worse than Orwellian. It's a combination of of all these dystopian tropes that we have, you know, grown up and 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 learned to. Uh, to identify like this is what's happening to us right now it doesn't matter if you're in the united states it's it's everywhere right and and this if anything has to be a moment in time that we have to seize and 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 take action otherwise we will lose that freedom the, the freedom to do so we lose that option in in in, in not the not too distant future so this is the moment right now where you have to take action Piotr, I'll let you wrap it up with final words um, before we end the space. Yeah, you know, look, I think we can all agree that... Um, Happy New Year, by the way. Nice to see um, everyone. Um, I think we can all agree that what Twitter has been doing is concerning. Um, I have huge concerns and reservations about their usage of, um, you know, well, the staff lobbying, basically, senior management to oppress certain views. I agree with Tom and Sebastian on some parts. However, I don't agree on this um, overextension that sort of it has had implications in, say, Brexit or um, even in India. I mean, those two countries are very different in terms of their approach towards social media use. Much an American party don't get as much of an influence as the King. Well, I don't think I know it doesn't have as much of an influence in the British Isles as it does in the UK. So, so when we're talking about Brexit. Um, I think the right were. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, Piotr, your audio is just really screwed up. I think we got the point across. Um, I yeah, disagree gonna... with him, by the way, because uh, yeah. a lot of British activists, Brexit activists, were banned from Twitter for no reason. We need to see those files. Canadian activists were yeah, also banned think, from Twitter. Do you think we'll see? Protests. Do you think we'll see? It's just surprising. We haven't seen any files outside the US. I think we will. It's coming, you know, and, and, and it, it's, it's a lot of stuff to go through, right? It's a lot of stuff to go through. Um, I think it's coming. Just like the COVID files are coming. So I would say, you know, be patient, but keep asking Elon. Keep reminding him. You know, I mean, this stuff is important. Yeah. It's not just like India is of particular importance. You know, people like to downplay how, you know, uh, India's use of Twitter. But guess what? Twitter was being leaned on by the Indian government on both sides of the Indian government, I would say. Like both the, the pro-Modi and the anti-Modi people were both leaning on Twitter. That is a big issue. It was in the news even. That's how big censorship was uh, as a topic there, right? They, so they I would love to see this file. They threatened to um, uh, jail some of their employees, in fact. Yeah, yeah, that's India, right. India, yeah. yeah, we need well, to see those a, files. Yeah. That was, that, wasn't that mentioned in one of the files? Uh, no. It wasn't. Oh. It was uh, no. It wasn't. Yeah, no. Okay. They 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 mentioned only that that you know the State Department's claim was that uh, there were accounts that were posting like India-related news that were actually Russian or something, but obviously they didn't provide any information, any evidence of that. Kim, final words for three years. It is a significant country. Uh, love India. Lived you know kind of was back and forth there quite a bit, but it's a key country in. Geopolitics in the world. I don't. I, I wouldn't expect this one point. I just wouldn't expect um, Twitter to cave into to pressure from other countries outside the U.S. Just wouldn't. I, I just don't think they they you know they can be impacted as much. Um, I just feel like there'd be more resistance there versus um, uh, pressure 
in the US. But I mean, I could be completely wrong. Uh, Kim, final words. I saw your request to come up before we end the space. Yeah, guys. Uh, another very interesting space. The biggest Twitter files are yet to come. And that's the COVID stuff. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, we've had a couple of Fauci files drop already. Uh, I'm, I'm losing track. Ian, you were there for those Fauci files? I think we had one or two. Yeah, we had like, I think one so far. One. Yeah, but it was like just uh, like kind of prepping us for what's to the come. Prepping, I think yeah, that... the... yeah, I, I, I know what's being worked on. And for that space, we all need to, uh, uh, you know, be ready because that is going to be a big one. And I think it will shock a lot of people. Will that be the one this week? I think end of the week, yeah. End of the week. Yeah, weekend. Yeah, they're not going to release anything in the middle. Mm. Cool. Hopefully. So, right, well, so everyone, everyone who wants to catch it, make sure uh, to have a reminder. Maybe you should already have like a floating uh, spaces uh, ready where people can uh, yeah, register. Yeah. 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 And just, are you, you know, people uh, are you can send a reminder. Me, so we can, uh, are you going to unblock me, Kim, so we can have a mature conversation about it? Oh, you're no, both, Piotr, you're both... I, I will not unblock you because you're just not nice. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm not the one who unblocked, <laughs> so let's, let's uh, talk about being well, a Piotr, <laughs> I think Piotr was just removed by Ian as well, so we're in agreement. Piotr is not a nice guy. Um, so I'll go, to, uh, I'll go to um, uh, just to, to Ian to kind of wrap it up with uh, Ian and Tara. Tara, are you with us as well? Uh, Tara is, is uh, not there. Ian, are you there? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, man. Let's let's wrap it up with the uh, with your thoughts very briefly. You give us you give us your thoughts on the already. drop. Yeah, yeah. You know, on the already. on the I know, I know. Your thoughts on the Damar space you did earlier as well to kind of wrap okay. up the show. Uh, I think I think uh, more information is going to come up, uh, out about that one in that particular drop. I think uh, there's not going to be a lot for like the next 24 to 48 hours. We have to wait for the medical report and see where that goes. I mean. We had a lot of doctors on both sides of the aisle. We had a lot of uh, skeptical doctors who were pro-vaccine, but also skeptical of this narrative that it's caused by the one thing. Because, you know, uh, want to like specifically state that unless you're in the operating room, you have no idea what's going on, right? And, and these yeah. doctors, they all knew better. They were like, okay, yeah, we can't really speculate. I mean, we can't say for certain it was one thing or the other. It could be a million different things, right? So yeah. And I don't think we'll do another space on 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 Damar Hamlin's story itself. I just don't think it's worth yep. the space. You can check everything no. in the news, but it's more like it inspired a discussion around um, COVID and um, sorry, vaccine-induced myocarditis, uh, yep. which probably will be uh, part of the Fauci files and it kind of a, a bigger. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, a, a bigger discussion in the earlier space, uh, the Canadian government gave out 2.8 million Canadian dollars today to uh, victims, to some victims of uh, vaccine injuries, and there's more to come. So this stuff is definitely being exposed, not just in, you know, not just in Canada, but also in the United Kingdom, in Australia, a health official, uh, her family was directly impacted by these, uh, by, by, the, by the jab, you know, so like a lot of this stuff is, is coming out for real uh, it's, it remains to be seen if this is going to be the case in the United States. I mean, Fauci has a lot of power. He has a lot of celebrity uh, there. But uh, I think the narrative that, oh, he's the saint is, is certainly falling apart. You know, I mean, you, it's, it's debatable as the, whether he did any of this intentionally yeah. or if he was, like, negligent. I mean, that is for a, 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 a prosecution to decide. It's for Congress to decide, right? There need to be hearings 100%. No one's saying he needs to go to jail or anything like that. But 
let's, you know, at least explore the possibility that he was negligent, that he fucked up, that, you know, he has to be accountable for something, right? And, and to go back to the, fi- go, go back to the first point that Ian mentioned before I end the show. Um, just remember Ian guys, and he said this publicly, so, so I'm mentioning it, like he has had the vaccine and he's still, you know, critical and concerned and, and yep. asking questions. So it just shows that, uh, having a discussion, uh, you know, should be so, the case, no matter here, what your belief way. is. Same here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there you I'm, go. I'm in the same boat as Ian, so we're on the same Perfect. Page. Cool, yeah. cool. All right, guys. Well, anyway, appreciate you all. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for everyone that joined the earlier show and this one. Uh, you guys are beasts. I'm off to bed. And, uh, yeah, Ian, Tara, we'll see you again probably tomorrow, uh, if we're lucky after tomorrow.